<laughs> Waiting for the light to go green, and we're going to cue the intro. It's like YouTube is... Coco Talk is an unscripted live broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own and not necessarily those of the Coco Talk show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds encourage, sense of humor recommended. If any off-color comments were made, we're sorry. Hi, this is Dale Lear designing the TRS-80 Color Baseball, and you're listening to Coco Talk. This is Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. It's time to drop your socks and grab your real-time clocks, and let's rock. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the Tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. All right, well, we're just going to jump right in here, folks. Welcome, everybody, to episode 117 of Coco Talk Live, the world's leading live talk show featuring a Tandy Color Computer. We've got a great panel, and as promised, we have a very special guest with us in the audience. You might be able to recognize his picture there. We're going to go around the room and say hi to everybody real quick, and then we'll get in. We're going to jump right into the meat and potatoes of the show, so we're just going to start up here in the top left-hand corner of the screen our uh, backup streaming engineer, all-around nice guy, wearing a really snazzy shirt there. We got Mark Bosley. Welcome back, Mark. Hello, everybody. Our resident Apple guy and wearer of fine-quality eyewear, we've got Mark D. Overholzer. Hey, Mark. Howdy. Glad to be here. And from O Canada, co-creator of the Nitrous 9 operating system, L. Curtis Boyle. Hello, L. Hello, everyone. Also from Canada, keeping the, uh, the, the, uh, the country balance here. We've got names so nice, we must say it thrice. Nick Marota, Nick Marota, Nick Marota's with us. Good day. Good day. here. <laughs> Legendary game designer, the guy who made Zaxxon, Steve Bjork, is with us. Howdy, y'all. We've got fan of furry animals and another Australian with us in the show here today, David O'Connor. Good day, David. Hey, hey, everybody. It's good to be back. Good to have you. we got the man who made our special guest happen today. Brian Weasler's in the house. Hello, Brian. Hello. Hello. We got another Aussie in the house. Chad is with us. G'day, Chad. G'day. <laughs> Crikey. We've got a special correspondent out in the field today. Jason, the Cocoa Man Riker's with us. Good afternoon from Cleveland. All right. And we'll, we'll hear from all about where you are later in the program today, Jason. James Diffendaffer is with us, optimizer of many ROMs. Hey, James. Hello, everyone. The guy who takes live streaming to new heights, Grant Leedy is with us. Good day, everybody. Legendary Coco game designer, another Aussie, Nick Morentis in the house. Nick Morentis, welcome. Good day, everyone. Good day, everyone. From California, he knows the way to San Jose. Mikey's with us, Michael Furman. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Good. Welcome to the program, Mikey. 
We have our uh, we have royalty in the house. Sir David Ladd, Lord of the Floppies, was with us. Welcome, David. Good day, everyone. <laughs> I can't wait to see how today goes. As usual, no energy. <laughs> no energy. Mr. <laughs> Low Key himself, David Ladd. And last but not least, our very special guest on the program today. You may know him as the 8-Bit Guy. It's David Murray. Thank you for being with us, Dave. Hey, thank you for having me on. All right. And Dave is a guy who knows all about the cocoa, right, Dave? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we might be able to do some knowledge exchange here throughout the show. Um, why don't we just jump in? And we're going we're gonna to play This Is Your Life with, with Dave Murray. And, um, and just, you, you're going to be able to talk about whatever you want to talk about, Dave. But I know you mentioned there was a few things you did want to talk about. But um, I don't know where you want to begin. Do you want to start by like what you did when retro was new and what you're doing now? or? Um, yeah, whatever you want to talk about is fine. <laughs> yeah. we, we know you're a Commodore guy, so tell us about your, where your passion for the Commodore began. Well, like a lot of people, um, you know, it was my first computer, so it's you know still the one I'm the most passionate about, and so I'm biased towards it that way. But yeah, I started with the Commodore VIC-20, and we had Commodore Pets in my elementary school, and um you know, I moved up the chain over the years to the C64 and then the C128 and then the Amiga. And uh, by the way, I, I noticed you put my picture up there. I do apologize for not having a camera available like everyone else. Uh, just uh, bad timing on this. But uh, anyway. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, I'm just, uh, I, I grew up with the Commodore stuff, then moved into the PC stuff. Uh, I didn't start to get into some of the other 8-bit machines like the coco or the apple II or whatever until later in life just because i became interested in them you know historically speaking so very cool very cool uh and a number of us are into a lot of different systems i have not gotten yeah. into the commodore myself but i know mark overholzer has mentioned he's got a handful of commies in his collection um i know uh, i'm not sure if simon's going to join us but simon jonason started in, uh, one of our coco nuts he started in the c64 demo scene and has been uh, trying to get a color computer demo scene going. And uh, Jim Brain's out there trolling us in the live chat. Uh, okay, now he says he's going to get his microphone. Okay, so Jim Brain from Retro Innovations will be joining us shortly. He's our hey. Coco Commodore crossover guy since he makes hardware yeah. for that. Lots of respect for Jim. Yeah, well, don't let it go to his head. <laughs> don't tell him that. <laughs> Excellent. And um, and so when did you begin your illustrious career doing, you know, YouTube and, and kind of Internet media retro type stuff? Uh, well, believe it or not, it's been almost, well, I think, over 10 years uh, wow. ago. I started um, I started making uh, videos about uh, just random things, kind of, you know, with Macs and Amigas and C64s and stuff. Most of that content I've actually removed from my YouTube channel because actually removed that like three or four years ago because I, I looked back at it and I'm like, it was really cringeworthy, you know, for today's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, for the standards that we have today for, for YouTube. Uh, so yeah, I removed a lot of that, but yeah, I, I started doing that as a hobby about 10 years ago. Wow. Do, do you, do you still have those old ones? Cause I mean, you know, far in the future as an archival thing, you know, like trying to find old Beatles tracks in the fifties <laughs> or something. I mean, it might actually be interesting to see how you progress. Yeah, I do. I do have some of it still archived. Yeah. Not all of it, 
But no, see, awesome. the real reason why he's asking is he's looking for dirt on you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm Canadian. I'm far too polite for that. So. Yeah. Well, at least to tell you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's that's cool of you to be able to admit to that too. But I think anybody who's been working in any craft or trade or hobby, you would probably look back and say, "Gosh, when I started, I was you know." If you if you take up watercolors or anything, pencil sketching, where you began to where hopefully you end up, you would see some progression in that. So yeah, uh, that's true. And something that I have to often point out to people is that I still get a lot of criticism today uh, for my video quality or my audio quality or my editing quality or narrating, you know, all kinds of little different nitpicks about uh, the production quality of, of my show. And the thing that I always tell people is that in order to be successful on YouTube, all you really have to do is have production quality that is 99% better, or sorry, that's better than 99% of everything else out there on YouTube, which is not actually that hard to do if you consider how crappy most of the YouTube <laughs> yeah. are out there. It is amazing, uh, yeah. And yeah. so 10 years ago, uh, the bar was even lower than it is today because there were far fewer people trying to do professional type content on YouTube. So uh, even though those videos are cringeworthy today, when you look at them, they really weren't that bad 10 years ago. And that's one of the reasons that the channel gained subscribers uh, back then. If I had started a video t a channel today with that same level of quality, I, you know, I wouldn't get any subscribers at all. <laughs> the bar was just, the barrier to entry back then was was way easier. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Just I was just going to suggest if you get people that are trolling like that, you know, like, you know, dissing your abilities on editing, et cetera, just send them over and watch an episode or two of our show and, and you'll look at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and I know I don't doubt that some of those people are better at, you know, for example, the guys nitpicking my audio, they're usually like audio engineers or something like that, right? So, you know, I just have to explain to these people, look, I have like, you know, you have one job to do. You're an audio engineer. I have like, 30 jobs to do to produce these videos and I have to be decently good at all of them and you know you're just good at one thing <laughs> so right. you know, if they sometimes they'll just keep persisting and I'll, I'll often I'll finally get fed up with it I'll say well look you just start your own YouTube yeah, channel exactly. yeah. a million yeah. subscribers. Yep. you can come back and tell me how you know to do it and I'll <laughs> you know I'll follow yeah. your lead <laughs> on, on you know, I, I really do what? I really do think you are uh your videos are pretty well polished. Yeah, uh, I really, I really do enjoy watching them. So, <laughs> thank you. Well, we all know that comments on YouTube are a little unfair. Yeah, yeah so I was just going to uh, say yeah, that, just, Steve. Yeah, that, that's yeah. that's kind of being nice about these jerks, but still, they're worse uh, the paper they're written on. Well, I, I still remember when I was doing Super Nintendo stuff. There was an audio engineer that would review all the cartridges that got submitted from third party, and the guy was known to be hard if a particular sound effect didn't come in right or there was a a slight chance that there was a distortion the game got rejected and he wouldn't tell you why you got and you have to go through the entire game to figure out what he's complaining about and he then on madden uh football he nixed it ea complained and got the guy fired uh. but the guy <laughs> the guy, guy was such a perfectionist that everything had to be perfect. So yeah, just you in every field, there's going to be the critics that are just ridiculous. Yeah. Well, and well, on the internet, on the internet, it's easy to hide behind the keyboard. That yeah, and exactly. you also have to exactly. keep in mind that when when people comment on a video, uh, most of the time, if 
they're only going to comment if they either have you know some emotional response to the video that's either negative or or, or uh, positive. If they just watch the video and they're you know mildly entertained like everybody else, they're not going to bother to comment. They're only going to comment if they got something negative to say or something really positive to say. And most of the time, it's negative. But you know, yep. that's, yeah, yeah, they might click a like button, but that'd be as far as the you know the casual. Yeah. So I always kind of have to remind myself of of like my time working at uh, AST uh, tech support. You know, I used to get calls every day from people who had problems with their computer. And, you know, this one customer one time asked me, he says, do you guys get a lot of calls with problems with these computers? And I had to think about it for a second. I says, well, you know, I'm a little biased in that because nobody ever calls up here and waits on hold to tell me how good their computer's working. So we only hear, you know, one side of the story all the time. So there's a little bit yeah. of a disconnect there. You don't get the whole picture, right? Yeah, whatever the opposite color of rose-colored glasses is, that's what right. you got. Uh, tech, right. Hey, tech support, I was just calling to say how awesome this machine is. I just wanted yeah. you guys to know. Yeah. Much love. <laughs> and I really love waiting two hours to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think the biggest problem too is a lot of the people that are YouTubers or comment on YouTube are millennials who wouldn't know a good computer if it slapped them in the face. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. And true. don't realize that half of the systems that are running and half of the programmers that got all these good programs up and running were our generation. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Uh, we got one comment in the live chat from Tim Franklin. He says, my only compl- complaint about uh, is there's not enough of them when it comes to your videos. So. <laughs> See, there's a reason yeah. for your back catalog right there. No, yeah. Paul Fiscarelli <laughs> had a question, too. What's that? Paul Fiscarelli had a question also. What was that? Go ahead. Uh, about uh, David's game. Oh. Okay. What want... was the question, though? I'm going to go back to the... Uh, sorry, I'm jiggling five screens here. So um, did, 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 that was on the Planet Planet X3, wasn't it? Yes, Planet X3. Oh, yep. Any, is there a Cocoa version of Planet? Might there be a Cocoa Co- Computer 3 uh, version of Planet X3? And that's Jim Brain who's finally joined us. Hey, Jim, welcome. Hey. So um, I could ask questions like that all the time for various different platforms. Uh, you know, oh, is there going to be an Amiga version? Is there going to be an Atari ST version? Is there a Cocoa version, et cetera? And uh, one thing I just kind of have to explain to a lot of people is um, that there, you know, this game is, I mean, it's not like writing a modern game where you're using like, um, you know, a programming language like C or something like that. And then you have like all these libraries where you, you know, a person could write, for example, a game on a Windows PC and, and it's not too difficult to port to a Mac because you have like most of the same libraries and stuff available. And, but when you're writing a game that where you're talking directly to all of the hardware, it's a monumental task to rewrite that game for another platform. And most of you guys know that already, but just, you know, for those who are listening, um, uh, the, um, difference. the, the port to, especially when you're going to an entirely different, um, uh, CPU, because I mean, these games are written in assembly language. So, you really can't even uh, save any of the code. All of the code has to be rewritten. The only thing you might be able to save is some of the graphics, but even then, if you're going to a different graphics chip or sound chip, the way that those graphics have to be designed, custom designed is, is you almost have to start from scratch for everything. So, yeah. Um, yeah, like lack of a sprite chip and going to the straight bitmap, and you know, it's just a ton of issues too. Yeah, so uh, I am going to release the source code to Planet X3 uh, soon probably in the next couple of months and you know i know there's a sega genesis port in progress right now um but you know 
I'm not going to be personally doing any ports to any of the systems because it took me a year to write the game the first time and it would take me probably at least a year to port it to something else. And I've got other projects I'm working on right now. So no, I don't, I'm not going to be porting it to anything else, but that doesn't mean somebody else won't do it uh, with the, with all the source code and tools and stuff available. So no, that's cool. Okay. So you, you have no problem with somebody else doing a port, not that I'm volunteering or anything at this moment, but <laughs> no, I would have actively encourage it actually. So yeah. Okay. Now, you mentioned other projects. Um, I know you're working on a new computer, and uh, I'd be curious to hear a little about that and the people you're working with on that. Yeah, actually, one of the people that we're working with is uh, right here in the group, which is uh, Jim Brain. Um, he's uh, part of our little development team. Um, he's mostly just been, you know, advising and <laughs> criticizing <laughs> he's, he's I, good at that yeah, right. I, i'm excellent at that I, <laughs> but, yeah. uh, my favorite subject Jim. but i always listen to whatever he has to say i don't always necessarily do what he says but uh you know he's uh, i very much respect jim and his uh, opinion and his uh, level of knowledge and uh, whatnot but uh, sometimes his goals are a little different from what mine are yeah. so um but uh yeah i'll be happy to i mean that could i could talk about that for like three hours so um i don't necessarily know that that's a good idea so uh just whatever you want to know about specifically uh yeah we're calling it the uh, commander x16 uh which is basically just to summarize the project i'm trying to create a modern uh commodore 64 so to speak uh when i say modern i want it to be built off with all off-the-shelf parts right so you don't have to go out and source like old uh, vic chips or sid chips or something like that and i'm not looking for any level of compatibility with the c64 so it's not like going to run the same games or anything like that uh, because we're having to use different video and sound chips. But I want the experience of the computer, like when you boot it up, I want it to look exactly the same, you know, all the, the kernel and the basic and everything to operate exactly the same. So as an example, like anybody who's familiar with like the Commodore VIC-20 or the 64 or the Plus 4 or the 128, I mean, they're all incompatible with each other and, and the PET 2 for that matter, but they all still run this. They're all the same kernel for the most part and they the look and feel and operation of the computers are very similar and they will actually load each other's programs to a certain extent like if you write a program that's all basic that doesn't use any graphics or sound you can run that program on a vic 20 or a c64 or a plus four unmodified without you know any changes whatsoever and that's that's the level of compatibility that this is going to have so in many ways you might say it's like um it's just like going to be another member of the commodore family of computers right okay. so that's, you want the experience of the Commodore 64 without actually making another physical clone of. Right. And that allows us to change a lot of the things about it in what I think is a little bit of a positive way. In fact, it's going to be considerably more powerful than a C64. It's going to run at least eight times as fast. It's going to have a lot more RAM. It's going to have a lot better video capabilities. Uh, the sound is, well, I wouldn't necessarily say better. It's going to be different. <laughs> um and uh but uh, yeah it should give the same programming experience and the same user feel and experience of, of using one so that's that's kind of the goal of this project are, are you going to be planning on expanding the basic itself then to accommodate all these extra features that you're adding onto it to make it as easy to program so that's it's not as much of a transition for a programmer well um okay so that's a bit of a complicated topic um let me try to summarize that as, as easy as possible so the first and primary goal is to get it running basic v2 which is the same version of basic that runs on the vic 20 and the c64 and that of course never had any graphics or sound 
commands or anything like that. People always had to use poke and peek statements to access the graphics card, which has pros and cons to that. The con, of course, is it makes it more difficult to program stuff in basic. But the pro or the benefit of that is it teaches you how the chips work. So when you move to assembly language, it's almost like second nature how to how to program those chips. So, but uh, the first goal is to get basic V2 running and then kind of a, a stretch goal would be to get um, some other form of basic that, that would have uh, more commands and, and more user friendliness to it. In fact, I would like to have something that's uh, very similar to the Maximite computer where you basically just type edit and you go into like a full screen editor and you can have like labels, and, you know, ditch the line numbers, uh, stuff like that. Uh, that's kind of the ultimate goal. Uh, but you know, and it may not even get there on the first revision of the product. <laughs> uh, but th- that's kind of where I'd want to go with that. And I also want to have a built-in monitor, uh, like a machine language monitor. And I've got this really neat idea for how to make one that's um, kind of a hybrid between an assembler and a monitor, so that you can actually write decently complex programs uh, with the efficiency and speed of a machine language monitor, but with some of the features of a, an actual like assembler where you can use labels and stuff like that. So it's, it's kind of hard to explain, but, but anyway, yeah, I do. I want to make the programming experience a, a little bit easier. Yeah. Okay. Now, yeah. You're, uh, I'm assuming you're using a 65816 since you're talking about a lot more memory. Um, well, we were originally going to go with that, but now we're, we're going to use a 65 CO2. Yeah. Uh, we're going to, uh, the the way that we're this this computer is going to have uh, what we call low RAM, which is uh, the uh, the base system memory uh, that'll cover the first sixty four k, so to speak. And then we're going to have what's called high RAM. We're just this is just words we're making up, but uh, yeah, it's basically going to be one bank of eight k, or I say sorry, one little window of eight k inside the main sixty four k address map, and that bank can be banked two hundred fifty six times. So it can have up to two megs of uh, memory available through that little 8K window. Okay, so a single single 8K window, though, not a, an MMU like the Coco 3 has where you can remap all eight 8K blocks to whatever. No, it's just it. a single 8K window. It's kind of dedicated for that purpose. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I, would, I would jump in and just say, I think one of the things the folks need to understand, especially since being um, broadcast, is the team, as I've kind of seen it from kind of being maybe not in the front seat of it, um, designing a computer, even though you're using what essentially is 80s technology, um, can be a little bit daunting. And especially in light of David's um, wanting to use maybe not necessarily period correct chips, but not move everything into an FPGA, right? The goal was not to have just a computer in a, a you know, Verilog or VHDL or whatnot. Um, <clears throat> but as you work with actual physical ICs, um, there's a lot of learning curve that folks in like Tandy or in the Commodore arena, like folks like Bill Hurd or whatnot, they had to deal with, you know, setup times, hold times, what kind of maximum speed you can use and whatnot. And I think one of the goals of the project is to run it significantly faster than one megahertz. So eight or, or maybe even faster than, than eight megahertz. Um, the way that the 65 C18 does its, additional addressing is a little bit interesting and it creates a significant additional amount of complexity for um, computer design. So I think David and the team have, they started down that path and then have kind of regrouped around, you know what, let's make sure that we have a version one of the solution that is, um, you know, not going to just be a stillborn 
computer systems. So let's focus on the let's focus on the eight bit. Sixteen-bit uh, uh, address space of the of the sixty-five hundred two. Um, although I will tell you that because I'm you know constantly criticizing everything that I see, um, <laughs> I'm trying to provide some constructive criticism. But I I, I did uh, tell folks that it would be really nice to have um, at least one of the capabilities that's available in the uh, the Tandy color computer line, which is the um, which is the Slim B capability, the, the being able to push out uh, a lot of the um, address space of the environment from the cartridge port so that you can do some different things. So while David's commenting on the standard capabilities of the machine, the hope, at least from my point, my part is that there's these uh, advanced capabilities that are not natively uh, enabled on the platform, but have some hooks so that folks who want to try to go in that direction or even the original design team, because the 6502 and the 65816 have pretty much the same footprint. Dave had been talking on the on the channel about the idea of let's get it working with 6502, and then at the very least, we might be able to put the 65816 into the environment, even though the address space is going to be still set with the 64K space. But once you do that, then you know there might be even you know, more interesting things. And I think, David, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think one of the ideas as part of this experience of having this computer system is the fact that some people will want to play around in the software side of it and then other people want to play around in the peripheral part of it. So the hope is to have something for both of those sets of people, people who want to kind of push the existing hardware and then folks who want to attach other things to the hardware, maybe even additional memory expansion capabilities like the MMU functionality found in the Coco 3. Yes, I would say that is that is an accurate statement. And um, one of the, the goals of this project that uh, I can't understate enough is that I wanted to make a computer that was um, simple enough that I, I could see this computer being used in like computer science you know, classrooms to teach people, oh, here's how a basic computer architecture works. And that's one of the reasons I, I didn't, you know, that's one of the reasons I finally slammed the hammer down on some of the feature creep <laughs> that we were having because, <laughs> you know, everything that we added uh, added additional complexity. And the 65816 specifically added an enormous amount of complexity. And I would also say not necessarily uh, complexity, but question marks, like, is this actually going to work type thing. And so what we finally ended up doing is um, Kevin, who's designing the board, um, I told him, I said, uh, why don't we just take the architecture of the Commodore VIC-20? We've got the schematics here. Let's just rip out the VIC-2 chip because we don't need that anymore. And we don't need the, uh, the, the fact that it shares memory every other cycle with the uh, CPU. We don't need that anymore uh, because our uh, video chip doesn't work that way. So Kevin basically copied most of the schematics right from the Commodore VIC-20, uh, then made modifications as, as needed. So the VIC-20 is a really, really simple architecture. Uh, so we're at this stage where we've gone from uh, the board we were designing was kind of like, I don't know, like I, I like Jim, what he said, he said, stillborn. I think that's what it was going to be because I don't think it was going to boot when it worked and or when we powered it on. And I don't think after a year of troubleshooting, we'd still get it to boot. So uh, um, with, with the design that we have now, it's based off of pretty much things that are already known to work. And so I think that's going to eliminate a lot of the question marks and uh, hopefully give us a a system that's not stillborn. <laughs> yeah, you don't have to deal with uh, multiplexed address lines and all that stuff. Yeah, right, right. And there's, 
one of the things that's also interesting about this, you know, David started up, I don't remember when your first uh, video was around wanting, you know, kind of the genesis of the idea of wanting to have a, a simpler machine that used, you know, real circuits as opposed to being, you know, all um, uh, virtual or whatnot. That, that video came out a, a while ago. And then for a while, there was um, a project that kind of started up from a person who was watching the videos um, who said, oh, that's a great idea. I want to start up a project of that, that nature. That, I think that project is now called the Phoenix 256. Correct. Um, and I think you and I can't think of the, name, the lady's name. that, that uh, um, Stephanie. Stephanie, that's right. Stephanie. So I've met Stephanie. I met her last year, last year at one of the Las Vegas uh, expos. But she kind of went full steam ahead. But her goals started to significantly diverge from yours. And so you had to kind of – so you've already kind of pulled the project back a couple times. One is kind of that pull back to say, wow, that project is going to be – when it's done, it's going to be like $300. It's got four or five FPGAs on it. That's really not what I was looking for. And of course, she's moving on with her effort, which is great, I'm, I'm sure. But then starting down this path, having an 816 idea, feature creep, kind of pulling it back into the the kind of uh, Vic, uh, sorry, Vic 20 kind of with some additional capabilities. And then along the way on the Facebook group, if, if folks, and I can't put the link in there, but there's a Facebook group where um, David and the group kind of tell folks where they are with the project. There's been like two or three other folks and they're like oh i'd like to go off in this direction so it, it i don't know how one should necessarily feel about that um i think i choose to feel good about it um although you know there's probably some some struggles there but it seems like this idea has caught a lot of people's interest and so there's kind of david's vision for where his machine wants to go or where he wants to go with his idea and then there's kind of all these kind of other things that are kind of sliding off to the side or splintering off. Um, I, the way I look at that is there's evidently a huge desire to have a machine that is this type of machine. It's not just a Raspberry Pi, but it's more, it's more powerful than an Arduino or whatnot. So it kind of fits in a specific space. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I've been, to be honest, completely amazed at the number of people that have joined the Facebook group for the Commander X16. I think there's over 8,000 members on there now. Wow. You know, when I first announced that Facebook group, you know, I thought there might be a couple hundred people join up on there, but there are just so many people that are interested in uh, this project. It's really blown me away. And uh, I will take an opportunity to say one um, thing, though. Um, I originally, I did a video about this, I think, late last year, and I'd stated the goal was to be able to produce a board for you know, and sell it for around $50. And unfortunately, that part of the goal is probably, um, well, delayed, I should say, because uh, what we're going to do now is we're going to make a board that's out of real chips, and they're all going to be dip package chips. Um, some, a lot of these chips are available in surface mount, but I just thought, you know, everybody wants the dip package chips because it's old school and it's easy to hack and it's, you know, <laughs> it's easy to work on and it makes it more visibly like you can look at the board and actually see better how things work. And so that's the route we're going with the first generation of the project. But I do hope to come back and do, especially since there seems to be so much demand for it, and do some cost-reduced versions later. Like we could move a lot of these chips to surface mount and 
get some get some of it prefabricated that would probably drop the price some and then eventually we might put the whole thing in an fpga um, and i don't mind doing that um, i didn't want the whole like i don't mind doing that um later like having an fpga version that you could sell for you know 50 bucks like a raspberry pi basically but i didn't want it to be based on a non-existent computer i wanted the architecture to be based on something that was real and so i felt like we needed to build the real thing first and then later we we could put it all in an fpga and and uh, maybe have a, like a ram chip or something and a you know just whatever is absolutely necessary to to be able to sell it uh, cheaply so that's kind of the different stages that we're going to take this project so do you want this to be just a board or do you want to be able to put it inside some kind of a case that looks retro? Well, um, I would love to have it inside of a case that looks retro, but um, just from a perspective of what's realistic, uh, being able to do it on a budget um, is uh, we're, we're going to try to make it uh, like mini ATX or maybe even uh, later versions might be ITX so that you could put it in a, a standard off the shelf case that like you might put a PC board in. Is the goal to run uh, the same basic as a v- 64 or version 2? Yeah. Yeah. So in theory, like if you had, say, like a text adventure game that was written in basic on the 64, it actually should run on this computer unmodified without any changes whatsoever. And, I mean, you'll even be able to plug in your disk drive, your 1541 disk drive, if you want, and, and actually load the game right off of it and play it. Wow. So that's that's kind of the level of compatibility we're looking for. But I think it's important to note is. <laughs> I mean, maybe I'll just put a thing in here. I know, I, I know David's been frustrated by this, and I know I see a lot of the frustration on. So there's a public-facing Facebook page that where kind of public, um, you know, information is disseminated, and then there's some there's private areas where the developers are talking and whatnot, and, and no end of consternation around the um, the community. Maybe maybe that's a little bit too harsh, but but on the Facebook page. David or, or Kevin or Lauren or some of the other folks who are kind of core members of the team will, will post a public thing. And David posted as well in his fact, you know, hey, it should, it, you know, we're going to start with a V2 um, a version of basic. And I, I, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, David, but I think everybody in Commodore Arena understands that basic V2 is kind of, that is the that's like vanilla ice cream, right? It's, it, it's, it's ice cream, but it's just barely ice cream. Right. And, <laughs> and um, right. And there's, there's no, there's no extra flavor it's, or anything, but you know, it's, it's a great base to start from other things. And if you want something basic, that's right. It's, if you want something that's just the simplest way to get something up and running and not have too high of goals, then, then uh, to get up something up and running V2 is a, is a good thing. V1 had bugs and V2 is just it. But I, but I think people took that as that was the only basic that they were going to put onto the environment, something that was V2 compatible. And of course, since we're in a Coco show, obviously the color computer crowd, one of the things I've noticed is they, oh my goodness, basic V2 is like cooking with stones. And, and <laughs> so, you know, I, 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 very quickly, I think the dev team was like, no, no, we're just going to start there. And then we're going to start adding, you know, just like uh, the color computer did. And they color basic and there was extended color basic and then just extended color basic. And there was all these things. And you got to crawl before you can run. That, yeah. That's right. But oh, my <laughs> goodness, the level of vitriol. Like, well, I'm not going to. This project sucks because it's only going to have this antiquated basic. And the same thing is true, like for the video, the, the audio chips and whatnot. So, you know, David, you may want to take this opportunity because I have a feeling that 
folks from the Facebook group will probably find this video. You might want to let them know what you really would like them to not do in the Facebook group, because I see all the time you guys are like, listen, for the 50th time, we are not using an FPGA or sorry. One of the things that I guess I should back up. One of the things that they want that David want to do is in the sound arena, at least he wanted to use chips that were either that were still sourceable. Right. So there's a whole bunch of great sound chips, um, Sid and, and, you know, there's a whole bunch of, uh, Yamaha chips that are awesome and whatnot, but very, very few of them are actually sourceable today. Like you can get an actual current source for those chips in quantity. Um, Yeah, yeah, it's right. In quantity, as opposed to just new old stock or whatever. And so one of the early things was we might bend this if we can't find something, but we are going to give huge preference to something that we can source at quantity right now, today. And right after that, people are like, Hey, what about putting the SID in there? And you're like, <laughs> excuse me, did you not read the last sent- sentence I said? Where in the well, world is that? A bunch of SIDs. They'll they'll often say stuff like, "Well, what about the FPGA SID?" Well, it's like those are like seventy dollars a piece. You know, how are we going to put that in a product we're trying to sell for fifty dollars? You know, so so yeah. And and to go back to to something Jim was talking about there. So the reason that we're going with Basic V two is well, for one thing, because I think it's in the spirit of the C sixty four and the Vic twenty, but also because we're trying to have, or at least I am trying to have realistic goals, like because that was kind of the, one of the things I keep talking about. I have to keep reining this project in because every time we add a new thing to it, well, suddenly the development cycle gets twice as long. And so I'm trying to make something that's realistic that we can actually produce like within uh, a year, right? And rather than, uh, because it's a small team, right? And a lot of other people on this team are working in their spare time, including me really, because my main job is making videos. So um this is something that, you know, we want to be realistic with what we can develop in a short amount of time. And, and when we say basic V2, basically what we're saying is Microsoft basic. It's uh, very similar to the basic you'd find on the Apple II, uh, for example. Um, obviously, the screen editor is very different, but it's, you know, very similar basic. Um, and I think, yeah, the, and then, I think the color computers, the, the basic that's in color computer had its origins with Microsoft as well. Is that not correct? Yes, it, it, is. it is Microsoft yes. basic. It's, it's yeah. got yeah. SureGet and SureGet. Kind of, the Cocoa Basic is kind of the predecessor to GWiz Basic on the IBM PC because a lot of the graphics commands and stuff actually came from the Cocoa yeah, first. The standard uh, color basic is pretty much what the Commodore 64 has. And uh, MC10 has kind of the same thing. I mean, there might be a couple, you know, difference in commands and things like that, but they're pretty much the same. Yeah. The uh, interpreter design is very much the same. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to something like the uh, Sinclair, which has like a totally different basic. <laughs> it's yeah. very different. Yeah. Wow. That's when you boot up a Coco one, it actually comes up and it says copyright Microsoft 1980 or 1981 on a, on a Coco one. Yep. Uh, oh, anyway, the thing I was going to say, though, is what I haven't talked about a lot, so this may be news. I think Jim knows about this, but um, so not only do we have a banking section for that RAM window, but we're also the ROM we're putting in. Uh, technically, there's 16K of ROM space in the main address area of you know the main bus, but that's also bankable. And so there's going to be up to eight banks of that 16K ROM. So you can put entirely different kernels and different base, you know, types of basic or other completely different programs in that if you want. And uh, for example, I already have planned. Um, so uh, the second bank is going to be for that fancy ROM monitor I was talking about. 
And so, but yeah, uh, there's six more banks there. You could absolutely put uh, other flavors of basic or a lot of people have been talking about, oh, well, we want like fourth or something like that. Somebody else wants to write that. That's totally fine with me. We'll, we'll stick it in there. And so, um, and the firmware is flashable. So over time we could add more and more, you know, stuff to the, to the operating system. Does it bank the whole ROM at once? Uh, What do you mean? Um, The full 16K or is it an 8K window? It's it's a 16k window, so it banks the kernel and basic or whatever, you know, at the same time. So, so you couldn't keep an 8k core kernel on, say, the lower 8k, and then swap the upper 8k out for no various subchunks of functions. Yeah, you'd have to duplicate the kernel uh, in in ROM, which is you know we talked about that, and we talked about trying to split it up, but then this you know the complexity issue came up again with the board. We're like, ah, it's good enough. Let's just do 16k. Well, like you said, if you if you have a, a core kernel that's within the 16k that has basic functionality, you want across everything. But then you want your upper part of this each 16k. You want a section dedicated to doing graphics commands, for example. Then and then you have another one that does the basic core v2 basic. You could actually swap between those, keeping the main chunk, knowing what's going on between the two, and then you can you know slough off to the second 16k. Okay, go draw a circle and do some painting and whatever else type thing. Yeah, yeah, we thought about that, but. Um... Yeah, it's, it'll be a little inefficient because, like I said, you'll have to duplicate bits of the kernel. Yeah, but, yeah. but a, as you said, a, it runs eight times faster too. So I mean, the inefficiency may not be noticeable to the user whatsoever. So, yeah. isn't there a uh, a version four basic like they used in the Commodore sixty five? Yeah, well, they had the plus four, four, Commodore one twenty eight. Yeah, yeah. There's a whole bunch of them, and as as david mentions you know those could be ported as well it's just a matter of what is the bare minimum right. to make a viable yeah, product the, yeah the the plus four uh was the first one with an ex- extended basic and it it's pretty similar to the coco yeah yeah don't forget too what you were saying about the feature creep problem yeah right. you can go back people were saying on your youtube channel you can always turn around and say well if you think you can do it better Please feel free. <laughs> put that in. Put that in your project, right? So that's right. And the thing is, you've designed the hardware with these extra banks available. So if somebody does have the inclination to do so in the skill, they can. You're, yeah, you're not fact, limiting the hardware off a start to prevent in fact that. It has uh, four expansion card slots on it, so it's they work kind of similar to the expansion slots in an Apple II because each one has a slightly Yay. different address that's hard coded to that slot. <laughs> so uh that'll you know give people if you know somebody demands i want a midi controller for example well great make your own midi controller stick it on there you know sure. so uh, but we're not going to put that kind of stuff on the main board it's just it's just too much what will yeah. the video output be uh on the on the board okay so well you know we've gone through like three different chips so far uh, we started off with one and, and we that was kind of an off-the-shelf solution and we ended up kind of ditching that and uh, at the moment, uh, we're using something called a, um, well, it's called, we're calling it codenamed the Vera chip, and it's uh, designed by a guy named Frank in the Netherlands, and it's a, it's an FPGA, of course. That's the only FPGA that's going to be on the system is for the video, because there's just no other way to generate a modern video signal um, and interface it with a um, 6502, I mean, not with any off-the-shelf parts anyway. So that's the only FPGA in the system, and I told him, uh, Frank, that is, you know, to right now just concentrate on getting uh, text modes working and to get um, you know, the bus interface functional so that we can test it. And we literally just tested it like uh, two days ago it was the first time we ever powered it up and saw a video come out of it. And uh, what we've done, of course, is we put it on a little uh, 
development board for the Commodore 64. So it actually fits in the cartridge port of a Commodore 64. Hmm. And I can, um, so it actually has like dual displays because I've got the regular Commodore display on a TV here. And then I've got a VGA monitor sitting next to it that shows the display from the Vera chip. And so I've been writing some assembly code to, um, uh, you know, to display some stuff on the, on the Vera chip. And right now, like I said, it's got a few different text modes. The default is uh, an 80 by 60 with 16 colors Ooh. and it uses the default Commodore Petsky character set. And then of course it also has a 40 by 30 character set and a 20 by 16 character set uh, as, as our character mode, I should say. Um, so those, that's all it does right now. He's got a variety of bitmap uh, graphics modes, sprites and you know, smooth scrolling and all this stuff uh, planned for it, but none of that is functional right now. Okay. But V the actual connector will be a VGA D sub on the output of that then. For the, uh, yes, for the it display. also support, it also outputs S video and composite. Oh, cool, cool. And then, so since you're you're mentioning this is not going to go in a specific case, then what is going to be the uh, like keyboard, uh, joystick, and like serial interfaces? How are those going to uh, right. tap into yeah, it? Yes, so the keyboard will be uh, PS2. That's okay. the most easiest off the shelf thing to use. I know they're falling out of favor a bit, but you can still get them. And then uh, for uh, controllers, um, I think this was kind of my call, and there was like lots of debate over this uh, um and there's a lot of pros and cons but uh, record, i decided to i disagree go... <clears throat> what, what was that jim for the record i'm disagreeing with this upcoming decision he's making <laughs> <laughs> just so you know yeah <laughs> so i decided to go with uh, nes controllers okay and the reason for that <laughs> is a combination of reasons. <laughs> i'll let jim give his opinion after i'm done <laughs> um but the reason I wanted to go with NES controllers is because um, they're still made. Like, you can still get them. They're plentiful, and they're cheap. And uh, they only require, um, like, three um, I.O. lines because mm-hmm. they use a shift register. And then um, also because, I mean, people, just modern gamers, like, they don't like joysticks. I don't even like them anymore. I can't stand them. Uh, everybody wants, wants a gamepad. And I know you can get some gamepads, like the Genesis controller and stuff, that will fit in the C64, <laughs> but... Uh, most people want a game game pad that they can hold in their hand and also more buttons because the C64 only had one button. And that really limited game creativity because it's like really hard sometimes to make some games that only have one button. And so I just thought it was time to, to move on uh, to, to something else. And, okay. um, anyway, so Jim, tell us why you hate that idea. I've mellowed a little bit. Um, I, I, I did push kind of hard for the nine pin uh atari slash commodore slash sega uh connectors um uh you know and i don't know that i it doesn't really matter it's david's choice as to which one it goes to i think there's some there's some you know there's some interesting thing that can be done on those i I like the fact that they're directly accessible except uh, the nes controller is a is a shift register based thing so it takes a little bit more effort to get data out of it david is correct though it it offers you the ability to, at least in the Super NES, um, the connectors, uh, or sorry, the, the the bitstream allows you to have 16 buttons of capability, and so that's nice, right? As opposed to you got five bits of data, and and uh, you know what do you want to do with them? Although I would counter that you can, if you twiddle the bits directly, you can get 31 uh, things in there by using it as a five-bit binary value. But um, whatever the case is. Um, I think my major issue around the NES controller or NES uh, standard is not necessarily the, the 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 digital part of it, 
but the connectors are so awful. I mean, they're those like these these trapezoidal barnacles that hang on the side of your printed circuit board. <laughs> so I. <laughs> So you're saying it's down to aesthetics? I, I well, I was just like, oh my gosh, those are, and they're they just look so hard to to acquire, and and they're so Not tall even. and everything. So, I, so I decided cool. I would I would meet David halfway, and that I would uh, I I'd be like, okay, if we're gonna do this bit shifting crap, then let's go ahead and do it. But let's at least do SNES connectors because they're these, you know, these kind of single row, much more palatable things, in my opinion. So. Um, so it's interesting you bring that up. That's actually one of the challenges that we've been, I mean, Kevin have been talking about for weeks now is uh, he can't not find those uh, like board mount, uh, you know, NES. Yeah. Yeah. I couldn't either. That's why I ended up connectors. picking up Super mm. NES. In fact, if you look at our board prototype uh, picture, we posted a picture of the board prototype on Facebook the other day. Uh, there aren't any joystick ports. We just have uh, two little five pin uh, pin headers sticking out of the board because for the time being, that's how we're going to have to connect them up until we figure out a solution. And one of the things we've talked about, and I don't really love this idea, but until we come up with a better idea, this may be the direction we go is just to use some kind of proprietary, like, mini din connector or something kind of like the plus four did or something like that um and just have to kind of roll your own controller uh connector i don't know we'll we'll have to figure out something so is Uh, there is there there no option i mean did you guys discard the idea of using the snes SNES connectors because i i found them you can get right angle pc mount ones I mean, I'd appreciate you if you'd send us uh, where you can get that at a, in quantity. And I think we did find some one one time, but they were like eight bucks a piece or something oh, like no, that. No, which, these are like fifty cents a piece. So yeah, if you if you could send that to me, I'd be very interested to see. But I was going to say, as a consolation to this whole thing, and and there's something kind of like an elephant in the room that nobody seems to talk about when it comes to the game controller situation, at least in my opinion, is that because we're going to be using a PS2 keyboard they're going to have real inverted T cursors, right? So like most MS-DOS gamers, they just use the keyboard for playing games and we'll be able to do that now. On the C64, nobody ever used the cursor keys for games because if anybody's ever used a C64, you know the cursor keys are not well suited for that. <laughs> um, so, you know, that's another consolation to the game controller situation. Yeah, the problem now, is, um... Oh, sorry. Some people prefer one controller. How many adapters then do you have to make to fit that as well to convert it over? Uh, sorry, can you repeat that? The other problem is like Jason Reichardt, one of the uh, fellow members, he creates adapters to run uh, game pads and Sega Genesis controllers and Atari controllers to work on the Coco. So it could be cross, cross uh, challenge that to do it to do it to input another controller on the same on the same plug with an adapter well i guess you could yeah um my question you're building this hardware it's going to have uh commodore v2 basic but the video chip is different to a commodore the sound chip is different you're using different controllers to the commodore Therefore, does that mean that there is no software for this? People have to basically write their own software. So, I mean, is that going to be a problem? I can see that being a problem to the success of the machine. If there is no software for the device, you're building all this hardware. But, of course, what do you run on it? 
<laughs> are you expecting people to sit there and write stuff in V2 Basic all of a sudden? I, I mean, I I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, so I'll I'll, uh, I'll I'll answer that question. Um, actually, yes, the entire purpose of this computer was for people who want to uh, learn to program or maybe even experienced programmers who want a new platform to code on. So yeah, this was this 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 computer is by no means targeted towards people who want to play Commodore games, right? Those people don't, don't even bother to apply. The product's not for you. <laughs> um, having said that, as a programmer myself, um, I actually like the idea of a new platform uh, to program on because, uh, well, let me give you an example. If you uh, bring a new programmer in and you sit them in front of a C64 and you say, yeah, write a, a game, like uh, just throw something out there, um, Tetris, right? Write Tetris. Well, um, they're, if they, especially if they're inexperienced, one of the things that's uh, very, um, what's the word, uh, demoralizing for people is when they sit down and they write a Tetris, for example. Well, now suddenly there's already like 400 versions of Tetris that have been written for the Commodore 64, and they're going to their their version is going to be compared to all of those. And so it's it's like I said, it's going to take a little bit of the fun out of it. But if you got a, a new platform and you sit down and write Tetris, well, you're the first person to write that on that platform. And so you don't have to worry about your code competing with everybody else's that's already out there. So there's a lot of advantages for new programmers to start on a, a somewhat new platform. But also um, to the second part of that equation is that, uh, and I haven't mentioned this yet, but so one of the, one of the goals uh, of the stages of this development is, um, you know, I told you earlier, we took the Vera video chip and it's now on a cartridge for the C64. Now, actually we're planning on mass producing that. Uh, so people will be able to buy these, stick them on their C64 and start writing code. Uh, and that code will be like literally uh, almost ready-made code for the Commander 16 uh, because all you have to do is recompile it with a few memory addresses changed in your source code and bam, now it's compatible with the, the new product. So, uh, and we're doing the same thing. We've got a little sound card uh, that plugs into the cartridge port that has the sound chips and we already have this uh, made as well. And so uh, people will have access to the sound and the video uh, on their Commodore 64s with these expansion products. And, and by the time the Commander 16 comes to market, uh, I'm sure there will already be at least a dozen interesting applications uh, written oh, for it. Oh, that's cool. So these, these cards are almost like a developer's platform for the new platform itself. Yeah. Yeah, I've been uh, the word I've been using, I'm kind of grabbing from the automotive industry, but I've, I've been saying we're using the Commodore 64 as a test mule, so to speak. <laughs> test mule. <laughs> yeah. And, and I, like, I like the fact that you're saying that, you know, this will be the opportunity for programmers to write the first of a game for this new new platform. And, and, and honestly, Nick has some experience with that because he wrote some of the games for the Maximite that you mentioned earlier, too. So, yeah. yeah. I, I'm pretty well one of the very few who ever did. Uh, and that, that's that's my argument that, you've got this new hardware, how many people are out there going to actually do programs? I I was one of the first uh, who did actually write a game. I wrote, um, well, I don't know if you've seen it, uh, David, uh, the Donut Dilemma game, oh, written in basic. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, it's pretty well one of the major ones uh, on, the, on the Maximite, which I wrote way back when it first came out. Well, I'm not aware of anyone else having done games or anything else. So they're all little tiny little programs, which, you know, most people don't know of, easily forgotten. Yeah. Well, so and that, that's, that's what I'm saying. You've got this totally new machine, different hardware, different um, video. It's only going to be a small market unless your board suddenly sells hundreds and thousands. Uh, how much software how many people are actually going to sit there and program it 
Right. So that's an excellent question. And believe me, we've had plenty of discussions about that. And, um, well, all I can say is there's a couple of things I can say about that. First of all, go to the Facebook group. There's 8,000 people on there that are eagerly awaiting, like posting little memes with like with uh, Philip Fry from Futurama saying, shut up and take my money. So there's definitely a lot of people that want the product. Uh, a lot of those people want to write programs. But the other thing that I think definitely separates this from the Maximite is that because these computers are, or this computer is going to be like a member of the Commodore family all of the existing programming tools that people are accustomed to using, whether they be cross compilers or, or whatever, uh, are, are going to work on this. And so it's a familiar programming environment uh, for people who are already Commodore coders. And so I think that alone is um, going to bring in a lot of uh, uh, people. Not only that, people who've already written games for like the C64, for example, some of those games would not be too difficult since they have the source code to just basically port them over, right? I mean, which with the Maximite, it's such a vastly different platform that, uh, and yeah, I mean, and, and another thing is um, just looking at the, well, I, I like to, to call it a critical mass, right? You have to have a critical mass of people using a computer before people uh, want to write software because they want other people to to use their software right so if you just you just write uh, a game for like an obscure platform there might be three people in the whole world that might actually play it but um i think there's enough momentum behind this um project that we're working on that there's going to be that critical mass uh so that there will be both people writing software and people enjoying playing it um, so. and didn't you say that the v2 is just the base you you want to be able to move up from there that was right just the yeah, start. that's like the uh, entry point well, right. I expect most of the games and stuff to be written in assembler, just like on the C64. And like I said, we have a plan for making assembler a little bit more accessible to people, which uh, we'll now, talk about. Do you have anybody working on a port of the the libraries for C6, uh, CC65, the C compiler? Not that I'm aware of. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, there might there were some folks who were talking about porting the. Uh, CC65 or um, not porting it, but but creating the libraries necessary to run on there in the Facebook group. But it's kind of hard to track since it's not part of the yeah. it's not part of the main development. Not part of the core right group. now. Yeah, it's hard to track. A lot of people come in to the Facebook group and they're like, "Hey, I'm going to work on you know X, right? I'm gonna I'm gonna do." There was for a while there were folks that were designing logos, and there were people that. Yeah. Are, you know, I mean, there was just everybody's got their thing they want to do. But once they announce that they're going to go do that thing, it's kind of hard to track what exactly they've made as far as progress on that. And unless they come back later and say, here's an example of something I've done. And I haven't seen yeah. anything on the Facebook group saying, OK, I've, I've created the libraries for the CC65. Yeah. And, uh, and one of the problems is it's just too difficult for people to really write anything right now because the product doesn't technically exist for one thing. Right. <laughs> and there's not even an emulator for it. However, that's going to change really soon because we both, we have an emulator that's in progress. And we also, um, like I said, when I start shipping out these um, video and sound cards, uh, people will suddenly have a piece of the platform they can start coding for immediately. And so yeah, that's all going to change in the next few months as things yeah. move. I think what we're not used to as well is we're not used to a community as large as the Commodore community. Like yeah. the, relatively speaking, the Cocoa community is pretty small. I think globally we might be two to 4,000 people and yeah. probably only a fraction of those are really active. Um, right. the, the fact you mentioned you've got 8,000 people in a Facebook group for this, that's huge. That That's critical <laughs> mass right there. And of course right. your YouTube platform is close to a million people. So you've got a very bright spotlight to um, 
to kind of promote this with. So um, yeah, and 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 because of that too, you also have a lot more active coders that would be interested in doing this. Whereas you know, our active coding yeah. people here is probably like a dozen or two that would have the yeah. capability of you know writing a lot of this stuff. So. Right. I I would say, I mean, not necessarily to close out that this question, but I think there's no real answer to it right now. Right. Um, the hardware, because of the goals are to to not try to use um, ICs that aren't in production anyway, like the SID chip and whatnot, um, the, the project necess by necessity has to pick other options, which means that the software is going to have to either be, you know, rewritten, ported, modified, whatever from the, from a Commodore base in order to make it work. And I think the team, essentially what I'm seeing at this point is even if they only sell 20 units to the, to the folks who just have to have it and then it ends up getting put in a shelf, the project team seems very committed to delivering the product. And so I think it'll just have to be, that will be the first step. And then if enough, to David's point, if enough people, there, there's critical mass of people who have purchased the product and enough fraction of those people um, are compelled to write the software, then it'll have a, it'll have a software um, library. And if it's not, then it won't. But I don't think the fact that, or I don't think the, the concern over not having software being written for the thing is going to dissuade the uh, uh, David and his team from continuing forward with this idea because I think then they'll if they don't go ahead and move forward with this they'll always regret it because it's like right. if we hadn't if we had finished this uh, computer that kind of fits in between the Raspberry Pi and and an Arduino type of thing and kind of have roots in the Commodore space if we had to finished it would people have come and enjoyed it. We'll never know unless we finish it. So what I see in the development group is we will finish, we'll commit to finishing it. And then if the community uh, uh, gathers around it, then great. And if the community doesn't gather around it, well, either way, we know our answer to our question. <laughs> and if I, I could just, if I could just add one more thing to what um, Nick was kind of saying, you know, like who's going to buy this, whatever. What David's been saying is I want a machine like what I had back in the 80s. I want to experience that. And what did we do with our machines back in the 80s? We programmed them ourselves. Yep. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's a big difference. Like when Mick was pointing out the Maximite and the fact that you would never really went anywhere, that was a brand new platform without so much backwards compatibility. You were starting from scratch there. Whereas in this case, the core CPU and stuff is the same as the Commodore 64. So there is a base of programmers that already are familiar with a good chunk of the hardware already. And that, like you said, when you give out the cards that add the video and the audio stuff that they can program for ahead of time before even getting the new computer, well, then you've got that whole jump on it. Yeah, that plus it's a, it's a 6502, and there's an immense amount of uh, existing code out there, whether it's for the Apple II or any of the other computers that use the 6502. And granted, not all that code is compatible, but like if you need like a – like if, you, if you're trying to write some program and you know, oh, I need, a, I need something to convert this – mathematical figure or something like that you can google it no look there's already some ready-made code to do that you know sure. <laughs> it's the work on any you, you're talking about 6502 in a color computer uh group uh we're used to a 6809 we don't <laughs> stoop, stoop down that that far is that right steve oh i've been avoiding comments like you wouldn't believe <laughs> <laughs> i think i've just I been grinning and bearing it, it hearing I about that the nice thing is, and, and David's probably not aware of this, but um, so a couple of years ago, maybe maybe it's been five or six years ago or so, maybe even longer, um, I know uh, Boise Pete 
ask some folks to see how they might put a 6809 into an Atari um, unit. The the Liber 09, I think is the name. Indeed, of the I think. Libra, um, yeah. yeah. Libra, okay. And so, I, you know, the the design, since the first version is going to be, from what I understand, an all uh, socketed dip version of the board. So the initial version one units are going to have that capability. Um, I I kind of am interested if anybody in the Cocoa community is going to grab a board because they're a Commodore enthusiast as well, and then they're going to play with it for a while with the 6502 in it, and they're going to be like, oh, let me see if I can get this old project, which stuffs a 6809 in there, and dump a 6809 in there and, and have a 6809-based um, unit. I Obviously, David, that's not David's goal, but, um, but, but with it being a dip uh, socket, you know the 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 world's your oyster right so you could you could try that sort of That's stuff an yeah or a z80 or whatever whatever floats your boat uh i that's one of the reasons I, that's one of the reasons <laughs> i wanted to do the the dip packages so that people could tinker with them yeah so coming coming back to the controllers the other problem you face it's now after 2015 back to the future too lied to us because they said we we're going to be using uh, video games where you don't use your hands. Right. <laughs> That's a baby's toy. <laughs> Are you telling me that Back to the Future did not accurately predict the future? I'm shocked. Shocked, I tell you. <laughs> well, as far as those controllers go, I definitely agree with going with the NES or Super NES because to get the extra three buttons on the Sega controller, you got to do all this weird timing. Where in the case of the uh, Nintendo stuff, you just shift the bits. Yeah. yeah. Steve used to be a friend of mine, but now he's not. <laughs> <laughs> well, your problem is strictly hardware. Mine is dealing with the software to read the stupid thing. Ah, whatever. <laughs> David, it turned into that us the, versus them on hardware and software, isn't it? <laughs> apart from the uh, Commodore world, uh, how how what's your familiarity with the uh the coco world the world where we have a real basic and a real cpu (laughs) (laughs) that'll start it (laughs) where's the mute button for their australian so i mean if you guys have watched my channel you know i have multiple different cocos i have uh, several coco ones coco two coco three um i think the most recent one i showed was the coco three when i hooked it up to an rgb converted tv um you know i'm i'm familiar with the machines obviously i'm uh, familiar with the their capabilities uh, i'm not a real huge fan of the one and the two i do like the capabilities of the coco three though in fact, the computer that I'm building will be very much on par with uh, the actually probably exceed some of those capabilities. Um, so, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't grow up with them. So, I mean, I'm not as familiar with them uh, as you guys are. But uh, I mean, obviously, I, I've spent a little bit of time behind the keyboard of them. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Actually, that brings up a question I was going to ask earlier when we we're talking about your show. Um, when you first started the channel, did you have just specific retro computers or, or computers in general that you were going and then you expanded to start covering the entire 8-bit era or was that your goal from the beginning? Yeah, that was my goal from the beginning. Um, I will say that there's a lot of computers people have asked me to cover that I probably never will uh, because they were never sold here. So I'm not likely to cover the MSX computers or the PC-88s or the 
some of the other uh, like a BBC micro or any of those kind of things that were not sold here in the US because they're difficult to get and I just don't know anything about them and I don't feel comfortable doing a video about something I don't know intimately so yeah anything that was sold here though I'm, I'm planning on uh, covering eventually I've okay. got a whole documentary plan on the cocoa but it's probably a year away at this point <laughs> uh, okay and then a follow-up question oh sorry go ahead I'd like to apologise on the on behalf of the Australian contingent. It is four o'clock. Well, sorry, five o'clock in the morning here now. I've been awake for the last twenty four hours. Oh. <laughs> this morning. Actually, Nick's that way all the time, so just don't worry about it. But you know, um, <laughs> my my follow up question is like, uh, I'm assuming that during the course of your YouTube channel, you've you've come across some computers that were new to you, uh, probably the Coco included. And I'm wondering, out of all the ones that you've done, you know, and it sounds like you're basically limiting yourself to the North American market because it's easier to get get them and, and try them out. What what is the ones, one or ones that you've been the most surprised that you know from your first impression to when you got into it, had things that were much more capable or, or much surprising or even, you know, just something that really surprised you about a machine that you weren't that familiar with. I'm probably going to say the Tandy 1000 um, because I did not have one of those as a you know growing up and um i remember uh, how, how should we put this um you know i remember playing the dos games and they would often have the tandy option in there and i remember the specifications always seemed underwhelming because you know i had vga systems by that point but what i didn't realize and i think i mentioned this in the documentary i did on the tandy 1000 is that when the tandy 1000 actually came to the market uh, it was actually really cool. It was really so far ahead of everything else. It was just it was just unbelievable. But uh, by the time I became like the first time I saw a Tandy 1000 was probably around like 1993. And a friend of mine had one. Um, and I went over to his house and saw it. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is not because he had like a 1000 HX, I think that was not very impressed with it at all. But I didn't know at the time that it was like you know, very old, like that computer had come out almost like what, seven, eight years earlier. So uh, looking back uh, after getting into the Tandy 1000, I'm, uh, you know, very impressed with it uh, for what it was at the time. The okay. uh, good thing about the Tandy 1000, there was one version of it that had uh, dual um, digital analog converter for it for sound. And a lot of uh, DJs were actually using it. And a lot of uh, sound production people were using it for sampling as well. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. yeah, the the TX. So yeah. speaking of Tandy stuff, uh, one of the things I had mentioned to um, oh man, I'm sorry, I forgot your name. Uh, the guy who called me to Steve, uh, me. Stevie. Yeah, yeah. Um, that I probably should talk about while I'm on here is this whole thing with computer reset. How many of you are familiar with that? This I is the, the warehouse. Yeah, yeah, the big warehouse. Yeah, I wish Richard was here. Richard's in Texas too. Richard Lorbieski. There, there was a video just released. That's a huge warehouse of like a whole bunch of old hardware and software that's been just been boxed up for years and years. Is that the yeah? One we're talking yeah, and that's right here in town. I've been to it, and uh, I actually been there well before LGR produced the video on that. Uh, so yeah, I was uh, I was gonna maybe talk a little bit about that and answer any questions because I've just seen so much discussion about that on the internet lately. I, I figured you guys would probably want to hear some firsthand <laughs> feedback from it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Sounds like a good thing to do when we come back from our break. Yeah, so how about we take uh, we'll take about a two-minute uh, commercial break, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about that. That way everybody has a chance to go potty, whatever you got to do. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, good segue. 
All right, guys. So we also have we have a new segment from Coco Thoughts. We'll go ahead and air this one. Um, so for those of you not familiar with Samuel Gimes, he's got a segment he's been producing for us called Coco Thoughts. So we'll lead in with Coco Thoughts. We'll take a commercial break. I'm going to run a commercial for our Coco Forever uh, spot since we just celebrated that last weekend too. And then we'll be back in about two minutes. So thanks everybody. And thanks for being here, David Murray. And so we'll yeah. be right back. And now Coco Thoughts by Samuel Gimes. Most times, I can think of something funny, but occasionally, I can't. Viewers think the opposite. <laughs> hey, have you got your Coco 3 yet? Hi, this is Rick Adams, author of Temple of Brahm and Shanghai. And you've tuned into Coco Talk, the nation's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. What's going on, everybody? Original gamer Stevie Stroh here. And if you're a fan of vintage computing and retro gaming, then you're going to love our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. There you will find custom designs by Instagram artist Joel M. Adams. You can get I'm a Coconut, Coco Talk, and other cool video game images on a t-shirt, coffee mug, or mouse pack. So if you love retro, then head on over to the retro swag shop at 8bit256.com today. Tell them the original gamer Stevie Stroh sent you. Radio Shack TRS-80 put the world of color computing into your home. Instant loading program packs turn any color TV into an exciting game arcade. And there's more. The color computer is an educational aid, a home management tool, and up-to-the-minute electronic information service. The programmable, expandable TRS-80 color computer from $399 only at Radio Shack, the biggest name in little computers. Hi, I'm Bruce Moore, and this is... Jacob Moore. Jacob Gotcha. And we are the Forest of Doom guys, and the Coco Forever guys, and we are Coco Fest, and we love Stevie Stroh. Imagine a different world. A world where Tandy Corporation has the upper hand. Where the Coco surpassed all competitors. And all you have to do is travel back in time without making a single mistake. Coco Forever. definitely earn this office. Yes, you're too kind, and thank you. You want to grab some food before we head back and look at that alt-reality OS9 module? <laughs> it's only a 40 years past due, but yeah, sure. How does it feel? I'm still Radio Shack, America. 
Computer shopping has never been better at Radio Shack. Here's proof. Our new ultra-high-performance 386SX 20 megahertz computer with 85 megabyte hard drive, only $12.99. And it's from Tandy, manufacturer of the best-selling PC compatibles in America. Or get a 286-based Tandy home office computer with color monitor and hard drive, only $899.95. Shop your friendly nearby Radio Shack. Great selection, superior service. Nobody compares. We now return you to Call Call Talk. All right, we're back. Hopefully everybody was able to take care of that biology break. Uh, good stuff. Lot, lots of good stuff to talk about. Um, we're back. Who's still on the panel here? We've got our Apple guy. Mark Overholz is still here. We got. Are we, do we have one Canadian on the show this week? No, we have two. That's right. Nick, oh, Nick Marotta's yeah. here. Yeah, I'm just used to many. I'm used to like the United Nations here. So we've got David from Australia. Got still got three Australians. We got two Canadians. We're missing our our Denmarkian. I don't know what the hell you call people from Denmark. And Danish. Dane. I thought a Danish was what you had for breakfast. Okay. So um, yeah. we just call them mad. <laughs> we got Jason's here. Yeah. Everybody's still here. David Ladd's here. Chad has been trying to keep Nick Morenti's under control. So, uh, <laughs> thank you, Chad. Yeah, we have I'm a. Gonna throw so, up what's that? You gonna throw a boomerang? Yeah, gonna throw a boomerang <laughs> at him. So yeah, Nick Morenti's is uh, known for being a naysayer for for many things. So we apologize for that. Um, matter of fact, we we have. <laughs> Except, so, except, for veg, except for Vegemite. Except for, yeah, he's a big fan of Vegemite, right? So um, so we're back. All right, so we were talking about a big giant warehouse, a retro candy store. Yeah, so you uh, want me to give a little summary of this place? Yeah, for those please, who please, haven't please. Seen. <clears throat> so um, uh, I was first invited to this place uh, about a year ago, and I'm in the Fort Worth area. This is over on the far other side of Dallas, so it takes like an hour for me to drive over there. But, you know, I drove up to the store, and I'm like, well, this doesn't look very impressive. I mean, from the street, it just doesn't really even look that big. But you go inside, and uh, <laughs> uh, I was just blown away uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, first of all, I mean, it was still a functional store at the time. I say store. I, I mean, I think they did most of their business online at this point. I, I got the impression they were selling, like, modern, like, Dells and stuff, you know, but probably off-lease PCs and stuff on eBay and things like that. But there's, like, I don't know huge number of rooms in the front of the store and they're all just piled to the ceiling with old computers and then there's a warehouse in the back that i'm told is thirty-eight thousand square feet and i don't i don't doubt it and it's just piled from floor to ceiling with mountains of old computers and um it's uh it's it i don't even know how to explain it i uh, i saw a lot of neat things there i didn't personally buy anything because i've, I've kind of got the situation where i don't have any room to bring anything else in the house but uh, I was going there with somebody else who I was helping them look for something. And um, first of all, the place is not safe. I mean, it's like <laughs> going, It's like, you know, a lot of people have compared it to Indiana Jones, right? I mean, you're going to go in this warehouse. It's dark. They don't have any functional lights. I mean, they used to have lights, but uh, all the, the fluorescent tubes have burnt out like probably 20 years ago. And, and you can't replace them because there's no way to reach them because there's nowhere <laughs> to put a ladder. Oh my gosh. And so there's no way, unless you wanted to, I don't know. I don't know. There's there's probably just simply no way to get up there and replace any of the lights in any of the room. There's, I mean, I thought about it. I, I looked up at the lights. I'm like, how could you get up there and replace those? And you just can't because <laughs> there's just no stable place to set a ladder anywhere. 
And so the place is dark. Uh, they don't have any air conditioning in most of the buildings. So in Texas here, of course, like in the summer, it's extremely hot. So and it's everything is just totally dirty. Like, I mean, it's just layers and layers of filth, rat turds, rat pee, <laughs> uh, probably asbestos and, you know, who knows whatever else around uh, all over this stuff. And so <laughs> it's it's quite an adventure to go through there. And, you, you know, like I said, you got to take a flashlight and it's <laughs> and. Well, word started getting around, and and you you might ask the question, well, why did why did it take so long for word to get around? I mean, this place has been there for 30, 40 years. Uh, I think I think what's been going on is the the store kind of I don't know it must have reached some kind of level where they just thought that the stuff they had in the back was just old trash, and nobody cared about it, and so they just concentrated on selling the new stuff, and and stuff just kept piling up, getting moved, and and I think from what I've heard the people that ran the store just literally didn't did not know that all of that vintage computer stuff was worth anything these days probably the last time they checked which was 10 15 years ago it probably wasn't worth anything <laughs> and so um they were getting ready to close the store down because it's been going downhill for a long time and they were talking about bringing a bulldozing crew in and just bulldoze the whole building and scrap all the computers just for scrap metal you know melt them down or whatever and the very few you know retro computer enthusiasts that knew about this place started posting about it online saying hey you know, anybody want anything from this place, you better get down here soon. And so it started making its rounds around the internet. And this, so uh, this, this was about six months after the first time I went there. And, uh, and so I started getting these huge number of emails and like every day I'd open up my inbox and there was like at least 10 or 15 emails. Hey, David, have you seen this place? And like, yes, I've seen this place. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so, I mean, I was hearing about it quite a lot and, to my irritation actually but uh yeah i mean i and i i'd probably go there once every couple of months with some friends just kind of like do a little hunt around or whatever but i think that's one of the things that the retro enthusiasts really liked about it is that it wasn't just the stuff you'd find because they'd sell this stuff for like pennies on a dollar i mean people were bringing out i just give you an example of a few of the times i went up there with people uh i know for a fact somebody got like an amiga 1000 I mean, other than being dirty, it was in perfect condition. They even, it even worked when they got home. I think they paid like 20 bucks for it. Oh, my God. So, wow. Uh, like they had a lot of TRS-80 and Cocoa stuff in there, and people were buying that for $5, $10 a unit or whatever because the, the owners didn't have any idea what the stuff was worth. They just, you know, they'll take whatever for it. In fact, um, a few of the guys I went up with, they actually told them, hey, you know what? You can load up your van for $500. Whatever you can wow. fit in the back of your van, $500. <laughs> wow. bucks, have it. And so I helped, um, I helped this one guy uh, – fill his van up several times and i mean we filled it full of you know pets and commodore pets and trs 80s and uh, apple threes uh wow. variety of uh pc junior stuff whatever just you know that stuff was probably worth 10 or twenty thousand dollars all that and uh, you know he was gonna sell it on ebay which i was totally fine with because i figured the alternative was it was gonna get melted down so i'd rather it be sold on ebay than melted down um <laughs> so uh, anyway but i think uh, a lot of the good picking started to you know disappear because you know people would p started to pick this place pretty clean but the problem was or i wouldn't say the problem uh, is but uh there's a lot of mountains of computers that you just don't know what's underneath it right so you have to physically get in there and start moving stuff and that, then you can find more treasures because a lot of the stuff i'd probably say 95 percent of what's in there is old pcs like windows pcs dos pcs uh lots of old compacts dells um 
IBM, a lot of IBM, uh, just other generic clones from like the late 80s, early 90s. And, you know, we're talking like 386, 486, yeah. Pentiums, stuff that's not really that desirable. So that's like the bulk of it. Plus, there's a bunch of like printers and just, you know, stuff that's not really necessarily collectible, not to mention an enormous amount of trash. Um, so Literal trash. But, yeah, literal trash, like just like <laughs> cardboard and, and, you know, stuff wow. like that. A lot wow. of trash. But... Like I said, under these mountains that are, you know, sometimes 20 foot tall and, uh, you know, 20, 30 foot wide, you know, you start moving stuff off of them. And then eventually you find, oh, look, you know, here's some more cocoa stuff or some more Tandy or, or there's even some Commodore stuff, uh, you know, whatever um, you, you find under there. And so I think a lot of the people that are going in there now are doing it because of the adventure more than oh, I'm going to get a great deal on something because you really don't know what's going to be there, right? You can't go You can't go to Computer Reset with the idea that, oh, I want to buy a new Commodore 64. You're, you're not going to find, you know, you're not going to find that. But it's what you don't know what you're going to find, I think, is what's so exciting about it to people. So, yeah, there's just been this huge, huge movement now of, of, of people going in there. And they they convinced the uh, owners to not bulldoze it. <laughs> and so there's like these select weekends now they're uh, having it open and they get a group of volunteers here in the Dallas area that are basically allowing people in and uh, to look for stuff. And, and like I said, people are just really excited about it because it's like it's like spelunking or going like, yeah, like you're Indiana Jones or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the one the one video I saw that uh, tweaked me into the place existing, which I just saw this last week, actually, one of the things that was found, <clears throat> they I guess they did computer repairs, too. Yeah. <laughs> And a lot of people would bring stuff in systems, whatever get fixed, and then just never pick them up. So there's right. some stuff just left. And one of the ones he'd found was a Sierra online development system with some you know custom hardware and stuff added onto it that the guy brought in to get fixed and then left. So he's wondering, is there you know old source code from the old Sierra games and what other <laughs> projects may have been started, never actually got completed or sold? So that kind of stuff would just be fascinating to go through. Yeah. Well, and I mean, to add, so there's a, as you're, as everybody probably is aware, there's a, you know, if you can think of a particular topic, there's a mailing list or a forum for it. And so I'm on a um, mailing list um, called Classic Computers, Classic Computer Talk. Um, and this has been a topic on there for a couple of weeks, uh, especially it peaked when the LGR video, Lazy Game Review, I think is the what the acronym stands for. Um, so to put a little bit more color in it, maybe to help kind of fill in a bit of the gap here, the understanding that folks on the list have is that the, the gentleman who ran the the place um, was selling the stuff on eBay, but he knew how much this, well, I wouldn't say he knew much to cost. He was selling it at somewhat inflated prices, but it appears as though he has gotten sick. He has taken ill. And so the people that are, that are trying to kind of clean out this space are relatives of his. I don't know if it's his children or just some, some, some other relatives of his, but um, the uh, the challenge, it sounds like, as of really late, I don't know when the last time you went, uh, David, was, but evidently the challenge is that after the video came out, this place got kind of inundated with requests to come and, and visit the place, and it's kind of overwhelmed um, the family members who, as you indicate, they don't really have any idea what this stuff is, and quite frankly, they don't really care so much as as much as they just want to try and get this place cleaned up because this is not their like this is not their passion right this is just this is just a means almost, to an, almost seems like it's their burden at this point it is and, and in fact the one of the emails i have up here is another individual saying um 
uh, no people just people are upset because of the ill will created by the family members having to deal with cleaning up their father's mess. So it must be their their parent. Wow. Um, so the I think a couple other things that have come out is um, there's I didn't really know that there's a, there's these keyboard kids. That's the actual thing. You should put it in quotes, quote, keyboard kids, unquote. And evidently there's these people who run around going to these places where there are older computers and they buy just the keyboards. Like they don't buy the whole machine. They just buy the keyboard and then they strip all the key switches off of it and they sell those to people who want to make new keyboards like for a PC, but they want to use old, the, you know, like the, the buckling spring, spring type keyboard key switches or whatever. Um, and so in the process, evidently there's a big, brouhaha because the by doing that they ruin a keyboard for a particular machine like if you had a um rather uh rare machine that takes a very special keyboard they this these quote keyboard kids would come in buy the keyboard not buy the machine and then completely disassemble and throw the keyboard parts away except for the key switches wow a new keyboard so there's a bit of a side rant for for those folks and, and the disdain that some of the classic computer uh, collectors have for that. So much so that I think here as of late, like I said, David, I don't know when you were last there, but it sounds like they closed it down, weren't letting anybody come in here in the last week or so. And then people came and kind of walked them off the ledge and said, you know, it really, I think to your point, it'd be better that you let these people buy this stuff rather than throw it away and have it be uh, uh, incinerated. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, to answer your question, it's probably been at least a month since I've been there. Um, um, LGR came and filmed, I want to say two or three months ago. So he only recently released the video, but that video was actually filmed like two or three months ago. And I've been there since he filmed. Um, so, yeah, but I, I did hear everything as far as, you know, I mean, obviously your your point about the environment being this. Some be, one person referred to it as an archaeological dig because yeah. <laughs> there's you know, the layer on top, and once people kind of sift through that and buy all that stuff, then there's like the, you know, the next archaeological layer of computer equipment. And evidently, when the guy was in good health, he would go. I don't know about the repair part, but some pe people were indicating that he would, um, you know, when a company would go out of business or they would upgrade their machine or whatever. You know, before e-wasting was a thing, he would just go in and say, "Okay, I'll buy everything that's everything that you're getting rid of it. I'll just buy the all the lot of it for pennies on the dollar, and then he'd cart it back and basically just dump it in this uh, in this building." Yeah, and so one of the problems with moving things and and um, there's very little space to walk between these mountains of computers. Um, I mean, we're talking about some. I mean, if LGR showed some of this in his video. I mean, the the pathway is sometimes inches wide. Wow. And you can barely squeeze through. Yeah. And these these things are 20 feet, 30 feet tall. And so you never know what's going to be in the middle of them. But the problem is like, okay, you say, well, okay, we'll just move a bunch of stuff. But where are you going to put it? Because like, there's nowhere to sit something down without trapping yourself in <laughs> to wherever you are. <laughs> and so that's, I think, the only way we're ever going to find out what all is in there is to literally when somebody does come in with a, you know, a bulldozer or something and just starts you know, moving some of that stuff out. Cause I'm not sure we'll ever be able to get to the center of some of these mountains of computers. Wow. You just can't, can't there's no like off. side doors, like roll up garage. Well, there are, doors, but 
there are, but uh, it's it's just more complicated than that. I mean, there are some areas you could do that, but a lot of the, that place you just you just couldn't. Uh, okay, Stevie, have you seen the LGR video or? No, I have not. There was a in Australia many years ago. There was a guy who had this whole pile of hobbyist and retro uh, and vintage gear uh, from everything from valve radios and um, ham radio stuff all the way through to computers. And he was advertising through local um, publications, uh, Electronics Australia and or Silicon Chip. And no one came and bought anything. He, got, he basically went and uh, put it in his driveway, apparently, in his in concrete and um, dumped the rest. And everyone was up in arms saying, why did you waste all that good gear? But he advertised it for several months, uh, probably three to six months. And, you know, some people came and picked the eyes out of it. And then all the leftover stuff, he's like, well, if no one wants it, it's going to just go to landfill. Wow. And we're now now about, uh, especially where I live in Brisbane, I actually used to be a recruiter. We used to recruit for um, curbside collection, where people throw their unwanted goods out onto the... Um, footpath and we actually uh, now have tip shops where you can actually go in and all the money that's raised goes to goodwill goes to um, one of the local charities has been going forever and a day and rather than it all just going to waste that's cool i actually encourage everybody to watch that lgr video because that place has an amazing amount of stuff amazing truly amazing like, I posted the wow. link on YouTube. Yeah. Unbelievable amount of stuff. Wow. Yeah, a couple, think, uh, a couple of the guys in my Florida Retro Club actually went out there, too, uh, to, to check it out. I, I mean, I've been hearing about this. It, just, it kind of sounded like uh, you guys were saying, like an Indiana Jones urban legend thing, like, you know, the warehouse <laughs> with the Ark of the Covenant. And uh, Stevie, <laughs> Stevie, if you bring up the video, just fast forward to around 2650. Uh, okay, hold on, hold on one second. Allow me to tell you about a dream that I have. Let me see if I can switch over here real quick and uh, left monitor. Yeah, he's got a very long preamble, so just skip to 20, just about 27 minutes in. Okay, about 27 minutes in, 13. Okay, are we starting to see some of it here now? You're seeing bits of it, but this is like a shot from a top of one of the piles type thing of one of the warehouses, so. It's around 2650. Okay, so let's go ahead and take a look. Wow. Okay. So I have it muted right now. So yeah, um, yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> are you drooling yet, Stevie? I mean, I saw this. I'm like, this, like here, yeah, I but yeah, you can. There's, there's where you can see guy. the filth. Yeah. Oh, really? If I were a PC oh. guy, I'd be like, oh my god, I want that... to get in that warehouse and take everything. And keep in mind, this what you're seeing here. This is just one small portion of this of this place right so i mean it's it's actually much bigger than what you're you're seeing right. okay so it's all sectioned off it's not just one right. big open space right that's where it makes getting things through side chambers and this particular a... area here is more well lit than some of the other ones okay just but... a box of software who how did this guy get all this stuff in the first place is my first question look at all the crts <laughs> wow 
You know, I to take the, need to take the roof off and get a chopper in with somebody with a ladder <laughs> yeah, to come in and pull all this stuff out. You see, yeah. one of the things Clint did not show, and this is one of the reasons I never did a video on the place. I had thought about doing a video many times, but when I went in there, a lot of the really good stuff that I'm interested in, uh, like, you know, Commodore, Tandy, uh, stuff like that is not out there in the warehouse. It's usually in the interior rooms. And there's a lot of interior rooms. And um, those rooms, are there's no light in them. And so um, that warehouse at least has some sunlight that comes in through some skylights and through some doors that are open. Um, but I would say uh, most of the really cool stuff is in these uh, other interior rooms and there's just no lighting in there. And so it's really difficult to film in there. And that's probably why LGR didn't show any of that either uh, because it's, uh, <laughs> it's just it a nightmare. Well, I wouldn't say nightmare, but it's uh, really difficult to get a, a perspective without going there in person. Yeah. Wow. I do have one question. Before you go down to the warehouse, you make sure your tetanus shots are up to date, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And one real risk there that I worry about every time I go in there is the risk of being uh, an avalanche. I mean, there are places where I can clearly see you're like walking through a very thin, like, you know, maybe 12 inch wide, like, uh, spot. And there's, and there's computers and sometimes even weird stuff like car batteries and stuff like piled up on either side of you and you can see like there's like a key piece right like if you were to reach up and grab this one little piece and yank on it it's like a tower <laughs> of jenga right so right you just... would have like thousands of pounds of stuff fall on top of you so i mean it's really amazing to me legally that they even let people in there because i'm just kind of waiting for somebody to get injured or killed in this place oh it, wow it is uh <laughs> it's crazy yeah look at a crt stuff that's heavy stuff just piled up on the top yeah you can see what you're playing yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah and something it, like that comes down and crashes on your foot or something, you break your foot. That's cute. It's like yeah. a. Uh, <laughs> uh, As LGR I'll mentioned too, I mean, there's stuff from the 70s, like old terminals oh, that yeah. you would have used on PDPs and stuff from the 70s all the way up through the 90s and early 2000s. Well, they even have some of those PDPs and stuff back there. I saw some of them and some data general stuff and yeah, old like uh, reels of uh, like uh, the old magnetic reels. Yeah, I, like I did see the nine-track tapes and stuff. Yeah. yeah, we used to have them on yeah. the PDPs at work. I think I think one of the things that's maybe not the primary focus of the conversation, but I think it brings up for probably all of us. Look at is, all those PC juniors! Wow. Yeah. In they, the box. Um, <laughs> folks are they have really cool stuff. We all have really cool stuff, but um, what, what's how's how do we tell others how to disposition this stuff when we can't? Uh, what do you mean? Well, so I don't know about you, but I figure one of these days I'll kick the can. So um, with all the junk I got in the basement, um, stuff that I've acquired over the years, very expensive prototype machines and whatnot, it, you know, got to do something or my family's going to say, okay, uh, we're going to throw it out on the curb. Oh yeah. Okay. Like an you estate know, and load up your, right. You know, yeah. yeah and I don't know what this stuff is. So what do you, you hear that Commodore 665 over there? I give me 50 cents for it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. The Coco three question, fuck, you know, you almost need to write a, a living will for your retro collection. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I'm just yeah. wondering who's thinking I, about that. Right. I've thought about it a lot too. I think we need an organization. So it's like when you, uh, you know, leave this place you can say please contact these people they'll know how what to do with my collection i think that's yeah. actually not a bad idea yeah. i wonder if they have it for other things like cars or whatnot but computers yeah. are kind of interesting because they're small a lot smaller than a car but they can have 
significant amount of cash. I mean, if you have an Apple One, yeah. what is it like a million bucks or something like that? <laughs> Can be. <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah, and the problem is, I, I can see certainly see what you're talking about. If you have a like a warehouse full of all cars, it's probably not that difficult to go through and catalog and then research what each one of those cars is worth. But like in my case, if you were to come in here and look at my collection, I've got you know a whole bunch of little things. Some of those things are worth absolutely nothing, but I keep them around for convenience because I might need them here or there. But then there's things that are worth a lot of money, and the average person's not going to know the difference. And there's just too much of it to, uh, to 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 look up each individual item and research and figure out what they are. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, there's uh, one kind of example of this, and that's uh, some of the image radio communities, uh, some of the ham radio clubs uh, actually do have people that, you know, uh, usually the, the, the they're good friends, families know each other. So the, the oh, hey, um, can you help me get rid of this stuff? And yeah. the club will actually take care of it and distribute it and get it to the flea market and buy all that. It's true. Although most of the things, the thing that's a little bit different there, in my opinion, because I have an amateur, I'm an amateur radio operator as well, is usually if you're an amateur radio operator and you have your collection, your gear, whatever, you're usually part of a local amateur radio club. And so if you, you know, something untimely happens to you and your spouse or whoever reaches out to the club and says, Hey, you know, my dad slash husband slash whatever has all this uh, ham radio gear. They're usually talking to somebody that's local and that person comes over and says, well, you know what, let me go help you deal with this, right? I realize you're kind of grease stricken, so let me help with this. The problem with computer stuff is um, just look at the group that's on here today, right? You got somebody from Texas. I'm from Iowa. Steve's in Florida, right? So we're not part of any kind of local group. So assuming that my spouse could contact one of you you're like, ah, gee, I'd love to help, but yeah. I'm in Texas, right? Right. So the chances of finding somebody else in Iowa who can come over, spend all the, I mean, it'd take days to go through all this stuff, catalog it, and unlike some folks, or maybe not like unlike some. Look at that uh, tape, mm -hmm. uh, like a mainframe yep. tape reel. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, and there's a... Sadie up there. You're Sadie up there. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, Jim. Go ahead. You could always get Mike and Frank from American Pickers there from Iowa. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, so ideally, holy shit, that's sure a that's big box thing. of chips. Wow, look at that. Vic, uh, what is that? That is a big oh, box yeah. of chips. Now, if they're old-style chips, they're probably bad. He was just picking them up without any stag protection. Uh, yeah, maybe I'm the sure rat turns protected the with heat, a coating the or something. humidity yeah. would have already done them in if they were going to... Uh, this is incredible. Yeah, so ideally in a perfect world, people would have great documentation of what they already have, you know. And, um, and how and how many of us, you yeah. have your great documentation put together? I know. Uh, I'm negative, Ghostwriter. <laughs> <laughs> but even if you did have the documentation, the question is, like, let's say you write it today and something happens to you 10 years from now, is your spouse going to even know where that documentation yeah, is? Yeah, yeah. It would have to, it would yeah. be like anything else. Yeah. If you have things in your home of value, you'd probably have to have a folder somewhere with... Yeah. You might you might have uh, it saved on a WordPerfect disk or something. <laughs> well, I'm actually going through I'm actually going through all of that at the moment with my keyboard collection with all the synthesizers and stuff. They're classic, you know, the Roland vintage stuff. That's you know, someone to come in and say, "Oh, that old heap of junk from 1975, not worth anything," and it's like fifteen thousand dollars worth. So I'm sort of going through that at the moment. I've got a friend who's a really good engineer, and we're documenting all our stuff so that in the event that anything happens to us, there's there's people there in our 
families and contacts that actually know what we've got and can you know help to distribute or deal with it or, or whatever if something happens yeah yeah i do know that the computer museums are, are starting to spring up a bit more as as computers get to be more retro and people are actually interested in the history but that's that's a very limited scope as to how many you can contribute to them and how many of them are actually around to contribute too so yeah you have to try to get some sort of a club or you know a retro community yeah facebook page they, or something that you can post to and say you know if something happens to me and you're interested in cocoa stuff right you know, contact right. my spouse or whatever for me i have already gone through set up i've got one friend who's fairly technical he's handling all the technology stuff and then as far as the cocoa stuff it all goes glenside for their auctions it's already you've already yeah, it's, that's a good it's idea. A, glenside's in your cocoa will huh Essentially. Yeah. So you've thought so, about it. So, yeah. Well, obviously, with what's happened this last year, year or so. Yeah, that's a good question. And I guess that's uh, like many things else. And then nobody, nobody plans on dying. Nobody wants to die. But uh, what, what do you do with your retro stuff after, you know? Well, and I, I think the reason I bring it up is because I feel like all of us have been, I assume everybody on this call is probably of the same mind of you go and you see something like if you were to see a Coco 3 sitting on the side of the, of the road, you would stop and pick it up and you're like, I can't let that go to the, to the dump, right? I got to, right, right. I mean, it may not even work, but I got to, I got to rescue it from there. So the last thing you would want is the last thing that you and your family do is to take all your stuff that you've spent so many years trying to save from the dumpster mm -hmm. and have them say, well, I don't know what it is, and I'm just too broken up over this, so I'm just going to throw it in the dumpster. And they're like, yeah. ah. <laughs> <laughs> Defeated the purpose, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, to, well, us, you know, to us, when we go, it's going to make I a difference that I'll, it will to those who are still around. Hmm. Sorry, I had two people talking at once there. David O'Connor, and then was that you, James Diffendaffer? Are you ready to talk to? Yeah. Okay. Uh, go ahead, David. Go ahead. Well, sorry, yeah, I was just saying, it, it, like to us, when we go, it, it's it's not going to make any difference to us because we're not here anymore. But it does to our family members and to and to others who in the community. You know, there might be somebody there who who would see a bunch of cocos or whatever and say, "Oh, yeah, that's great. I, I could use it." So we really, you know, it's 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 about thinking beyond ourselves and thinking about others who can utilize the stuff when we're not here anymore. Absolutely. Well, uh, something besides uh, the hardware issue, um, <clears throat> some of us have written a lot of software and stuff, and we haven't necessarily released the source code to it. And uh, what I've done is um, Gmail has a thing where you uh, name a contact that it, if there's four months of inactivity, it sends them an email. And uh, in my email, I have information on how to access my backup files on, uh, um, what's it called, Dropbox, and who to pass, you know, the information so someone else can access that. So <clears throat> that I can pass on source code to the community, even though I'm not around. Good idea. Yeah. That sounds kind of like what Jim Brain has done with some of his designs. He's put his designs into open source where his his hardware projects where it's like if you know, if I you know if I move on or if I disappear, the project is already out there. 
that's right. kind of forward thinking there on when it comes to a hardware design. And that so. that was our reasoning uh, when, when Nitrous Nine uh, unbecame being a commercial product in two thousand one. That we, the four of us that had principally written the original version of it, we released it to the community as well, here's all the source we did for the last ten years because uh, we were getting burned out on the project and we were also you know real life was taking over just didn't have time to deal with it but you know a lot of stuff has come from that since so other people took up the thing and now a couple of us have gotten back into it again too so we're kind of helping you know feed yeah. the community with that so this has been cool so so we have a lot of coco knowledgeable people here on the panel uh david murray do you have any questions about coco stuff since we've got some hardware experts and software experts here anything that you might want to know, or is it is that too much of a loaded question? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you know, something I was telling um, Steve earlier was that eventually I'm going to be doing a, a documentary on the Coco, just like I've done on the Commodore and the Tandy 1000 and some of the other ones. But uh, I'm probably going to need some help uh, when that time comes, because um, even though I know, like, technically all of the specifications of the machines and things like that i don't really know the soul of the machines i don't uh, i don't have that much experience uh, using them i didn't grow up with them um i don't know what games are people's favorite games and you know what games defined the coco you know that sort of thing and so eventually i'm going to need to have some long conversations with people uh, that are more familiar with that, but I'm not quite ready to do the documentary on it yet. So I'm thinking like six to nine months from now, Okay. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I will definitely need some help on some of those, um, some of those topics uh, in order I, to make I would it, definitely yeah. suggest then uh, linking up with the discord group. And then when you're ready to ask those questions is there's, there's even sections for the different parts, like a games versus hardware versus whatever. So that'd be a perfect place to ask. And then any of us can, you would do a text chat or a voice chat at the at time and even get a group of us together to answer your questions. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, also, if there's anybody that, you know, I could be put in touch with that. Uh, I think there's even one or two on this group. I, I can't remember uh, that uh, have some actual historical context to the computers that would like to uh, be like a guest star on that documentary. That would, you know, that would also be good. So. Oh, only half a dozen or so. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little more. Yeah, that's that's kind of a cool thing that we've dis I've assembled uh, the the people who show up on the panel each week. It's it's a great cross section of some of the um, kind of luminaries and living legends that are part of the the history, as well as some of the folks that are helping keep the present and the future alive here too. So we got we got a little bit of everybody here. So it's pretty cool. Um, yeah, and and uh, yeah, we'll we'll definitely stay in touch with you hopefully. And uh, when you get closer to that, we have we got a lot of resources for you to tap into um and yeah and, i may need to borrow some hardware too yeah yeah um jim would be a great resource too just because he's on you know he he's uh he's he's in the commodore world and in the coco world and so he's definitely you know making new hardware and upgrades for the coco too so um yeah yeah cool stuff it's okay uh, david they're just a bunch of weirdos yeah so we have a good cross-section of people here though users developers there's all kinds of yeah historic developers here. current developers yep. yeah yeah we've, we've have kind of a renaissance ooh. now with hardware and software uh some of the people who are here right now like bruce moore is working on new projects uh, hey bruce welcome uh, a little bit earlier we had paul shoemaker who's been working on some new projects nick morentes who has been working on stuff since the Black and white TRS-18 that continues to create new Coco games almost every year. 
So Nick's working on new projects. So um, yeah, it's 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 really exciting. As a matter of fact, you can if you see Nick Marotas in the background, Pop Star Pilot is one of uh, Nick Marenti's games that's playing in the background there. Um, yeah, we're kind of yeah. happy. We're a small community, so we don't have the number of developers and, and, and you know new homebrew projects that I'm sure the Apple and Commodore guys get. So we get maybe a half a dozen per year, but we're we're grateful <laughs> for what for what we get. You know. Yeah, and we, we have some amazing developers too that you know develop for Radio Shack, like Steve Bjork and Rick Adams. Uh, we've had some guests we've interviewed that we can get you in contact with too. They're involved with some of the early you know, prototype Cocos before the Coco actually got released, like Glenn Soggy of Image Producers and a few others too. So, yeah. a lot of resources. We, there's we, always we, the we, underdog uh, book that's got all sorts of history in the background too. Yeah, yeah. Boise, Pete, Bill, the Judas have a book they produced a couple of years ago. It's called uh, Coco: A Colorful History of Tandy's Underdog Computer. That's a great starting point too. Uh, thankfully, we have hardware developers who are creating products that let us use the Coco with modern hardware, like displays. And SD cards for loading disk images and that sort of thing. That's been instrumental in being able to keep using Cocoa yeah, stuff. To keep today. extending Don't it. Don't forget the floppy. I have, a, <laughs> I have a device. I have a device right here in front of me that's um, I'm going to use to be adding some MIDI and control voltage um, stuff to my Cocoa at the moment for controlling the synthesizers. I'll talk about that later. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah that's brought up. It's cool stuff. Oh, so have we yeah. have, have we leaned on David Murray enough? Have we have we have we taxed his generosity to the? Uh, <laughs> I, did, I did have one question though. Yeah. I mean, so you know, with with YouTube and your success with YouTube, um, what's I guess I'm trying to figure out the right right way to word this question though. But has been maybe the most surprising thing because I'm assuming when you walk into certain crowds, if you go to certain conventions, obviously now you're a recognizable face. Is there anything that's really just kind of taken you back by your whole experience of uh, becoming full-time with YouTube and just how it's changed either your life or where you are now? Well, maybe that's, um, maybe that's a maybe that's too big of a question. <laughs> that's why cosplays a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not entirely – I mean, the question's a little bit vague, but maybe I can answer it with just telling you a, a few anecdotes here. Um the first convention I ever went to was a little over three years ago, and it was a, I think it was the Portland Retro Gaming Expo, and I was kind of surprised when they contacted me. I think at the time I only had maybe like 150,000 subscribers or something like that. And, well, I say only. I, I never even thought it would get that only. high, to be honest. No. But uh, <laughs> but uh, anyway, um, they brought me uh, to the convention, and uh, I thought you know, okay, I saw some of the other faces that were going to be at the convention. And I'm like, okay, well, these guys, you know, they're, they're way more important to me. I'm like the underdog here, but I was really surprised at the number of people that came up to see me and asked me for my autograph. And I literally just got treated like a rock star. Like it was, it was, I was totally taken by a surprise on this. And then of course uh, I started going to a lot of different conventions all over the world over the last three years. And every time uh, I go to one, I mean, I'm just amazed at the number of people who uh, come up and, and see me. And uh, I'll tell you one of the things that I've, uh, it's been a real eye opener for me. Um, you know, looking at this group here, it looks like most of us are middle-aged people. And I thought that was who most of my audience was. But when I go to the conventions, um, you know, they put me in front of an autograph table and I got this, you know, line of people that come up and want my autograph. Uh, at least half of those people are young people. In fact, a lot of those people are like really young. I mean, I've, I've had um, 
lots of elementary school kids come up and wow. get my autograph. And uh, the very first time that happened was actually, mm, it might have been in Portland. I know I had some younger people at Portland that first year, but I think the second convention I did was in uh, Long Island, New York. And I will never forget this. Um, again, this was kind of in the early days, right? And uh, I, uh, I had this guy come up and he had two little, uh, I think they were twin girls that looked like they were about maybe eight years old or something like that. And I thought he wanted my autograph. And so I, I asked him like, okay, what do, what do you want me to sign? Or how do you want me to sign your name or whatever? And he's like, oh, uh, I just, these, this is for my girls. I brought them here because they wanted to see you. And wow. <laughs> I, I looked at these two young girls and I'm like, I had no idea that people that young and females, especially <clears throat> were watching my channel. <laughs> I was like, really, really surprised by that. Um, and so uh, one of the things I started doing was asking some of these younger people, you know, Hey, uh, what, what is it that you like about my channel? I mean, you, I mean, I'm talking about stuff that came out before you were born. Why would you, why would you care anything about it? And, um, you know, a lot of good points are made. They're like, well, uh, we, we just like learning about the history of like how things used to be. And, uh, kind of like, I guess a, a good analogy is when I go to a car show, you know, I look at cars, you know, and look under the hood of cars that are made in the forties and fifties and whatever. I didn't, I didn't grow up with those cars, but I'm still interested, you know, in how they work. And, and so I guess it's, it's kind of that same thing, but uh, yeah, uh, I, I do get recognized around town too. Um, I don't actually leave the house very much. In fact, sometimes I can not leave the house for three or four days in a row because I just work here in my house. And so I'm busy all day long. <laughs> I do have to go to the grocery store I'm rarely recognized there because it's the same little grocery store I go to. But when I go to like the movie theater or when I go to the mall or when I go to places like a car show, for example, where there's lots of people like the Dallas Auto Show, for example, there's like, you know, 10,000 people in there. Always somebody will come up and know who I am and, and ask for my autograph or even like the other day, my wife and I were eating in a, um, a, a uh, oh, I forgot what it's called. It was a, it was a kind of like an IHOP a restaurant here to have not called IHOP, but anyway, yeah, there's somebody came up and asked me for my autograph there and it's taken a little bit of getting used to cause I'm kind of a, well, how should we put this? I'm a fair, fairly humble person. Um, I, I don't uh, go around and try to act like I'm a big shot. I don't have a big ego or anything like that. And it surprises me to this day that there's people like, it's hard for me to accept that people would think of me as being any, anything other than just an average show. It's, it's, it's something that um, um, some people may accept more easily than others, but uh, it's definitely been uh, an interesting uh, experience for me. Yeah. I have two questions to kind of follow that up. Um, how much international uh, travel for shows and stuff are you doing now, if any? And then second, if you can teach Nick to be humble, we'd all be just you know, thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> Nick Moranti's not me. Um, so... <laughs> So far, <laughs> the only international travel I've done so far is I went to Germany a few months ago. Um, I've I've had offers to go to a variety of conventions and stuff, uh, mostly in Europe, and I've turned most of them down just simply because it's a lot of work and I don't really make uh, any money on the conventions. I mean, they they usually pay my travel expenses, but they don't really like pay me to go there and speak. So if I have to take a week off work to go there. Uh, even if they pay for the travel expenses, I, I lose a week of work, right? So that translates to a loss of money. <laughs> sure. And I have, you know, a family to feed and whatnot. So I, um, you know, I've, I've gotten to where I don't do as many of the conventions now. I'm doing like four or five a year. Where like last year, I think I did like nine or 10. Uh, but yeah, I've had to 
have to cut down on some of them. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm uh, kind of hoping to go back to Europe again uh, soon when somebody asks me to a convention. <laughs> Probably not Australia, though. I think, too, one of the um, keys to your success is that you've diversified. You're not just focusing on the Commodore. You're open to other systems as well, and we are too. But obviously, we're very biased towards the Coco because that's what (laughs) we all grew up with. Yeah. Whereas, ironically, the first computer I ever used was an Apple II, and I was like, oh, this is awesome. Then I went on to the uh, the Commodore 64, and I went, it was a friend's one, and I was like, well, this is a bit weird because I didn't understand just putting in pokes and peaks for you know, accessing graphics. And then I got on to uh, Coco Basic, and I was like, yeah, this is awesome because it was just so so simple to use. Yeah. You know, you, you wanted to draw a line, you type the line command. You want to draw a circle, you type the circle command, and that's just basic. Yeah. You know, it was, and that was, as one of the gentlemen was mentioning earlier, it, that was one of the first uh, basics that where that was available. That's so interesting. That, interesting that talking about. Young. Sorry, David. Yeah, yeah. yeah as I say, it's interesting talking about Commodore and uh, and all the rest of it as well. I've actually I've still got a little bit of a soft spot for the Commodore sixty four myself. Oh, yeah. um, as a musician, you know, it's uh, a friend of mine, very good friend of mine. Um, he had Commodore sixty four, and I had the the, the TRS eighty, which I've still got. Um, and we were always, you know, working together on projects. And, uh, you know, like Craig would say, oh, look, I've got this cool little, you know, this sounding, I've got four-track um, demo that he's done with audio with four different tracks and um, using the C64. And I'm thinking, that's just some really cool music that's coming out of this thing. And uh, I was digging through my cassette collection the other day, the old box of mixtapes that we got and all the rest of it, and I found a cassette that actually has a whole bunch of recordings that we did on the Commodore 64 back there. And, oh, wow. And, yeah, I'm, I'm actually going to put some that. of them. I'm, we're going to upload some of them to my YouTube channel um, shortly. But some of the some of the audio stuff from, that, that come out of the Commodore was really – it blew me away back in the day. It's like this is all coming off this little Commodore 64, and it was really cool. So I've, I've still got a soft spot for the C64. Oh, same. My, I actually uh, learnt guitar – off the nephew of Paul Kelly, Dan oh, Kelly. Wow. Yeah, cool. He was my neighbour, and the na- the kid that lived in between us, I can't remember his name for the life of me. He's the one that had the C sixty four, and so we and I had the the trash eighty. So we always <laughs> go to each other's houses and just sort of compare and compare games. And the one thing I liked about like Nick's programs, Nick uh, Marentes, over stuff on the C sixty four, it was a lot of clones of video games where Nick was actually writing new games. It wasn't a clone. I mean, he has done clones. Obviously he's done his Pac-Man clone and, you know, Space Marauder and all that sort of stuff. But he's sort of, and that's why Donut Dilemma is still my favorite game on the Coco because it was original, you know, and then he went on to do uh, Rhythm, which is my favorite game for the Coco of all time. And it's ironically Nick's most hated game. (laughs) Myself. (laughs) We love it. But, but Nick, I saw, it, no. I saw a, uh, an ad on eBay just recently, actually, for a, a, a Tandy. I think it might have been a Model 3 or a Model 4 or something. Um, it was either a Model 3 or 4. It was an all-in-one. Um, and on the screen was Donut Dilemma. It was, and I was like, oh, that's cool. So, that is cool. Yeah. Well, and I um, think a lot of us have cross-pollinated, too. I mean, like my very first computer I ever used at school was a pet. 
and then the, oh, new, yeah. the two plus after that and then i wanted to get one of those and of course the apple II was way too expensive the commodore pet at the time was actually on the way out at that at that point and i we did put it in a bid because they were selling them for 150 bucks from the school system when they were switching to apples but our bid went into a little bit too late and we couldn't get it so then i just saved up and got a coco one because that was the only color computer at the time i could afford and that was before the vic 20 was out and before the Commodore 64 was out so the other alternative was the atari 400 800 the 400 i hated the keyboard and the 800 was a bit too expensive too at the time so that's that's how i ended up here Cool. Yeah, I like to cover. Um, I like to cover anything from the eight bit era. That's why I'm the eight bit guy. But yeah. although my next two videos are going to be about uh, Macintosh, uh, which is actually these are going to be. Um, I guess these are. It's a 16. LC two. I guess that's a sixteen or thirty two bit machine. Yeah, LC two is a six thousand thirty, isn't it? If I remember. Yeah, uh, huh. it's probably a thirty two bit machine. I guess. So I do some uh, sixteen thirty two bit machines as well. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> If you if you can get one of the original Raskin prototypes, which is actually a six eight oh nine base before they switched to six eight thousand, that would be cool. <laughs> Y'all love that sixty eight oh nine. I've researched the sixty eight oh nine a little bit because um, uh, one of the things uh, somebody offered me a while back was a development board with a sixty eight oh nine chip on it, and uh, they were going to donate it to me. It was just you know one of those little boards where you just have like the little keypad on it, like a little. A segmented LCD or LED screen, or like an SS50 bus type board or something, or um, I think I don't remember. I think it was actually like a Motorola development board that Motorola okay. shipped out to people so that they could learn how the chips work. Kind of like the uh, Commodore had the Kim one, and um, and then uh, there was some uh, so anyway. But uh, yeah, I looked at I looked at the specs of the 6809 because I wanted to see if uh, if he shipped it to me i would want obviously to make a video about it i would want to write some kind of code which i would have to type in in machine language and so i briefly looked at the assembly instructions and stuff for the 6809 and you know i figured no you know it's actually a pretty powerful processor but it it was going to take too long for me to learn um enough of how to use it keep in mind uh, like I said, I would have to type all this stuff in as raw you know hex data oh, on yeah. the yeah. <laughs> on the keyboard i decided not hey. to do it uh, so I ended up passing on that donation, but uh, yeah, I, I did. I did spend a little time looking at the assembly instructions. Very cool. Anyway, uh, Steve, it's been about a little yeah. over two hours. Yeah, so I yeah. Think I'm gonna have to bow out. Yeah, no. The- listen, we appreciate you being here. I just want to say thank you for for being on the show today, and obviously thank you for everything you've done for the retro hobby for us enthusiasts. And uh, hopefully, we can have you on again sometime. Uh, yeah, especially when you get close for maybe they wanting to do your. Uh, your documentary yeah uh, all right uh thank you so much david murray and and uh for brian weasler for reaching out and um asking you to do it and everything else so awesome um and david murray thank you for tolerating me pestering you on facebook all the time <laughs> <laughs> all right this is really enjoyable thank you thanks yeah. for joining absolutely yeah, yeah second that cool okay well th- enjoy the oh, rest well, of your day thanks for being here kumbaya moment <laughs> well i, I do want to say me lately david <clears throat> i think the what only that, jim? go ahead jim sorry i didn't have anything more crickets well, well i didn't hear what you said you because there saying. was like multiple people talking oh sorry i'm like <laughs> you guys are like oh my word you guys are just totally loving on him should get a room or something. <laughs> we like him. I'm wondering what he's done for me lately. All I've seen is a is a few videos and a bunch of decision changes. So work with me, man. <laughs> as long as that's a room full of computers, I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> There's the gem we know and love. Yes, yeah. yes. I think the, the only flaw David Murray has is saying that he respects Jim Breen. So, tell him that. I heard that. <laughs> okay, guys. Well, I'm signing All off. Right. So, uh, take care. Thanks, David. Thanks for being right. here. Thanks for Thank coming you. in. Thanks, yeah. David. Thank you. You're too kind. Um, cool. All right. So, how about we go ahead? We'll take another break. And then we'll come back, and we have news to cover. We might have some tech talk, some other things, right? I'm not sure if Nick Marentes wants to update us on uh, Gunstar and all kinds of stuff like that. Good times, huh? Two hours. Two hours of non-stop frivolity. Absolutely, absolutely. So speaking of Nick Marentes, and being as he's always got something positive to say, how about we look at this little segment here? with Nick Marentes on electricity, and then we'll take a uh. break. <laughs> <laughs> Nick Marionette on electricity. Crikey! Electricity's a fan. The big market is just open flame. Brought to you by Nitro Stein, ease of use edition. Hashtag This Christmas, Tandy has a very special offer. A family color computer pack to take away at a very special price. This family computer comes complete with software and costs an incredible $449. A saving of $241.69. It's powerful, educational, and ideal for the young and young at heart. The easy way to start computing. The Color Computer Family Pack from Tandy. Get it while it's hot. Tandy, the biggest electronic store in Australia. As you start your journey to Cocoa Fest, you notice the road ahead is littered with rogue furniture. You realize you are driving on the Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. The new game for the Tandy Color Computer 1, 2, and 3. Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. Stunning low-resolution visuals. Digital to analog converted sound. 100% machine language and basic. What are they saying about Nightmare Highway? Nightmare Highway. <laughs> Steve B. York says, of all the games released this year, this is one of them. Elkert S. Boyle says, this will not be on my site. Nick Marionette says, crikey, look at the size of that crock. Get your complimentary copy of Nightmare Highway. Nightmare Highway. At cancanmakeit.com. If you got it for free, you pay too much. <laughs> Coming soon. All situations depicted in this trailer actually happened. This true story has been anonymized to protect the guilty. Starting in the dead of winter, a group of bored teenagers, blue stuff pup, learned code cracking, learned phone freaking, hijacked and hacked. No system was safe. No one could catch them or 
so they thought. A true story at the dawn of the internet. System hacked. All right, and we're back. Good times, good times. So, yeah, so that was great. So what to do to top that? Uh, we're going to hear you talk about floppy disk, David Lett. <laughs> um, I don't think that's something that'll top. That'll just, that, that'll just be under the table for this thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, thank you. Is Brian Weasler still here? Yes. So Brian's the one who reached out to David Murray via email roughly last weekend. Just just before we did our show last weekend, Brian had reached out, and we weren't sure what was going to happen. Um, but a couple emails had bounced back and forth. So I, I figured it was a long shot, but I figured we would kind of tease it last week too. I said something like, I'm not going to say anything, but we might have a special guest next week, right? <laughs> so we just kind of teased it. Um, time went by couple emails went by, um, finally got a response, and then um, Brian Weasler and I spoke briefly, and then uh, uh, Dave actually called me last night because I sent him my phone number to call me. If you have any questions, just call me. So we spoke for a little bit last night, um, kind of gave him the lowdown on the show and the format and everything else, and, um, and uh, you know, I was trying to be respectful this time. I'm like, is there anything you don't want to talk about? You know, I don't want to make you feel like we're trying to uh, – do a shock jock or get you in here and ambush you with any type of oddball questions or, and he's like, no, he goes, the only thing I don't want to talk about would just be politics and religion. But other than that, you know, we can talk about whatever you want to talk about. And like, just like he came across very humble guy, nice guy down to earth. Um, so it was cool speaking to him briefly last night and it was great having him on the show. And I think, uh, we got a lot of good material out of him, you know, a lot of great information about his project and everything else. So, um, very cool. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's exactly how he is. When I was down in Dallas for work and I reached out to him, uh, not quite a year ago now. Um, yeah, that's exactly how he is, how you, how we heard him today and how he is on his, uh, on his channel. Um, that's exactly the way he is in person as well. So, but, uh, hey, he's a great guy. Uh, always loves to share his information and, mm -hmm. and his experiences and stuff. So, yep. But he's a very busy, very busy. So I'm, uh, I'm very appreciative that he was able to take the yeah. time with us. Yeah, and stuff. He says he's working harder now than he was before. He got into, got into got into YouTube. So. Yeah, it's kind it's of interesting. A lot of work, but he but he enjoys it. Yeah, so. it's kind of interesting when you if you get if you know what's the old saying? Be careful what you ask for sometimes, right? So you get into it as a hobby, and maybe it becomes larger than life. And it sounds like for him, you know, the whole being asked for autographs, which I would imagine that is got to be off putting. And again, and, and I can only imagine myself, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um something i ever have to worry yeah about. so like you know you're having dinner with your family and somebody just comes up and sees you and hey can i have an autograph you know it's just uh, you know so it's 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 flattering and it can possibly be disruptive i would imagine you know so uh trying to find that balance you get this one one directional relationship where you think of the person on youtube as your friend because you see them all the time and they have no idea who you are so yeah you'll see them and go hey i know you and blah, yeah and yeah like who are you yeah right so, so. a stalker yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly looked up on facebook i know where you live yeah yeah and the other thing i didn't want to do is a little bit what was that i'm sorry chad 
he might have actually boosted our profile a little bit having him on here. Yeah, well, I didn't want to be that name dropper and just try to plug it to get people to show up just because he's here. I figured this, I wanted this to be a special treat and a special guest and, and this, you know, for those who were here, you know, you got to experience it and maybe some, maybe it'll get out and maybe it will have a little bit more than usual exposure on a replay. But I just, I, I just felt like I did not want to exploit or capitalize on this guy's popularity to try to gain a, you know, 15 seconds of fame for ourselves either. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Two hours. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I can't believe he hours. Yeah, he did. I him up saying, why? Yeah, yeah. And I did tell him ahead of time, like, like look, our shows are an average show is two hours. We can go sometimes four or five hours, but we, you know, we'll get you on as soon as we can. And, you know, you're welcome to bow out anytime you like. But, you know, we had some good organic conversations. And so I'm grateful for Brian. I cannot tell a lie. Go ahead, James. I cannot tell a lie. I knew he would, uh, love to talk about that project <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah well, who, i mean who, who you know, being in that situation who wouldn't you know it's a pretty exciting thing to be able to come oh, up with yeah. new hardware like that yeah well we have love for all kinds of retro. well according to nick morenti's it's a waste of time but you know so. <laughs> <laughs> nick morenti's asked the hard-hitting question yeah. have you ever used a 6502 <laughs> you yeah. regularly and speaking of celebrities, we also have D. Bruce Moore with us. Hey, Bruce, welcome to the program. You're looking for your unmute button? And, and Bruce says his book has been released. His book has been released. Yeah. Hey, welcome, Bruce. System hacked. Howdy. All right. Uh, another great experience that we had last weekend, Sunday night, yes. was our Forest of Doom screening party. That for, were, forever, actually. For, 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 forever. Forest of Doom. No, it was the system hack screening party, right? Was Wrong it? timeline, the, Steve. The enchant- oh, see, I'm in, yeah. Listen, I'm old. I'm tired. Uh, it, what, what was it again? It was the Coco Forever screening it party. Was the, yes. It was the crazy Canadian A screening. Yeah. And so we ended up, gosh. That was very fun. Three and a half hours, maybe? Close to Is it? That what a, good, it was? a good Well, yeah. the, the, first, wow. the first session was about an hour 20. Then we took a break. And then we get we get came back and we had about another good two and a half hours, two twenty. Yeah, so we it, well over three hours. Um, but I, longer I, than, but better than the Hobbit. <laughs> <laughs> and I got to say, it was great to experience the entire story with all the bonus content. That was great. We Just done before. Yeah. Yes, and then it was uh, for me. It was really nice having all your family there, Bruce. That were all part of the yeah, story. Yeah, that was great. You know? So it was kind of a special experience. Um, it was pretty cool seeing the reactions on some uh, some people's faces when certain plot points revealed themselves. Yeah. Rick Adams was laughing his face off. I know at one point it was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad he was able to make it there too. Yeah. So that was great. Do you have any plans yet on what to do with the material once uh, once you've assimilated it and kind of polished it down? No, I haven't. No, I haven't really thought very, any any further on that. Okay. And then, um, so tell us now about System Hacked, now that it's out and we saw the the commercial. It's not coming soon. It's here. Yeah. Systemhacked.gracenote.ca. Okay. It's a true story. Like the commercial says, it's a true story with anonymized names because there are people who definitely still do not want anything public drawn to their attention about some of their uh, uh, extracurricular activities. activities. <laughs> And uh, 
Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's a really good story. I, I particularly like it because it's it's centered. Like I know a number of the people. Yeah. It actually, uh, you know, kind of like the main character, the center of it all, was a member of our computer club mm-hmm. um, in our town. And uh, you know, the first game that he ever saw, computer game he ever saw, was Forest of Doom. So I'm very proud of that. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Oh, the original Forest of Doom when it was the still original Forest. Yeah, when in I was its, in its infancy back back then. Yeah, yeah. Well, I started on a, on a 4K Coco. That's where I started it. Wow. And then, you know, took me 30 years to finish it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, but uh, system hack. Yeah, so you can get it on um, Kindle or on uh, the uh, iBook, Apple's iBook store. Yeah. The, the iBook has got if you got that option, it's got a lot more. Uh, it's got multimedia content. It's actually got about two thirds of it. It's almost an audio book. Okay. You go to the beginning of the chapter and press play, and you will, you know, and, and it's like like Coco Forever. It's got full dramatization. There's uh, wow. sound effects, and the whole bit is in there. So when he's talking about hacking and trying to figure out passwords, you hear the keyboard going, you hear the modem clicking in, and all that. Kind what of stuff. would you consider making an actual audio book version? Because I would be, I would totally buy it on Kindle. Yeah, I'd uh, I would think about that. I I think that was actually my first idea. Yeah, you know, I started working on this like quite a few years ago, and I think what happened was I had a hard drive crash and I lost a bunch of audio, and it just kind of kind of broke my spirit at that point. Okay, <laughs> but it is something. Yeah, I would consider coming back to it. Okay, um, yeah, because I don't have an Apple thing, but I mean, I've got an old iPad. If I could experience it on an you know, an old iPad too, I would dust that off to check it out. Right, right, yeah. Um, well, if it was, you know, if it ended up on Audible, you could listen to it on anything. Yeah, so. yeah. Yeah, so, Audible. Yeah. yeah, no, that's cool. That's cool. Well, I want to say thank you for all your projects, and especially for that, our little special screening we had last Sunday night. That was that a lot was of really fun. Enjoyable. Yeah, mm, yeah, you bet. It was a yeah. great. I remember how much I sucked at acting. That was, that was... yeah. <laughs> Curtis, you did great. I don't know what you're talking about. You had you had all the the beats down. You I had... got to say, so your 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 yeah. niece, your niece again. It's uh, Alicia. Alicia. She carried it. She had so much dialogue. Yeah, I didn't yeah. realize how much dialogue she had until we she listened to the job. whole thing. And she had so much dialogue and she carried it off so well. And she she sounds so much more uh, adult in the uh, production. But you see her, she still kind of looks like a teenager, you know, so. Well, she, she is still a teenager yeah, yeah, for yeah. a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, and she was mentioned like some of the technical stuff that you had her reading there. I would, like she had no idea what she was talking about. It was just. No, yeah. no. We had to stop several times. And it's like, what, what is this? You know, <laughs> this is how you pronounce it. And, and, you know, is this like, what, is, Jimmy, Jimmy Chip? Is that what it is? Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that sort of thing. And uh and I remember there were reports where she's done a lot of theater training. So, you know, she's used to delivering lines and that. But I remember there being points where she stopped and went, oh, can we do that again? I'm like, man, this is this is hard. Yeah. And one particular, that really long speech she did with the, uh, the, company. In the visitor center. You yeah, know, the, the company. Got, yeah, about the company. Yeah. So, yeah, she she did really good. And, uh, you, you know, everybody everybody who contributed, I think, added something really neat to the project. Yeah. We like to, we like to you know, poke fun at at uh, Jason Rygarden. Well, he pokes fun at himself mostly, but I, I love I love his characterization. He's a, He's got the whole Bar- Barney Fife security guard down pat, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I was walking around saying, stop right there. For stop right there. Stop right there. Yeah. Yeah, it was really good. What what a what a I'm just so glad that I think we had like seven or eight 
voice actors from the community who are willing to be a part of this. Yeah, project. yeah and everybody Just, added to the tapestry that was this production, you know. Yeah, willing to embarrass themselves in public. It was great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and even yeah. You know, those whose voices weren't there but allowed themselves to be characterized. And right. we're on the call here right now. Yes. yes. Nick Marionettes and Steve Bork, you know. Yeah. So. <laughs> and Steve was a consultant too, right? Steve Bjork. He was a yeah, consultant yeah. on. Uh, yeah, yeah, gave me a lot of good ideas for some crazy. What so if was there a little yeah. spike in sales uh, resulting in this, or? Uh, well, you know, leading up to it. Yeah, leading uh, up to it. Yeah, leading up the week leading up to it, there were uh, there were a few sales. Yeah, so that was okay. that was wonderful. Yeah. Cool. Cool. All right. Well, we skipped at the at the top of the show. We skipped over kind of project updates and acquisitions just so we could get into uh, Dave Murray as soon as possible. So, does anybody have any of those that you want to talk about? Anything you want to share this week? Project updates, acquisitions. And I came I came across one thing on eBay that I just got recently. Uh, it's kind of a different little device. It's uh, uh it's, it's put out by Wyco, and it actually allows you to plug oh, into the two. The two joystick ports on the back, but then you can plug an Atari type controller. Okay. Like, like if you had one something like this, you know, your here's a yeah. here's a Wyco. Yeah. So yeah. you know, with your with your good old nine pin on the back of right. it. Right. So it's basically an uh, this was a commercial Atari to Coco adapter back in the day. Yeah. Yep. yep. So it's uh, mainly for the twenty six hundred joysticks back at that time, but yeah. 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 Does it have a left right switch then, so it can be either left or right joystick? No, you plug in. Um, you plug it into both, but you could access it from the front and move it from side to. You easily, oh, okay. Easily yep. move it, and then, yep. So you got to you plug one into the left, okay, and one into the right, and then on the front you have two ports. Yeah. So you could plug nice. in uh, left and right there. So yeah, it was kind of an interesting little uh, find. I had never seen. I had never seen it before. So, but uh, yeah, it's the little controller here. And that's it was neat. advertised in uh, magazines. Yeah, okay, we were advertising Rainbow for a bit. I remember. <clears throat> okay. Yeah, I just didn't remember seeing it. So, yeah, thought I'd share that. Excellent. Um, I remember seeing those, but I never had one. I actually had a friend. Uh, he was a mad genius uh, electronics whiz. He invented the first self-flushing toilet. He was 15 years old when he did it. He did it in high school. And there was a TV show over here called Beyond 2000. Oh, I remember. And I loved that, that show. It was one of my favorite shows. <laughs> he, his name was Danny. Danny Zabari. He was a Jewish guy. He was... Um, had it and had it patented, uh, the TV program patented his, the world's first self-flushing toilet, which was based off an um, 555 uh, IC timer chip. And I said to him, oh, can you design some um, coupling units for me for my computer? Because I'm tired of plugging all my pin DIN plugs in all the time. And he did uh, two of them. So I had all my joysticks plug into them. I had all my uh, electronic books. And I uh, had like obviously deluxe joysticks, the standards, a couple of Atari paddles that, that were um, done. And but because I got rid of all that gear, no, no, don't even know where it's all end up now. But he was just a mad genius. He was a bit of a weirdo though. He used to like, <laughs> like getting oh, mice and just electrocuting them to death. Oh, like, Ironically, he was involved in a cult that one of my friends, uh, girlfriends went in, and I went in to try and sort of infiltrate her and uh, exit counselor out of there. Wow. And, um, do an inter, uh, what do you call it, a intervention? intervention with it? Yeah. But um, they were they were part of the what's called the Boston movement, 
which is um, the Church of Christ. There was a breakaway in Boston. Kip McKean was the um, head guy that started it all. And they were going around basically in universities over here. They got kicked off of all the uh, universities in Brisbane because they were going around and convert, converting these people to their religion and telling them to quit their studies, quit their jobs and devote their wow. uh, life to God. Almost sounds like you could write a, a book like Bruce, uh, talking about some, you know, some under, <laughs> some uh, un- underground stuff going on. That's... I was going to say, there's Bruce's next book. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he actually invented this little handheld joy buzzer, and he used to actually like charge you with mu- like multitude of voltage, but like took all the amps out of it, and so he'd come and shake your hand, and you'd just be like, "What the hell?" And his <laughs> was Zabbery. We just named him Zappa. So he used to love zapping things. He was just just a very bizarre guy. He was a, you know, he was a beautiful guy, like a really nice guy, but he just had this side of him that was just really out there. He was mad, just a mad scientist. Wow. All right. But he did stuff for me. He helped me um, actually write a pro, like a, a paint style program as well. He, he invented um, a computer that was 10 times faster than the first Pentiums that ever came out. Ironically, it didn't actually run off a standard programming language. You have to you have to create a new programming language for it, and no, no one wanted it. Nine. Not <laughs> just nine days of use. <laughs> nobody, nobody wanted to to buy it. it. There were there were military interested in it, but because there was no active language for it, no one was interested. But it was like ten times faster than the Pentiums. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, does anybody else have any acquisitions or updates they want to share? Yeah, um, I've got an update here. For I, I mentioned it earlier on the show. It's a, um, a little a board that I've got here. It's a, a development board. Uh, it's from a company called Second Sound. Um, a guy named Brian. I can't pronounce his last name. It's uh, Polish, I think. Or, um, but, yeah, he's, he's uh, sent a bunch of these boards out to developers and musicians. Um, and basically, if we can get a close-up shot there, it's got a, a, a microphone and line input socket here. Mm-hmm. It's got a, a, a line output socket here, um, a MIDI socket on the side, okay. just here, 5 MIDI. Um, and it's got a bunch of control voltage and gate outputs and everything on the front of it. And uh, what it does, it's uh, a custom chip that this guy's built, designed. Um, and this board is built around the custom chip to show off its functions and features. It converts pitch and volume information into control voltages and gates. It's got its own oscillator built in on board and also to MIDI signals. Um, so what I'm going to be doing with this, I'm going to connect it up to my Cocos and using the standard sound or play command on the Coco, I can feed a, an output notes, duration and whatnot into this thing. And this will convert the direct audio signal. It's not even have to be a control voltage or anything. It's a direct audio signal. It'll convert that into MIDI notes, into oh, wow. um, into analog control voltages and gate signals to control synthesizers, and also to control its onboard synthesizer section, which it's got there as well. Um, so yeah, if, if uh, it's the, the, the big selling point with this one, there's plenty of devices in the past that have done pitch to to similar task, pitch to voltage and pitch to MIDI and pitch to, to audio outputs. Um, but their tracking has always been the thing that's left them behind is, is how well they track the pitch and how quickly they do it. 
the big selling point with this thing um, is its claim to have overcome all of the difficulties with, with, with such a technical feat. Um, and it's supposed to be like super fast, super efficient, super accurate. Um, that's really interesting. So yeah, like, yeah, it is. My my, my interesting interest, uh, my uh, interest in creating a media interface for the Coco initially was quite limited. I thought I don't really need it to do that, but this thing does media as well. Yeah. So, uh, so basically, if I'm understanding you right, if you could if you could real time capture the audio out from the Coco, could you have it play on a MIDI instrument at the same time? So you get like a basically MIDI output from the Coco in real time? That's exactly what this thing does. And okay. not only MIDI, but control voltage and gate output okay. as well. And I was, I was trying to ask that question before. Wouldn't it be interesting if we could find something that could kind of like scrape the DAC and hear what the DAC is doing and then output that to a better quality synthesizer so you could, without having to rewrite software, we could basically get a sound chip for the Coco that would just listen to what the Coco is doing and make it sound better. It sounds like this is yeah. doing that. You could That's change exactly, like, what yeah. instrument it's simulating. Yeah, like exactly. And you a sound tone command. I want it sounded like a grand piano. Because the you know everybody's worried about well, there's no software for a new sound chip. But if there was something else that could take old software and just give it kind of an audible facelift, um, that would be a great invention. That would the software is already written. We're just now enhancing the audio uh, synthesis somehow. And it sounds like this might yeah. be doing that. Yeah. Well. Uh, yeah. And the, and the thing is with this thing too, it's. Um, I mean, it's monophonic, but the output, when I say monophonic, it's one note at a time, but then so is the output on the Coco. Right. Um, unless, unless you're doing machine language routines where you're simulating three or four voices like, like Simon Jonas has done with his, right. his latest programs. Right. But if you want to just take the basic, literal, basic command, like play like command. Like the play command, command, which is which is just single notes anyways. Yeah, and you want to do something a little more fancy with it and play, you know, like I play a DX7 or play my Mirage sampler or plug it into the big modular synthesizer and, and get it to do all sorts of things with that. I mean, on the board there, if I get up close enough, you can see it's got a bunch of controls on it as well. So it's got like input sensitivity, it's got a harmony, it's, you, you can actually use it to create harmonies, not wow. just a single note. Yeah, so it's, it's actually quite powerful. And there's an expansion header up the top here that you can use to connect other, you know, well, I'd be interested things. to hear some demos that you come up with on this. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, um, when uh, Brian sent out these units to to us, um, he said, "Look, I'll send them out to you guys for four weeks. You can evaluate them, do whatever you want with them." And then to some of us, he, he sent us an extra message, and he said, "Look, if you guys are willing to produce videos um, of of unique, you know, things that you've done with it, you can keep it." Okay. Um, so it's, it's like four hundred dollars or something to buy. Okay. The wow. Um, so yeah, really generous offer. So I'm I'm going to be this week and next week um, creating some videos, and specifically doing videos with the with my Coco One and Coco Three uh, because that's something fairly unique. I don't think anyone else with one of these boards will be doing that. Right, right, absolutely. Um, yeah, David, so it'll be, yeah. Did you end up getting a keyboard for your Coco Three? Because remember, you had the Coco Two keyboard in it. Uh, Coco One keyboard. It's right behind me here. That's, that's this one here with the with. The, um, yeah, I'm just uh, Ed Snyder is uh, any day now. He'll be um, uh, putting out his uh, his um, new Coco keyboard kits, um, and I'm on his list for the first, for some of the first ones that he's going to be putting out there. So that's awesome. any day now. I'm, yeah, I'm just holding off for, for Ed Snyder because he's done some amazing stuff for Coco. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Cool stuff. I can't wait to hear what you do with that. I mean, theoretically, because it's got an XLR mic input, 
Couldn't you possibly yeah. just yeah. sing into that thing from a condenser mic and have your voice be translated into notes? Absolutely, you can. Yeah, so That's you could actually dish. hum a line and have it translated into MIDI or, or and like I say, the electrical signals for other synthesizers. So you could literally sing songs and have it converted into electronic MIDI or other signaling. That's and exactly yeah. Well. That's exactly what it's designed to do, and it's designed to do it in real time, super fast. That's super amazing, right? So for yeah. somebody who yeah. doesn't know how to play an instrument, but you've got a melody in your head that you can hum, you could hum out melodies and hear it musically. Absolutely, yeah. And yeah. change instruments and everything. Yeah, else. Yeah, change the instruments, maybe get into some multi-track recording and the whole nine yards. Yeah, record it as MIDI. You know, we get into your DAW and, and plug a microphone into it, sing one line, and then go back and sing another as a, as line. As a mini track, yeah, I just have... keep overdubbing it all, yeah. yeah Karaoke Revolution on Coco 3. Yeah, that's that's a really neat thing. So right now, because that's a uh, that's $400 is not cheap, I know there's a lot of technology in there, but I'm just <laughs> wondering if it got to the point where this might be a little bit more uh, consumer commodity version of this, you know. Oh, absolutely. The, the, the whole thing with this particular board, you can see on the board itself, right where my finger is there, that's the actual custom chip on it. Um, this board has been put together just for, for developers and musicians, yeah. basically, to get their hands on the, the prototype, basically, sure, which this is. Sure, 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 sure. Um, and, and test it and find out what we can do with it and use our imaginations to think of applications. And, yeah. and the chip itself... You can take the chip itself then and, 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 and develop your own hardware. You might not need three-quarters of the functions on this board. If you want to put it into another device, like you might want to build one into a, a cartridge pack for a copa Right, or something. yeah. So so really um, the secret sauce there is that custom chip that does the real-time conversion. Yeah, absolutely. And he sent us along with it too. He sent us a whole pile of documentation here. And along with the documentation, there's the schematic diagrams and everything there so we can customize and tweak things and play wow. around with it and experiment that's that's so, the custom jimmy chip the, cust, the custom <laughs> jimmy chip yeah <laughs> yeah so it's uh, pretty exciting i'm actually you know i've had it here for a couple of weeks but last week i just i was just plagued with migraines that's why i wasn't on the panel for the yeah. last couple of weeks and uh this week i've and i actually didn't have any room i've only got one decent camera here at the moment and it's the camera on my phone um, and my phone's a 128 gigabyte model, and I had the whole thing filled up with junk, and there was like, you know, one and a half gigabytes worth of space left on it. Um, so I actually spent a couple of days ago just going through the phone and clearing off a whole lot of junk, and I freed up about 70 gigabytes of space. Um, so I can now get stuck into doing some videos and actually get something up there. Cool. Cool, yeah. cool, cool. Uh, okay. Stevie, you were saying about the price of the, the uh, unit? Yeah, I think it says about $400. Yeah, that's the de that's the development kit. Inflation yeah. rate. Australia has the highest retail inflation rate in the Western world, and even here in Brisbane, we have the third highest paid parking in the world. We were third to New York and LA. Wow. Uh, it's because we have a duopoly of uh, grocery chains that basically own everything. They own their own farms. They own their own dairy farms. They own their own produce farms. And they've basically killed the retail market and basically wiped out a, a large percentage, I won't say all of them, a large percentage of your mum and dad operations, your in, independent uh, stores, and they just completely ruined the market. Did that ruin David's uh, uh, prototype market too? <laughs> <laughs> DJ, DJ gear and any sound gear, is through the roof because they know people are going to make money out of it, so they do put the price up. 
But a good thing about that is it does filter out a lot of time wasters as well. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. All right. Uh, well, who else? Anyone else got a project update? Uh, I was just going to say I just need to uh, step away, guys, but it's been a great show. Yeah, so, th- hey, Brian, thank, thank you. you for reaching out to David Murray for us, and I'm, I'm glad that worked out, man. Yep, okay. good time. All Take right. care, all. Yeah, Nick Morentes. Uh, there's a update to my Popstar pilot, which I put up on Facebook for people to download. Uh, a lot of people have been having trouble getting past level two. Uh, some people have trouble getting past level one, but when they do finally get <laughs> one, then they really get stuck in level two. Who are these people? So, yeah, I reckon. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> I, I decided, uh, and it was something I thought of doing uh, later, swapping level two with level three because level two was harder than level three. So I thought I'll just put some balance into the difficulty level and swap them over. So now level two, uh, those people who have never been past level, the original level two can now at least see, well, what le- the old level three was before getting stuck again in, <laughs> in level two, right? So in level two, yeah. yeah. But you people want to see level four, you're just screwed. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's talking to you, Stevie. <laughs> they just have to man up. No, the, I, I've actually made it to level three a yeah, couple of times, but by that time I just kind of get know. overwhelmed. So now what would happen is this would let me practice level three. Once I practice level three, I might want to go back to the one dot version and then play it in the original order. <laughs> so <laughs> let's have, to have two different copies: the original and then the patched version, right? So level four. Here so I that's come. A, that's a free update. If you go to my website, I had the link on my on the Facebook page. Yeah, that's great. Where you can go in and just download as as, as a patch. So Thank you, Nick. you, you that's patch a great your patch. DSK file wherever it is on the floppy on a Coco SDC. Just re- basically just replace two files, and uh, lo and behold, the version one point one, as I called it. And so. Um, I'm imagining the way your game is broken down right now. You have level data, and that level data is on the disk, so that yeah. data doesn't have to change. But just nah, the nah. Po- the pointers as far as which level you load in well, which I had, order. Uh, the way I've written it, I had to physically move the data. Like, we'll swap the data between the two levels, and then a few changes in the code to to realize that the levels have have swapped. And There's a bug uh, yeah, fix that, too, isn't there? Sorry, there's a bug fix in there too, isn't there? Oh, I don't know if it's a bug fix. Um, well, that mysterious dying for no reason is that. Well, fix? I haven't seen it a- again, so maybe it's fixed that as well. But uh, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, it's it's a it's a free update for uh, okay. anyone. No, that's, so you, that's you gotta, cool. Yeah. Thank you, Nick. <laughs> I've, I've downloaded the update. Update? <laughs> yeah, I am update. <laughs> downloaded the update, but I haven't installed it yet, so I'm looking right. forward to playing around with that. So. <clears throat> Well, maybe what we can was, uh, ar- maybe we can arrange a uh, screening later on tonight or something. I won't be able to make anything this afternoon, okay. th- tonight, rather, or this okay. afternoon for me. Yeah. <laughs> what was that uh, project, that semi-graphic project that you were doing, Nick? I didn't catch what. Ah, that was. yes, uh, that's a little project. I'll probably announce that next week. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah, it's just another another little uh, gunstar distraction project I've been working on. So uh, I'm still putting it together. So I'll, I figured I'll wait till next week, so I'll have something to show. 
It's got giant crocs in it too, yeah? Right? Yeah, crikey, crikey, crikey. <laughs> <laughs> excellent, excellent, excellent. All right, so anybody else have a project update or an acquisition or a show and tell? Anybody want to share their feelings, anything like that? <laughs> no? All right. Uh, Curtis, you want to do some news? Oh, Actually, sure. I have a feeling to share. Uh-oh, oh, Grant, Grant Lady has something to share. All right. <laughs> no, I just wanted to say that I uh, I got to play with my uh, new MC-10 a uh, couple days ago, and I will agree with Steve Bjork. It is, <laughs> it is nothing but a – it is terrible. <laughs> I don't see how anybody used that thing. <laughs> it is very hard to type. I just can't imagine sitting there with a rainbow and typing programs on that thing, but – but yeah, I mean it's nice to have. Don't get me wrong, but uh, it's very not user friendly. That is for sure. This run ease of use on it that would change everything. <laughs> <laughs> MC10. I'm not hoarding that. <laughs> it's very easy to type on if you're five years old. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, there's the problem. I just can't believe we gave up the. Uh, the uh, the Coco uh, Deluxe for that. It's, it's, yeah, it's well, amazing. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? <laughs> no, All I right. Do that. So that's my feelings for the day. Okay. <laughs> so L. Curtis Boyle, are you ready to go into some news? Yeah. Well, I'm fighting off my cat here. All right. Um. So <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and um, I'm gonna play the music and introduce you, and then when I say "Take it away, Curtis," then you can take it away. All right. All right, everybody, it's time for news with L. Curtis Boyle. Take it away, Curtis. Okie dokie. Seeing the screen? Yes, Angry Birds. Vizzes. Yeah, this this is actually one of the games that's been one of the AGD projects, um, you know, the ports from the Spectrum. Okay. uh, Henry Redfield put up a video of it, so because a lot of us haven't actually seen the games play. Okay. So I'll just show you a little clip. It's actually not Angry Birds itself. It's kind of based on Angry Birds, but let's see, let's fast forward a little bit here. And then maximize you're it too. You're shooting down the birds. You're kind of putting the part of the pigs. Here. I see. Okay. Maximize the video so we can see a little bigger. That okay. Works? Yeah. So you have a cannon in the middle. Can you aim the cannon too? Or you move it... it left and right. It seems like it's always shooting straight up the middle though. That looks good. So this is one of the arcade game designer kits that have been ported. Is this one of the ones made by the classroom of 10-year-old kids, too? or No, this is one of the, uh, I don't know, would you call them semi-commercial ones or whatever? Okay. Ones? Yeah, it looks That's good. Falling de- the yeah. falling debris is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, that engine actually looks pretty good. I, I, and there's some more stuff on that coming up later on. We can talk about it a bit more. Okay. Cool. Good job, Henry Rayfeld. Uh Speaking of, <clears throat> two more uh, game packs were released. Numbers, what are we up to now? 35 and 36, which is the remainder of the ones from that uh, primary school okay. in Scotland that did it. So there's um, this one here is the 35. It's the part three one. The Dragon with the Wagon. I just like the title of that one. Yeah, I like the ring to it, huh? The Dragon with the Wagon. Yeah, there's a little dragon up there right there, but... Uh, yeah, so there's two more of these uh, school packs have been released, uh, and that finishes them now. Um, and uh, they've updated the main big pack if you want to download the entire thing at once, you know, for all the AGD games put together, or you can get the individual packs if you've been kind yeah. of 
gathering them as they happen. Now, one thing that he's added on the Cocoa list and on the forum <clears throat> on the World of Dragon, and I think on the Facebook group too, is that the kids and the teacher are actually looking for some feedback from the general public for playing these games. Okay. What did you think of the game? What did you think of the design? You know, that type of thing. Okay. You know, give encouragement to the kids. So I'd highly recommend people download these four game packs that have these games and then right. give them back to the arcade designers of the future. So give All them right. as much. Well, as maybe we can make that a project tonight if we get together for a uh, after after talk and we can try these out yeah okay cool so that yeah that that's pack. that would be good to do to be able to do right give them some feedback yeah i'll just quickly scroll through here this is from the uh the last pack the fourth one mm -hmm. welcome to the yeah so, a similar you know when uh when we were at coco fest and uh, brendan donahue's daughter morgan was making uh some games for the coco using the coco vga and one of them was like you had to catch hearts and stuff I just kind of gave her some feedback on on the joystick because when you read the joystick literally and you're you're using the actual value of the joystick for your screen position, it can be very unpredictable. So I kind of showed her what I did in Cosmic Aliens, where I kind of just pull the left and right sides, and if I cross a certain threshold, then I move left, and or then I move right. And so just kind of showed her how that made it a little less, you know, less like you know, spastic moving across the screen, and so. She was going to take some of those tips and, and work with that. So, yeah, it'd be good to give some feedback and constructive criticism and stuff. Yeah. They, they look yeah. really good. The level designs from these pictures look great. Yeah, and there was some discussion on um, on the Cocoa list, I guess, Art Flex, the guy who did ADOS. He was asking, like, you know, what is the environment like? Because he just hasn't seen it. And um, Per Surratt actually responded, mentioning, you know, how the – you, it's it's currently on the spectrum. You have to do the actual design, but it's basically you design the graphics, you design the sprites, you design the levels, et cetera. And then you have this kind of C cross compiler type thingy that does some of the actual coding or, or at least create C code that the C compilers will use to create the actual games. Hmm. So it'd be kind of interesting if we can get pair on or maybe at some time just to actually, you know, throw in a, a demo of, you know, a level or something like what it actually looks like in the code, just so we can see what the programming looks like. Because these are 10 and 11 year olds. And to be able to come up with this kind of stuff, I'm imagining the language can't be that, a difficult the language looks a lot like basic but with no line numbers okay you've actually seen the actual source code then that they, the, the kids would actually be designing i themselves? haven't seen their source code but there's a whole series of videos in some of the arcade game designer groups and there is a um, actually a cross-platform version of arcade game designer um and uh then there's one agdx where they add a bunch of stuff and they've tried you know modifying the engine the, the game engine is um it's basically a library of scenes that all your code uses and uh you tell it what sprites to show where to move them and stuff like that but it, it looks a lot like basic okay that's cool yeah i haven't actually seen any of the code for it yet just the just the results so it'd be interesting to see that absolutely yeah there's a whole bunch of videos on it so and I know he he mentioned that there is a Windows port of the entire design engine and stuff getting done right now. That once that's done, you'll be able to use a modern machine and, and create the same software for these machines. Yep. So here's the the big pack 2.4, which is add, adds the two new ones. So if you want to download okay. the entire EGD collection in one shot, there you go. That could take literally dozens of megabytes of disk space. Oh, well, I think well, there's always a, there's over a hundred games now. Yeah. I think it's almost 200 now. Wow. 
because it's been averaging about five per five or six per disc, and there's yeah thirty six. Actually, images, I think so. I mentioned there was over a hundred a couple of months ago. <laughs> yeah, quite a while ago. Yeah, yeah. No, I think they're almost at two hundred right now. Wow. If, if they haven't it. it's cranking them out. Yeah. Well, he enlisted all that child slave labor to, to write the last twenty. But. <laughs> <laughs> Who runs his production company? Kathy Lee Gifford. <laughs> anyway, here's uh, the, if you're on the uh, World of Dragon uh, forums here, this is the the specific mention that they do want some feedback. Uh, Hello, the whole twenty games being developed by the P6 students have been released. They would like to know what you think about their efforts. So please test the games and leave some kind of feedback here. They will be watching this thread to know how do you like their games. Okay. And they also posted that on the Coco list. And I think he's also posted Facebook. So I think they're actually monitoring all three so they can okay. send feedback. Okay. Excellent. So. I just that's it's, it's really cool. It's a really cool project to teach kids to play or write games that early. Yeah, and yeah. I was thinking and about that. retro at the same time. Yeah. And, you know, I was thinking about that when David Murray was talking about his his Commodore project that he wants to design a computer that would be easy for somebody who wants to learn computer science, you know, computer electronic science, what it's like to design and develop and produce a simple computer where you can physically see everything. I, I see some value in that, you know, and it's it's interesting. So. Um, yeah, the, there's plenty of uh, new retro computers that are FPGA, but they're not. And well, and there's some, you know, project ones where they're using a Z, a modern Z80 or something like that. But this is uh, a lot more like a computer you'd use and you can actually see the parts. Yeah, yeah there's something there's something neat about that. Yeah. And I, I had not heard of like, I, I think... Um... Is it Evan Wright that has a game? The adventure game cross compiler. Oh no, but he actually teaches a class. Oh yeah, video game design thing. for his students. Yeah, yeah. Which he, I mean, he's he's brought some of the fest to see some of the retro stuff, but I don't think their main focus is actually developing on a retro system, whereas right. this actually is. So, anyway, yeah. Please, I encourage everybody to download the four game packs. There's twenty, yeah. 20 games. To... You got to remember that the original games, um, Spectrums. Uh, arcade game designer started on the Spectrum and Spectrums were very uh, much part of the schools. Kind of like the so, Apples were in the States? Yeah, and well, the, the official machine after a while was the BBC Micro, but the, before that, there were Spectrums in schools. So, you know, the, they're pretty common. They still... Spectrum, there's still spectrums in every classroom now. Only these days, it's the autism spectrum. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I couldn't resist that. <laughs> okay, so we will try to do that. Okay, and yeah, actually doing a little uh, a public display of some of these games here, I think would be a good, yeah, a good might, that'd, be a, that'd be a good little stream project. Yeah, and another little stream project that might be interesting, which I actually sent to you too. This is something actually has been out. Oh, go away. This is actually something that's been out for a while, but I hadn't seen it before. And Henry Eiffel posted this up. It's an article on, on retro gamers' take on what they thought the best 10 Dragon games were. And a few of them we've seen on the show, and a few of them we've, are, are conversions from the Coco, but there's... That uh, airball? <laughs> yeah. So there's like Chucky Egg, um, Leggett, which I have not played before. I've never tried that one. Uh, Donkey King. Now you get to see what Donkey King looks like in PMO 3. Ouch. Ouch. <laughs> Yeah, it's oh, kind of bad. the humanity. <laughs> I, I, I brought this image what up, especially for Nick. 
Yeah. You know, you know what Nick said to that? Crikey! He said, "Crikey!" Crikey! <laughs> <laughs> There's the famous airball, of course. That looks a lot like uh, the other one, uh, Night's Lore. I think Night's Lore is more kind of like a sequel to it, wasn't? Wasn't Night's Lore came out afterwards? I can't remember the I order. Don't remember the I'm order, not sure the order. They, yeah. yeah, it was another isometric. Metric, yeah. Okay. I mean, it looks like the same type of level design. Actually, Here's Devil Assault by Ken Callish, which we've seen the artifacting version, so it's quite different. Christ. The dragon version of Airball <laughs> came out before any of the other versions. Yeah, it, it kind of makes you wonder, the people in the UK, were they big fans of pea soup? Because that's what every single one of these games looks like. <laughs> well, there was, you got to remember, there was no uh, artifacting colors. I know, I know, I know. But all these screens look like, you're, like uh, you know, green pea soup. Puke green, I call yeah. it. Well, could be that orange and baby white. vomit green. Yeah, baby vomit. I can't, I can't yeah. stand peas. <laughs> peas make me feel like vomiting. <laughs> Here's Jet Set Willy, which is another one, but it actually it kind of resembles the AGD style game. It does. Kind of, I've heard yeah. the name, but I've not seen the game. So these might be good to showcase too, these top 10 dragon games, huh? Yeah. Rama's Revenge is one I've sent you a copy of because it's it's honestly the best battle. I, d- I have out. I have a video of me playing that on my uh, one of my DVDs, the one that has thirteen games that have never been on YouTube. So yeah. it's on one of my DVDs of me playing that. Yeah, that's pretty neat. Yeah, it is that's a neat game. game. Yeah. It plays really good at double speed on a Coco Three too. Might mention. Yeah. Grid Runner. This is one I've never seen before too, and it's using that pastel favorite. Yeah, that's hurting my eyes. It's better than pea green. Yeah. yeah, make it stop. Make it stop. <laughs> I stop promise right I'll be good. There. Stop right there. The black. <laughs> <laughs> uh, cat trilogy, which is a series of adventure games. This I've never okay. seen before either. And he's using the alternate character set because green isn't you know bad enough in the eyes. You got to use the yeah. yellowish. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Now, I will say there are some amazing things you can do with these modes, and Nick will have more on that next week. Okay. Teaser. Crikey. Crikey. <laughs> Backtrack, I think we kind of, this was kind of a 3D-ish walkthrough, too, because you walk between the rooms. Oh, that's neat. Like, I like that. Mm. Top view of this you know, complex of rooms, and it actually does a really good job of the... That's sim- uh, similar to the Attic Attack view. Which one? Attic Attack. I think it's what it's called, something like that. Hmm, not familiar with that one, I don't think. But it's a cool one. That one I've actually seen before. And then he's on to the next platform. But anyway, yeah, there's a lot of interesting okay, games. Okay, yeah, there. we should probably do a showcase on these at some point yeah. in time. And see if we agree with them, too, because there's a lot of original Dragon games. There's yeah. probably about 100 or so that we've never saw in the Coco back in the day that we maybe we can say, you know, is this our top 10 as well, or do we have different picks? Yeah, neat. Cool. Speaking of dragons. Yeah, and and still Henry Reitfeld. He was busy this week. Henry Reitfeld. So he's using a modified Coco SDC. So he's modified it. So he's got the Dragon DOS on it. So it's compatible with the Dragon, obviously. Okay. But he's also got the SDC Explorer modified to run with Dragon DOS. Because Dragon DOS, unlike Extended Basic, which is very similar between, almost identical between the Coco and the Dragon, the disk basic part is totally different. So he's actually got it running now that you can use the SDC Explorer. Let's go a bit here. To work with DOS Plus. Wow. Okay. Isn't there a Dragon mode already on the uh, on the SDC? You can just flip some dip switches. There is, uh, but I don't think SDC Explorer worked with it because all the disk commands are completely different. Okay. So I think he what he's done is he's made it compatible, and you can now use 
Okay. The Explorer to launch Dragon titles instantly without... Ah. Yeah, it's not quite that easy. It does take some work to get uh, get the SDC up and running on a Dragon. Okay. I was working on that. Uh, so it's, it's not just a few dip switches. There's a dip switch, and then you have to load ROMs, and then you have to do this and do that. Oh, so the Dragon yeah. ROMs are not built in. No, you'd have to copy the ROMs over. Copy the ROMs over using that SDC utility, like the same one you would flash it with. You just load it to a different bank. Yeah. Yeah, and then you have to flip the switch because the addressing's a little bit different too. And then, like I said, the DOS itself is completely different as far as like how the directories are structured are totally different. The disk's format is differently set up. And the actual commands you use for disk basics type stuff is different as well too. So it's it's quite different. Okay. So it's really, really like using a different computer then, almost. Yeah. Yeah. And we already mentioned that some Australian hick here did some pop start pilot yeah. monitor. <laughs> <laughs> the interesting thing is that you did it as a patch, though, because it's still a commercial product. So you download this patch disk, and then you apply the patch. And you have change. to own the original. He's not giving yeah. away the whole program. Yeah, that's stingy bugger. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was like Steve Bjork saying people would come to these computer clubs and saying, "Hey, can you give me the patch for my copy of Sands of Egypt?" That I. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I'll, I'll probably let James talk about this more than me here, but this was a Commodore 16 program I think you'd seen that is using a basic that actually had you know circle commands and stuff. So this is uh, running a, a demo to draw kind of a, a sphere using a bunch of different circle commands. I'll just fast forward past his assuming it plays. So, I mean, the, the, the basic on the Commodore 16 was closer to what we were used to with okay. Circle Command. Yeah. The big difference on that is it's uh, the, um, what is it, uh, widths or uh, heights, the, the parameters are slightly different. So the, base, the, the Circle Command itself is the same, but the bits that you take on at the end are different, yeah? Well, the the uh, the parameters are different, yeah. And yeah, interestingly yeah. enough, there they are able to print text right on top of their graphic screen that we are not. Yeah. Well, sort of. it it has a mode where you can do it on the bottom. Oh, okay, it's so kind of like the split screen. R two on the old Apple two where they had the four lines of text. Okay, reserved. and the Atari uh, four hundred eight hundred had one like that too. Yeah. Okay. And then James did the same thing. He ported it over to the Cocoa one and two. Now he's running the Cocoa three in this case. Yeah, I tried to leave the code as much and the same as possible, and look at the difference in speed. Yeah, this is where you can tell how much better our basic was. Well, oh yeah, <laughs> and that's single speed, so that's point eight nine five versus one megahertz on the. I'm on sorry, the can you do it again? It happened so fast I couldn't see it. <laughs> well, here, watch the speed up poke version then. Oops. I, bl- yeah, I right. blinked that was, that and I missed it. Speed. Yeah, I blinked and I missed it. <laughs> there, yeah, done. <laughs> Yeah, the Commodore Basic is really slow because it uses uh, it supports memory under the ROM, so that you get up to fifty-two k of RAM for your Basic. But it at the expense of some speed because you have to keep swapping it in and out. It it, it actually runs slower than the Commodore sixty-four Basic, even though it's clocked faster. Wow, what's the clock speed on the Commodore sixteen? I don't even know. The 64 is 1 megahertz, and the plus 4, 116, you know, the 16, those are 
one point seven seven. So the equivalent of our double speed poke. Yeah, it's it's like the more like the Atari and the and our double speed. But um to keep Stevie's head from melting. (laughs) uh, Oh now why would you want to do that? Yeah. It it has to swap the ROM in and out and it's it's very slow. Okay. So that 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 Commodore sixteen video demo that that was actually at one point seven eight megahertz? That's full speed. Wow. Okay, I thought it was yeah, just running well. the standard one megahertz, so that's even more pathetic than I thought. Yeah. It, it runs at that <laughs> speed all the time. It, it's uh, to access that memory, disable interrupts, enable interrupts, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Oh wow. Okay. Hence I'm why. Go, go ahead. Oh, hence why I was questioning David before about V2 Basic and yeah. Thanks Houston for scaring Act. them away, Nick. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know. I'm giving him the facts of life. <laughs> well, in in, in yeah. layman's terms, it goes from zero to sixty-four in fifteen point nine seconds. <laughs> Something, yeah. So all all, all those extra uh, viewers we got before who were just being booted off the show. <laughs> we just lost them all. <laughs> Now, I'm going to segue to something I don't have video for here. This was a discussion on the Cocoa List, and I know a lot of you are not on the Cocoa List, but um, this has actually caused a discussion. It was probably the biggest discussion I've seen the Cocoa List for quite a while. And this was from a guy, um, I'm trying to remember his name, uh, Mark Anderson, who I haven't heard of before, but he said, and I'll, I'll just quote his email. <clears throat> I have to say I'm shocked at the level of discrimination I receive when I wear my TRS-80 color computer Radio Shack black T-shirt in public, most notable in bookstores. In the past six months at two different bookstores, I've had an older couple and an older gentleman both scoff and say trash 80 out loud at me with a smirk. The first time I let it go, but this last time I said, don't say that, sir. He confronted me and said that he had an apple back in the day. I told him I was published in the Rainbow Magazine at the age of 10, and he asked me if I still had my TRS-80. I said I had several. Just wanted to know if anybody else has had any similar stories. And there was a lot of people that, you know, responded that, you know, trash it was worn as a badge of honor. It wasn't meant to, to be a bad thing. It was just kind of a cute nickname. Of course, we had Coco for ours. Um, my personal experience at the time was that trash 80 was reserved for the model 134, yeah. the black and white tier Mercedes. And Coco, we, we didn't have an 80 chip in our machine, right? No. So we just considered ourselves totally separate. But from talking to different people in the UK and the States and Australia on the list, there's definitely some difference of opinion, whether it was meant as a complete slam or if it was meant to be cute, or if the cocoa was even included in this. I was just wondering on the panel here, what were your experiences back in the day as far as, you know? It was originally for the Model 1 because you had that cable that connected the main computer to the expansion interface, and if it got uh, oxidized, (laughs) it would crash. And you had to take a pencil eraser and erase it and stuff. Sounded just the 16K RAM packs for the Sinclairs. (laughs) <laughs> there was also a uh, uh, there was also a, an adapter that you could solder to uh, the, the Model One and to the expansion interface that had gold contacts, and so you would you would slide this little thing on and, on and solder it to each part the expansion interface of the Model One, and then there was a cable with gold contacts that you could connect, and that would solve that problem. Yeah, I've had yeah. people refer to the Cocoa as the Trash 82. I think there might be some people too. who yeah. had a specific understanding of what that reference meant, but I think it became just kind of a derogatory a statement for, for the brand name because yeah. TRS, yeah. 
sounds kind of like trash, and so it's just slamming that. And I think oddly that, enough, the MC-10 is the only one that's technically not a TRS-80. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. it had the TRS-80 logo on it, didn't it? Yeah. Or no? Uh, yeah. I don't it's the original yeah. Coco oh, ones and yes. trees. So, oh, yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. I'm, I'm mistaken. So I think the I think a lot of people used it, didn't even know the origin anymore. It just was a, it was a cool thing to say as a slam. You know, yeah. we're going to slam yeah, that. The Coco dropped the TRS-80 when it got to the Coco 2 model. Then it switched to Tandy branding. Yeah. 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 Right. Like I think that was started. honestly to get away from the TRS. The, yeah, they were I mean, slow to get away from it. Yeah, they actually, to get away from the entire Radio Shack name. Yeah, which was because people looked at Radio Shack. You know, they didn't view it as. Although at the time, Radio Shack was probably the best computer company out there because they were the biggest. Uh, you know, Apple was growing at the time. Commodore was still kind of small at the time, but Tandy Corporation was a big, big company, and uh, so. At the time, you know, they were probably the best computer on the market or one of the best for sure, uh, especially if you're running a business. You know, the Model 2 was a good business machine. And, uh, you know, they were pretty serious about it for a long time. And then the, the PC came out and uh, everybody rolled over and bought a PC and that kind of killed off everybody else except Apple. Well, Tandy actually, when the Tandy 1000, like like uh, David was talking on his bit there earlier, uh, the Tandy 1000, when it came out, actually was doing quite well for the first couple of years because it was more advanced than a PC. Mm-hmm. But yeah. they, they kind of lagged. They didn't keep pushing the envelope like they did with that first Tandy century. was the biggest manufacturer for a long time because you got to remember they had pocket computers. They had the Model 100. They had PC compatibles, the <laughs> Model 1, 2, 3, 4, the color computer 12, 16 yeah there's tons yeah, yeah at, you may have had more of one type of computer sold by apple or commodore 64 or whatever but they had a lot of computers to choose from yeah. so total sales were, were really good mm-hmm. don't forget who a lot of those pocket computers were actually rebranded uh sharp oh yeah pocket yeah. yeah and anything oh, yeah. with the 100 that's kind of how they started getting into uh just carrying stuff other people produced and then they stopped making their own which kind of is what ended up killing them off in the computer market well Well, towards the end they they also bought grid the profit margin on the pc market got really tight and that's when tandy kind of got out of it and sold off the factories for the pcs that they were manufacturing because it was you made no money on a pc back in the day because it was so, there was so much competition that the profit margin was like. Hey, let me just say, hey, Curtis, can you maybe stop sharing for a second? Because we're staring at a static listing of a program, and maybe it'd just be better to have the discussion faces going off. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that's an interesting, it is definitely an interesting topic. It's, it, like I say, it's for us uh, owners of tandy radio shack products that's kind of like the n-word right it was used it was used to hold yeah. us down uh, at a time when when well, when, like, when, t- when things were much more t- tumultuous right well it's uh, like people calling commodore commodore yeah, commodore commode odor yeah 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, the same kind of thing as well as we got is what I'd like to say. But. The same kind of thing goes on today with like iPhone versus Android and things like that. And yeah, I, don't, yeah, yeah. I don't look at it like yeah. that because someone says, "Oh, I've got so an Android what, phone." What, I don't slam them for what, it. What I what I wonder is, I mean, I'm 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 reading the guy's email now too. I went ahead and I pulled it up too. Um, so the original posting was, and it's hard to tell the we don't know the tone of the person who said it and what intent. But again, when we read the message, it says, I have to say I'm shocked at the level of discrimination I receive when I wear my TRS-80 color computer Radio Shack black t-shirt in public, most notably in bookstores. For the past six months, at two different bookstores, I had an older couple and an older gentleman both scoff and say Trash 80 out loud at me with a smirk on two separate occasions. The Apple crowd well, is a bit. Um... Oh God, how do I put it? <laughs> uh, Mark, what is your opinion? Ask Mark. <laughs> uh, I'm trying to find a polite no, way to put it. Elitist, uh, elitist, arrogant, elitist, maybe arrogant. Arrogant. Yes. yes. Self-confident. How's that? Uh, I believe. <laughs> I believe elitist pricks would be kind. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> there are those, plenty those of them. Let's try Does to remember whether there's an Apple people. employee in the room. <laughs> Ken, Ken Reichard saying, who still has bookstores? iPhones <laughs> is Android parts anyway. It's Samsung parts. So mm-hmm. these guys that think they belong to some elite club, oh, I've got an iPhone, they're actually still supporting Samsung and Android. So they're yeah. fools. Oh, and I asked like, him, okay, can you people. take a landscape picture with your phone? Because sure. <laughs> they still uh, yeah. can't, you can't take a portrait or landscape because they don't have a patent on it. Somebody else does. Would a Android phone? Now, those two older people that uh, made that comment, they're older people because only older people would have known the back name in Trash the day. 80. Yeah, the t- that's right. So they were probably ex Apple people or yeah. whatever. And when they saw the name, that brought back memories of you know the old yeah, days. Yeah, so you wonder, was, yeah. was it was it tongue in cheek or was it actual yeah. vitriol? Yeah, well, back in, well, probably. Back in the day, I think a bit of both, maybe. Back, yeah, back old in the day, it was vitriol, pure and simple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It would have been bringing back memories from them yeah. when they saw that. That brought back memories of what they used to say about the TRS eighties. Well, depending I mean, de- have... depending on the age of these old people, they may have a new record for holding the longest grudge. <laughs> I thought <laughs> I thought that belonged to a couple other members in our community, but maybe they're 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 outside. So, <laughs> well, I mean, at, at this point, it's kind of you know, at my age, I think that kind of stuff is a bit juvenile. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When I was younger, I kind of would trash on other people too, uh, with because oh, you've got an Apple or a Commodore instead of a, a Radio Shack computer, uh, because I liked the Radio Shack computers, but I mean, come on. I mean, my fifties now, I don't really play those sorts of juvenile games. Uh, oddly enough, <laughs> Apple had one of the crappiest designs of any of the machines. I mean, well, screen, Apple too. Yeah. I was never a big fan. Well, the only thing I have to go ahead, go ahead. No, Grant Lady speaking. The only thing I was going to say was, <laughs> If it wasn't for us Microsoft and IBM people, Apple will not be around today. Oh, yeah. Because Microsoft bailed them out. Microsoft hadn't given them money. Yeah. 
Um, Who'd ever heard of juvenile games on re- about retro platforms? Like, what are we talking about here? Yeah, what never happens. <laughs> Playing games and all that—that's crazy. Yeah, Crackle, my, my yeah. personal opinion Crikey. is in modern times now, it's it's the entire retro community defending against all the quote unquote modern people who just look. Why are you using this old crappy computers? No matter what brand. Yeah, you almost have to. Why aren't you together? using a Windows or a Mac? Like, what are you using this crap for? So I, th- I view it now that we're defending ourselves as a whole, the whole retro community against people that just don't understand. Why would you be interested in that in the first place? The enemy of my enemy really, is my ally, or how does that go? Yeah, kind of, kind of like that. Yeah. I, you uh, know, yeah, I, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, the people who are going to bag on us, who cares? You know, let them have their, right. you know, their moaning, groaning. This is something we do because we love doing it. If someone yeah, else doesn't like it, big deal. You know, and, and also. I mean, even, even back in the day, I was just going to say, back in the day, in the in the in the eighties, like in the early eighties, when we were, you know, the whole Tandy and, and Commodore sixty four. That's where, with us, it was all the Tandy versus. So Commodore. here, here's here's the best thing this guy can do to get revenge. All he's got to do is get a long black rope with a hood, a big wooden stick with a little scythe at the end, and just walk up behind the guy and go boo, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, honestly, I'm I, for you. I'm, I'm into retro computing just as a hobby. I don't actually use it to, you know, like record my calendar events and things like that. I mean, obviously, yeah, I have a modern. No, I, I do everything on Deskmate. What are you talking about? <laughs> I see. I don't. Are there people that actually do that? Because, I have I no mean, idea. Kind of Glenn side that comes to mind uh, for that. As, 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 as Mr. T would say, I pity the fool. So. <laughs> do some people actually use their retro computers for that kind of stuff? Because, you know, honestly, you know, I use my Mac and my iPad and my iPhone for that kind of stuff. And I use, uh, you know, the retro computing is like more of a hobby to tinker with and that kind of thing. I don't. Uh, I don't expect that too many people are out there using their computer for day-to-day type well, stuff. Glenn side for the longest time was using DynaCalc on the Coco to do registration. As an example. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's hardcore. Hard you know, yeah, that's <laughs> hardcore. And then Nick drew a bunch of icons using an actual native SuperIke program. He didn't do it on Amiga or a PC. He actually yeah. did it on the Coco. So there's a teeny bit, I guess. <laughs> Is that how he treated the, treated the trash can icon? No, that one he did in his Amiga. He, <laughs> no, I did that separately. Um, Amiga? Now that's a good computer. Get the rope. <laughs> <laughs> and the whole Trash 80 thing back in the day, too. I mean, it's something that, you know, my friends used to, you know, we, we sort of have a bit of a tongue-in-cheek joke with each other. And my, you know, Commodore 64 friends, oh, you did this on your Trash 80. And, oh, yeah, you did that on your old Bombardor and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We were just joking. It was just, it was just mucking. We, yeah, it's kind, it's kind of like a college, them. college football rivalry type stuff, you know. So yeah, but yeah, yeah. 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 I know people it, don't joke. Yeah, no. I was just going to say. I know in my case, we had we had some pretty heated discussions. Let's put it that way in high school and stuff. And there was actually a bit of hatred between the groups. Like here, I wouldn't hear the the, the, I, the irony of it was back. The only people who used computers in the eighties literally were nerds. No quote unquote normal yeah. people use computers. Yeah. So by having yeah. this computer competition, you're basically saying who's the best and biggest nerd of all the nerds. You know, it's like king, king of the losers, right? Who's the who's the king of the losers? Is what we were fighting I for. I have a hex pack. You know? Come on. So um, now nerds rule the world. Well. They rule I the world now. If I were yeah. responding to that, I think I'd ask him if they own an iSpend. An iSpend? What's that? 
an iMac watch, or an iPhone or I a, spend. Oh, I spend. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I spend. I spend. They're not really any more or less expensive than uh, the the competition. Oh, blah blah blah. I don't want to hear about your Apple rhetoric. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did want to mention oh, one other anecdote. Oh yeah, whatever. <laughs> I did want to mention one more anecdote too. Like we had this heated competition in high school because we had people with Commodore sixty fours, Atari eight hundreds, Cocos, and Apple twos in the school itself. And then I think about grade ten or eleven, we the teachers decided to let us on one Friday night bring your own home computers because they wanted to expose the students to other home computers, not just what the school board had. And we brought in Cocos, we brought in Commodore sixty fours, and then the animosity went way down because we're all playing each other's games and they're going, wow, the Zaxxon on the Coke was actually pretty damn good. And they'd see Dagrath and that's totally unique, but we'd play Ultima 3 on an Apple II and we'd play, you know, whatever on the Commodore 64 and the Atari Panhards. And then the vitriol went way down. We all saw that each platform had some advantages, had some unique titles yeah. that were yeah. really good. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and that's true. Much easier. Yeah. The Commodore has yeah. some phenomenal graphic capabilities, even though it's got a, a low-end CPU. The, the graphics sound. and the sound yeah. are both sound. just amazing on the camera. Yeah. The color palette yeah. is mediocre, but... Yeah. <laughs> Pretty good for 16 color, though. For yeah. 16 color. Yeah. If and then you took, like, the Apple II, which only had six colors and high res, and you had that weird, stupid map screen and stuff. And some of the games that those program developers pulled off on that sucker yeah. are amazing. <laughs> That was the fun of the 80s. Every computer was different and you went to one brand and you saw what it could do. Uh, but then you just walked to another booth, say, if it was a computer show, and it's a completely different brand, different graphics, different, different software. Capabilities, and it was, yeah. It was, yeah, it was interesting. Whereas now you go to a computer show, it's PCs, PCs, and, oh, there's a Mac over there. And, you know, yeah. all the same. Anyway, this like you're running Photoshop, you're running browsers you're running this right crew. and at like, this point the, all no computer difference. at this point yeah. all computers are pc the only thing that's different is all the yeah. operating system it's Based either windows os us. linux or mac it's that's yeah. right yeah precisely yeah. it was much more fun back then yeah 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 and a lot of people don't realize that you know the applications that a lot of people use like microsoft word or photoshop uh are available on the mac oh. is, uh, as well as the pc yeah uh, i can't tell you how many customers are like oh you're like oh i have a pc because i have to use microsoft office I'm like, well, we have Office. Yeah. And they're like, how and, long and, have you had And the it? same and people like, say, well, I bought a Mac because I need to run Photoshop. Well, yeah, you can run Photoshop yeah. on Windows too. So, yeah. yeah. These yeah. Programs and a lot are... of stuff now is doing being done via Google Docs and stuff, so you don't even need a full-blown WordPress. No, it's browser-based. It's browser-based, yeah. browser so it doesn't really I need matter. to actually makes phone calls and doesn't you know, do all this other stuff that drains all the battery. That'd, that'd be nice. Like, give me an old Nokia any day. <laughs> <laughs> You can, you can plug it in the wall right beside your landline phone, right? Yes. <laughs> cool. But yeah, I, I do remember those old computer, those early computer shows where you yeah. every booth you walked in was different. Yeah. Different mm -hmm. computers, different culture behind it. You know, in the the people, it was interesting. It was good. Absolutely. Yeah, variety was the king. Yeah. Sorry. Variety was king. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Stuff. A lot more variety. And not only that, but you saw, say, Zaxxon on the color computer, but then you'd go to the next booth and you'd see Zaxxon on the Atari and Zaxxon on the Apple. And it was, you know, the same program, but different. Each right. one exploiting different the abilities. Different uh, interpretations of it, yeah. It was interesting to see what each machine could do or what the programmers of that computer could do to um, – 
to showcase their computers and what's different about them, what, what advantages they had. I remember you were always looking forward to, well, what's the next generation going to be like? What are they going to add? What are they, and now it's just yeah, like, yeah. well, it's a little yeah. faster. It's, oh, it's got a couple more cores to the CPU. Yeah. Oh, got a faster SSD and yeah. Faster yeah. Uh, 4K, 4K screen, 8K screen, you know. So. Well, the <laughs> days, the early days where the computers were so limited that when a new generation would come out and everything doubled or tripled or quadrupled, it was like, wow, look at how much it advanced. Right. But, I mean, we're to the point now where, you know, how many more dots do you need on the screen? You know, I got a 4K iMac. Do I really need a 5k or an 8k or yeah and i've got about you know, a, i've got about a half a k pair of eyes at this point so the 80s the late 70s and the early 80s was the computer revolution where a new computer would come out it'd have something completely different all of a sudden it's got a yeah. sprite chip nobody had a sprite right. chip before or whatever now it's evolution it's just you know we we tweak it we speed it up it's, it's, now we yeah. have to slow it back down because we've got bugs in the chips and you can break into stuff and you know yeah <laughs> Yeah, that stupid Spectre and Meltdown. I haven't patched my studio computer for that, and I'm not going to because I don't want it to be affected. <laughs> well, there's there's more past that now too, so there's... there's yeah, I, I, I don't bother because it doesn't go online, that computer, and it's like, you know, Microsoft want to get in, they want to cripple this and cripple that. It's like, go away with your update. Mine works. <laughs> if, if you look at the first machines, the single board computers and stuff like that, they had 1K, 2K of RAM or something like that, and the first... Uh, Apple and uh, TRS-80. I mean, it was like 4K. Yeah, and 4K and 16K. Yeah. 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 In, in, uh, in the 1980, $400 got you 4K. A year later when I got mine in 81, I got 16K. So in a year's time, prices had dropped where you can get more for less. You know, and that trend, yeah. that trend kind of continued yeah. through a decade where every... Well, uh, just about every year, you got a little bit more for the same price or for less money. And that continued for like 10 years straight. I never bought a Coco brand new. All yeah. of the ones I bought were secondhand. And um, Nick knows um, two of the gentlemen that I bought them off. And uh, one of them passed away now. He ran the uh, local computer club. And just acquired so much stuff that these guys had built over time. And they went to PC because they were required for their jobs. And, you know, I, 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 can't, I can't put it in words. It's, yeah. It breaks my heart, you know, seeing stuff, good stuff go to waste. Absolutely. Kind of like that warehouse we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Um, you, James Jones has a the... comment, too, that also explains how the computer industry has changed uh, from YouTube. And he says, those were the days when the computer section of bookstores weren't mostly about how to use name of this app. <laughs> you were actually like, yeah. you know, how do you program? How do you, yeah. you know, Photoshop for dummies? Yeah. yeah. Well, I, yeah. <laughs> my before I worked at Radio Shack for one year, I worked at a uh, like a Walden's Books in the mall, like right out of high school. Um, and and I was really, you know, in the computer section. You had you know had a book on MS DOS. You had Peter Norton uh, talking about PC Revealed, and uh, you had a book on DBase. You had a book on WordStar. You had a book on this, a book on that, and they were thick tomes. Each one of these things, you know, you could break a toe if you dropped it on your foot for the soft cover. <laughs> but there were big books, each one dedicated to a single operating system or or program or something else like that. 
Um, and yeah, there were I we had, all the programming books too. Like you had all those basic yeah, books. Basic, yeah. I remember buying books for Quick Basic and for Visual Basic for Windows 3.x and things like that. Yeah. So, mm. yeah, my buddy wrote a book on uh, Quick Basic. Yeah. And I, I saw it in the bookstore and I saw his name and I didn't realize it was him. I was like, oh, that guy's got the same name as my buddy. And then a few months later, I walk in the bar and, and he's standing there and he slams his book down and it's the same Quick Basic books, except it's all in Chinese. Wow. And he goes, he goes, I got published in Chinese wow. and, and he, and he was all mad. And I was like, well, why are you mad? I said, I said, I saw that book in the bookstore, the English version. And I saw your name, but I didn't realize it was really you. I just thought the guy had the same name. He goes, no, I wrote it. And, uh, he was mad because they paid him like 20 grand and just a flat rate. And then they turn around and published it in China and we're making a lot of money off of it. Ah. So he was kind of mad that he, he got no royalties, huh? Yeah, he had just a flat rate of uh, 20 grand. They actually wanted him to review a book someone else wrote. And he wrote back and rewrote chapter one and said, this guy sucks. If I was writing the book, I'd write it like this. And he rewrote chapter one. And so they wrote him back and said, we'll do the other 12 chapters and we'll give you 20 grand. <laughs> so he said he worked on it for like six weeks after work because he works at Ford. And uh, he worked on it part time for like six weeks and thought he was making out because they gave him 20 grand for you know, six weeks worth of part-time work. Wow. Yeah. That was cool though. I was like, man, I'd, I'd be proud that, you know, I had a book that's being published internationally. Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> but you want to get a cut cool. of the pie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's still on Amazon. Fred Sexton Jr. is his name. Hmm. So uh, forget the exact name of it. Something about quick basic though. Neat, 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 neat. Well, we, we definitely uh, took that one topic. Uh, well, that's right. Yeah, yeah. and Mark Bosley's there uh, with his trash eighty T-shirt. As yeah, we can yeah. See. Have you gotten any uh, any threatening, life-threatening comments and at your local bookstore <laughs> lately, Mark? B? I don't wear this bookstore is dangerous. He doesn't wear it in public. <laughs> that's <laughs> funny. You wear that. You wear that in my bookstore again. I'm going to kick your ass, man. <laughs> Get that trashy shirt out of my shop. Store still in existence, around. Yeah, who goes to bookstores? What's that? Yeah. What's a bookstore? The ones I know of are these uh, like half, uh, half, it's called half price books that do all the used books. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, uh, yeah. And of course, Goodwill has a good selection. <laughs> yeah, you got Can more news, Curtis? But, oh, yeah. yeah, no, that was good. We 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 uh, we took a topic and we ran with it, right? Or maybe we we crawled with ran it, it right into the ground. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> At least a half hour. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so you guys seen the screen again? Yes, yep. Blair, Blair Leduc. Yep. Leduc. Uh, we we mentioned this last couple episodes, but he did a fairly major update uh, to version zero point four of his uh, Visual Studio Code with syntax highlighting and stuff for the um, Cocoa Assembly and stuff. And he's got a big list you can see at the top there of, uh, you know, the stuff he's added. I'm not going to go through everything there, but yeah. uh, still very much a work in progress. Um, he's added auto uh, completion. He's added uh, hover and get actual help on how commands work, which is kind of cool. Like this middle one here. He's uh, like, he takes like you hover over the BEQ op code and then it actually brings up this little help window that explains exactly what it does, how it works, what bit flags it's using. So you actually an educational tool now as well as just wow. a way to do cross assembly. Really nice. Really cool. Um, so I'm, I'm definitely following this project because I think I might have to actually get into it once he gets it completed. Yeah, he was on the he was with us for the screening too, the Coco Forever screening. Yeah. 
Turns out he himself is not French, but his name is. So we weren't sure for the longest time. We weren't sure if he was an actual Frenchie or not. So. And here, this has been a rather interesting uh, thing. Gary Neal's porting a game that he originally wrote back in 1987 on a Coca-1-2 in BASIC, and now he's doing it in assembly. And the two screenshots you see at the top, the left one is his original BASIC version. The right is what he's currently doing in assembly, so he's making the shapes a little bit bigger and stuff. So he's learning assembly at the same time. There's been a fair few, fair number of people doing that lately, and, and John will get to yours a little bit later in the in news as well. So you can comment. Oh, uh, well, I was just going to say I have to take off, but... Uh, um... Okay, well, I'll move yours to right after this then. Okay, I can stick around. Take off to the great wide north. So he was doing some better sprites and he's, you know, changing the shapes and stuff. And then he had uh, Erico came in and started designing because he's a whiz kid at doing these graphics. Low color graphics. Yeah. Ooh, look at that. It's an easy way to go. <laughs> <laughs> so he's, he's got some of these fancier stuff and then he was getting even fancier yet with. Uh, Crikey! You know, backgrounds, <laughs> and, you know, just just kind of going nuts with the whole idea type thing. So. Yeah, that's pretty cool. The dragon boat there's a nice touch. Yeah, <laughs> but really, really cool. Just uh, just see seeing like people collaborating and coming up with different ideas of how to enhance a game that was written, you know, twenty thirty years ago. And also the Eric's Eric was really good at this, and this will also be part of Nick's thing next week too, hopefully. Uh, about taking the really low color <coughs> stuff that we had in our P modes and semi graphics modes and doing some really incredible things with it. So, and then I'll skip ahead. I think John's have got, yeah, here we are. John Lowry. John's part four of his uh, learning a semi language. In this case, if uh, correct me if I'm wrong, John, but basically you've taken, you've drawn some sprites on two different screens and then you're page flipping to do the animation. Is that correct? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, because the, the Space Invader graphics are just two frames so it's easy to just flip back and forth uh but working out the uh the you know setting up two pages and uh whatnot and you know getting it into p mode four first and then setting up two screens clearing them and getting the graphics up oh yeah look just, at that and then just flipping back and forth and then jumping to a delay because it's too fast in assembly is all i'm doing so it's it's not really proper but um right after i did this video and posted it i went in back in and i cleaned up a bunch of stuff i was setting mo uh the, the graphic visual page when i was clearing it and stuff like that that i really didn't need to do so i yanked all that out and i've been cleaning it up and rewrote the clear screen routine and i realized because i have page one and then page two follows it immediately so i was like clearing page one and then clearing page two and then it dawned on me well why don't i just set the start address and clear both pages at once <laughs> so you know i've been hacking around with it a little bit and uh uh, so yeah, it's, uh, I'm getting there and I, I do want to do a project, but I think I'm going to go back to eight screens cause I kind of had that figured out how to kick it into eight screen modes and how to do the MMU stuff. And, uh, so I think I'll work there because there's, you know, more colors and more pixels. <clears throat> yeah. And one thing I want to emphasize because you're doing this as a learning project, as is Gary Neal. I mean, some people have kind of piped in like, you could optimize it doing, you know, you know, stack blasting or something like that. But the whole point of this, I think is more to learn the basics of how the assembly language works, how it works with the VDG, how it works with the gimme. And then you can get into the fancy stuff later, but basically this is just, yeah. or I'm on, I'm on chapter one and they're talking chapter 13. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I thought, I thought the same thing. I said, Oh, I could give you some tips to speed that up and I'm going, but that's not the point. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Just getting it. So it's working. It was like, yay, because I mean, it took like six days to get to this point 
and uh, like I'd get one print problem fixed, and then another one would crop up, and uh, there was it was not it was going into some weird mode uh, because I was disabling the interrupts, so I pulled that out, and that fixed that issue. That took like two or three days to figure out. Uh, so yeah, it's just just getting it to a point where it's working well, uh, was a real. You're not just it's not just the clearing the screens. You're learning how to make loops, and you're learning how to manipulate the hardware and yeah the 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 loops and things like that i pretty much know and i've known for a long time but it's just figuring out exactly what registers to uh to poke into to put it into a, uh, the mode you want or to set the video offset where you want it to be for a particular page and whatnot and working out the routine as to how to you know the main loops like four or five lines you know i set page one and uh, go jump to a delay and set page two and dump to a little delay and there's loop. That's the main loop there that you're seeing when the characters are moving. So it's real. That's pretty simple. It's mainly just figuring out how to how to control the registers, especially because the way the SAM registers work. You know, there's the register pairs yeah, I mean, and one sets it and one clears it and getting all that figured out and determining what values you need for what offset you want and whatnot. Yeah, and one of the reasons I, I wanted to bring this up in particular, too, is because Bruce Moore has been working with a CBASIC compiler on his next project, and he's been having some issues with getting page flipping to work. Um, and we're trying to figure out, is it the compiler that's causing the problem? Is it the fact that you, know, you have to shut interrupts off? Bruce, I don't know how far you've gotten on that. but uh... I've been working on that uh, during the show, and um, <laughs> I don't think it's, yeah, I don't think it's, uh, I don't actually think it's CBASIC at this point. I've got some a custom music player um, I was working with Simon on, and you know if I never turn that on, the flicker does not seem to appear. So, oh, so it's an RQ service handler or something. Well, that you interrupt something. Yeah, Timer. there's something funny. There's something funny going on there, and uh, yeah, so I'm hoping to, you know, I'll be talking with Simon about that. See if he's got any bright ideas on what could be going on there, but. Uh, yeah, I was thinking I might have to just totally start over. Again. Maybe not. Maybe I'll. Maybe I can continue with the C Basic hybrid with that and and my own machine language code. Cool. Yeah. Anyway, keep keep us posted and keep keep posting questions in Discord and on Facebook and we'll yeah, see we good get. job, yeah. John Lowry. Oh well, thank you. And, and as I get new stuff going, I'll uh, I'll post videos on Facebook. I'll continue. To post. Have you done assembly before? Is this your first foray into it? No, uh, I've. Did sixteen oh nine before and like twenty five thirty years ago, and I uh, also did Z eighty because uh, I had a Model One and had done some Z eighty programming. And back in the nineties, I did some x eighty six on, a, on a, a, a PC a little bit, um, not a whole lot, just tinkering. But this is uh, I'm kind of getting back into it, and I just want to like get better and better at it. And I've always kind of wanted to, but you know, like it's in the way and. So I'm just trying to push forward and and understand more things and how to do certain things within machine language because, you know, basic makes life easy if you want to calculate its sign, but how are you going to write a routine to do that in assembly? <laughs> you know, yeah. it's like cheat and use a table or something <laughs> rather than do the math. Anyway, we'll, we'll follow both yours and Gary Neal's and, and Bruce's projects and any help we can, the community as a whole can give any of you guys or even helping yourself each other too because you and bruce are kind of doing the same thing at the same time or with page flipping yeah so. absolutely 
All right, cool. Well, thanks for showing that. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, if you said you had to take off, so I just wanted to get your your bit out of the way there, so you could. Yep, I do. So I'll to talk to the Great you. White North. To the Great White North. It's eh? the beauty way to go. <laughs> see you guys later. Take yeah, care. See you, John. Bye. Here's a, a video I stumbled on on YouTube. A guy got the Waco trackball mm -hmm. and uh, decided to try playing a game with it. He picked Demolition Derby, which is probably one of the worst games you could possibly think of using with the trackball. Yes, I would agree. <laughs> you can watch him just flipping his hands here, just going crazy trying to steer the car. This this would be challenging. I, I want to see him try Popstar Pilot next on level three now, I guess it is. <laughs> he's but... got a good setup there with the multi-pack, and he's got looks like uh, Orchestra 90, and he's got his floppy controller going on. Looks like he's yeah. playing this off the cartridge at Demolition Derby, so. Yeah. My favorite part of this video, though, I'll just fast forward a teeny bit here, is at the end. He swears? Just watch his hand. Oh. <laughs> I still <laughs> haven't, I still. Playing it with the trackball. So. Uh, I still haven't used mine yet, so that's on my to-do list, so. Yeah. I, I sent him a comment suggesting maybe Colorpede or Polaris might be a better idea. But yeah. Okay. He said it's got RSI from playing Demolition Derby. <laughs> no. Okay. <clears throat> this one here, uh, Todd Wallace uh, did his first programming using the OPL3 chip that Ed Snyder has in the Mega MPI. And he's just doing single tone at this point, but he actually kind of figured out how the chip works. And I don't know if my sound is shared. This is interesting. I read about this just before the show, actually, and I'm really keen to see what he's done because I want yeah. to get into that too. Yeah, it sounds good. Mm. Does literally? Yeah, maybe maybe stop sharing for just a second, and when you reshare it, you can um, check the box to share sound. Are you got it going? There you go. I think. Yep. So. Can you check it out? Yeah, my first ever music program using the FM synthesizer chip and the Mega MPI. Load it in. Here we go. Here's my masterpiece. <laughs> What's my age again? <laughs> yeah, good one. Anyway, yeah, it's 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 cool because he's never programmed for that chip before, and then sounds like a sound blaster. You know, as soon as I heard yeah. that, it sounds like a sound blaster. Yeah. So once it gets into polyphonic, I, I, it's really interesting to see what they come up with. So yeah. This was an interesting one from Matchy, and um, he didn't actually. I think he posted it on his personal page. It's not really you know out on the Coco thing, but I just happened to stumble across it. And he's done the kind of a pole position engine using Semigraphics 12 as a quick video demo. And, uh... Yeah, that looks cool. Kind of looks more like Outrun because of the palm trees, you know? Um, yeah, actually, maybe it is, and he doesn't have any curves either, which is more like, I think, the original. Yeah. Too, so. But it's a good example of some of the stuff you could have done in Semigraphics that we just never, not yeah. enough people use that mode. Yeah. And when you're not trying to mix text, it still can be done in the Coco 3. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that looks really good. Yeah. It's very I mesmerizing. Know. I get to stare at something like that all day, you know. Wait, what's that Penn and Teller <laughs> game there where you drive the bus for real time from Vegas to whatever? It, it'd be perfect for that. <laughs> yeah, good job there, Matchy. 
Hi, this next one here, a special live gameplay. There was a live stream a couple days ago uh, by Jerry Young, and uh, he's already friends with Jim Gary, I found out. Uh, so he knows about some other stuff, but he was just kind of, he does an explanation of the MC-10. He's got a couple of himself. He's got the 16K RAM expansion. And he did a live stream playing a couple of games. He played Lost World Pinball and the Pac-Man game. And then he mentions a couple of others a little later on, um, but doesn't actually play them. Um, but he's, he's got kind of, kind of a nice explanation at the end and the beginning here about the machine itself in general, as well as the gameplay part. System. And you can see a little picture of it there with the expansion pack on it in my uh, screen there. The sound effects are riveting. Yeah. And there is no controller. I have to use a keyboard. It's almost an OS OPL3 chip, I think. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Sounds more like an OPL4. Yeah, maybe. There's the Pac-Man yeah. which actually is a quite a well-done one. I got a... Uh... Got more of those. Well, let's get that one. Oh no! <laughs> cool. But then he starts going through like Which he's got the manuals. You computers and, anymore. Uh, kind of goes through the bits. Goes shows through the hardware he's got, some of the add-ons he's got, etc. So it's a kind of interesting and uh, programming and video that he did, and it's almost an hour long. So for different effort, just can't get enough MC10. And if yeah. you download the emulator, <laughs> which I'm going guess, to have uh, in the description perfect. below. Perfect for them. <laughs> Do you need a whole manual on how to prop up a door, a window? <laughs> <laughs> Somehow I wound up with two MC10 manuals. Uh, I think that's to raise it up higher so you can prop I mean, up the window a little bit taller. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, well, if, I could if, use one of those if we don't want one. <laughs> if the Coco was the underdog of the 8-bit era, the MC-10 is the underdog of the Coco, you know? It's just... There's yeah. a flea on the dog. Yeah. <laughs> we, we need a trash 80 equivalent just for the MC-10, like a yeah. slang. Hey, hello, Explorer <laughs> VR. Ben Drakes is out there. Uh. <laughs> uh, and speaking of Jim Gary and MC-10 here, uh, he released two more videos of some games he's ported. Uh, the first is called uh, Corpses from... Heb dog seal? I don't know what it is. <laughs> hedge logic, hedge logic, hedge logisil? I don't know what the hell that is. Yeah, I have okay. no idea. Uh, I think yeah, he got drunk yeah. right at the time he wrote that title, or his cat ran across the keyboard. Is that Canadian that he's writing in there? <laughs> dog? Not that I'm aware of. Uh, <laughs> Sounds French. Yeah, Nick Moroda, do you want to translate for me if you if you know? Um... Heb dogisil. <laughs> I wonder if he wrote this on a Coco Do. Yeah, might be. I like okay. I like the forty two there also. There must be something. Yes, well, because there's. Yeah, <laughs> is Czechoslovakian hot air balloons will graze half heartedly under his porcelain cap? Like this just sounds like a bizarre <laughs> game. So is this just like taking different <laughs> words <laughs> together and making nonsensical <laughs> non sequiturs? Really? <laughs> yeah, you said he translated it from French. I'm not sure if he quite finished by the looks of this. Um, okay. Hebdogi <laughs> Ciel was a French. Computer magazine published from in the translation there. Yeah, it was a computer magazine. Okay, I, I don't know much about the history of it. I just thought it was kind His of funny. funny. Hot air balloon will sputter disdainfully with this perplexed corpse. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if I want to see the graphic adventure version of this one, but anyway. <laughs> And then a second video is uh, Space Rescue, which is a port uh, that was originally done by Matt Rudder from Softside. 
Now, this is based on Lunar Rescue by Tato, a 1979 arcade game, but he actually did a pretty good job of it. Turn that down a little bit. He has a little XY running man that you rescued. I thought that was pretty cool. That was a brilliant way to do that. Yeah. Is he but it, it plays it? Yeah, the, the, the original arcade game, you, you get launched from that green ship at the top to go rescue the men, and you have to land on the platform. Okay. Yeah, okay. the asteroids moved horizontally. Yeah, and then when you've gotten the human at the bottom, then the asteroids in the original arcade game changed to spaceships and started firing at you, and you had to shoot them and, and fly back up to finish rescuing your guy. So he's kind of doing something similar here. Okay, but that... I mean, if you've ever seen the original arcade game, it's actually pretty pretty close, except for the lack of movement <laughs> of all the asteroids. <laughs> That's cool. And then, uh, another Jim Gary, I didn't even have this. Apparently, this has been up for a while, but he has blogs on when he's doing some of his ports for the MZ-10 and the Coco, uh, hosted at the university he's a professor at. So he's got all these different... Once you can click on all of these to read you know, the history of his porting the project here of a whole bunch of these, and then links to the emulators themselves and stuff if you actually want to try to run them. <clears throat> so there's been some pretty interesting stuff in there. Some we've seen before, some are before we did, but if you guys want some of the history of his development of some of these games, uh, there's a whole plethora of them here to take a look through, so it's, it's mm. quite interesting. Plethora, is that the Canadian way to say plethora? Sure. Okay. <laughs> That was the French accent. <laughs> Plethora, eh? Yeah. All in full color. Color. <laughs> I take off. Hey. Color, eh? Color. Um, I've got to go, guys. So. All right, Nick. I'll, yeah, no worries. Good joke. Thanks take for being here, Nick. Nick. Take okay, off. Okay, see eh? you later. Crikey. Crikey. <laughs> see, you, see you, Nick. Yeah. See you later. Nick. Bye. You hoser. <laughs> well, that, that's the last of the visual news i have one last um, article that uh, henry Wrightfeld on friday morning i think it was put up he had three things for sale and there was some pretty unique hardware or at least hard to find hardware he had a, a coco one with an hdl keyboard in it which is widely viewed as one of the best keyboards we ever had on yeah coco. 50 he had a gray mpi that was also modified for the coco 3 and supported 12 volts so it supported some of your older peripherals like the x-pad on a coco 3 plus it had the patch pal chip for the coco 3 so it actually worked properly and then he also had a disto super controller 2 with a foreign one board which had the floppy and hard drive controllers real-time clock parallel port serial port um all for sale and by this morning everything but the sc2 had been sold already wow i'm gonna change my i'm gonna change my name to sale all these things for sale yeah, I would have. Uh, I would have bought that. Uh, I, I don't follow the list too often, but yeah, that HDL keyboard, man, for fifty bucks. Yeah. Keyboard's worth more than fifty dollars. Yeah, and the yeah. Super Controller Two he's got it was for sale for two hundred dollars. It has HDB DOS, which has already been modified to be drivewire compatible, etc. Yeah, built into it, and then all the the four and one board stuff. And from what I saw on the list today, when he was mentioning everything else is sold, is that he's also including a floppy and hard drive with it, like it's included in the case. Oh wow. So it's the whole system. It's not just the controller, from what I understand. And I mean, that's that's beautiful. And two hundred dollars—that's a really good price for all of that. So, I don't know if it's still available since we started the show, but if anybody's interested, uh, head on the Coco list and then send them an email. And that's all I had for news. All right. Thank you, Curtis Boyle. 
I think there's two other things we need to mention if we uh, have time. Go yeah, ahead. there was some discussion stuff like VCF and stuff that I thought would make more than news. It would be more of a discussion, so that's why I like Yeah, that. yeah, I think we need to touch on VCF West that's coming up here in a couple of weeks and then make an announcement on VCF Midwest. Go ahead. You have the floor. Oh, I don't have the information pulled up. I wasn't actually for VCF West. Uh, we probably need to ask uh, Mark. Greg, that's the worst segue I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah thanks. Really, really, really compelling. <laughs> Talk about, but this. no, I wasn't a part of that meeting on for VCF West. So uh, maybe Mark or uh, somebody can talk about be, that. But I'll talk about it too if need be. Okay, defer to me. Yeah, we can yeah. defer. Okay. Okay. He's a Californian, so we can. Well, in fact, your ringleader here is Mikey is so. Oh yeah, yeah Mikey you mentioned on Discord thing. that nobody did represent the Coco the last one of these, correct? Uh, yeah. Well, uh, I mean, there was some guy that had, um, like, he had some Cocos. There were a few there, but I mean, as far as a community effort, there's crickets. You know, nothing. Mm. So, so you're you rectifying know, that the Atari. Year. Uh, just just as an example, if you go back to the video from last year, I think, mm-hmm. the Atari people had a whole wall. They were playing videos. They were doing all kinds of stuff. There were, were a couple different uh, Apple II booths. They yep. had like Apple II GSs playing, mm-hmm. you know, uh, um, they had their Apple II GS sound card, Apple II, you know, all this stuff. Where are we? Nowhere. So I decided, what the heck? It's local. Uh, so I decided that I wanted to sponsor a uh, sponsor a uh, how did I put it TRS Tandy TRS eighty color computer booth okay. at UCF West this year. Okay, thank you very much for doing that. By the way, yeah. And what is the date of that event? Uh, it is uh, August third and fourth, mm. and it is held uh, at the Computer History Museum which is here in the Silicon Valley area in Mountain View, California. And uh, it's a very, you know, very nice venue. Yeah. Um, they basically have they basically have a huge room, and it looks like they have a lot of exhibitors this year. I specifically asked them to put us close to other uh, retro, you know. I said, put us close to the Apple and Atari guys, you know, Apple, Atari, and Commodore guys. Right. So we kind of have a section where... I don't want a competition just sort of give them the idea exposure i think i think yeah i think they got that the table next to us is 6502 base computers across the way is ibm pc something you know it's it's fine you know our our neighbors are all going to be from around the same era and yeah. that's kind of what i wanted right you know, it's not about rivalry it's it's more about you know, a, a proper grouping of where you yeah right camaraderie yeah. Um, yeah. yeah yep yeah yeah that's cool that's cool i was gonna say i would if i could maybe swing something but i have a big family reunion in august As a matter of fact just to plan a bug right now for mark bosley or somebody the weekend of august 13th i think it is is when i'm going to be at my family reunion so i would need somebody to host the show stream the show you know that that weekend um and that's why it makes it kind of iffy for me to be able to make vcf midwest which i think is in september I got uh, I got a lot of expenses coming up during the month of August. I'm just not sure what my budget's going to be like. So, um, but now it'd well, be great. I mean, it'd, be, it'd be great to have the Coco represented there. And you have uh, Mark Overholzer's there. 
Um, hopefully, uh, Rob Inman's still not too far Rob. away, and possibly get maybe Rondell Vo. If if, if Rob's going to drive from Arizona, he can make it a road trip and bring Rondell Vo and Paul T. Barton. You know, <laughs> bring him. Can um, he put his entire garage in the car though? Is the question. <laughs> we got Tim, uh, Tim Lindner. Tim Lindner. So okay, I can, great. So I, I, you know, I'm. I'm not putting any work on him to do anything. He just has to show up and have a good time talking to people. Yeah. So I think of him as a special, you know, a special guest. And, uh, you know, I asked Steve Bjork and, and a couple other people. But uh, I think the four of us, you know, I just wanted to have enough people so that nobody gets stuck the entire time doing booth duty. Sure, sure. With and four, if you, if you with guys... four people. If you guys don't have either Coco Talk or I'm a Coconut shirts, send me a message in Discord with your address and preferred shirt size and color, and I'll get you, I'll send you guys. Some uh, Rob, Rob, see, Rob Inman is taking care of that. Okay, perfect. So, now, do you have a plan for your booth? Like, what are you going to be demonstrating, or be rotating through different things depending on the time of the day, or is it you know set up some stuff and run? Oh, no, we're still we're still discussing some of those some of those details, but uh, I've sort of outlined uh, five different stations and. Uh, Hey, uh, uh, Mark, uh, what do you think about our discussion earlier? You think I should just go ahead? Yeah. All right. Uh, this, earlier this morning. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm okay with it. All right, fine. Um, so I outlined uh, five... Sorry for that. I outlined uh, five different stations. Um, I'm actually getting... Uh, so station number one, uh, basically I have two Cocoa 3 stations. Um, they're both, uh, 6309. Uh, 60, they both have, uh, uh, two meg boomerangs. Um, we're actually going to demonstrate Gimme X at VCF West. Oh, cool, cool. Get, Getting a demo unit. Uh, and, um, so we have that, you know, we have, uh, the HDMI converters, uh, switch through those kinds of things, uh, have a Coco 2, um, Coco VGA demo. So sort of the theme that I wanted to have, because they wanted you, they didn't want to have a whole bunch of random stuff. The theme is sort of like, hey, Co- hey, uh, vintage computer community, the Coco guys, we're here and we're doing cool stuff too. So, so it's kind theme. of to show yeah. off new hardware and add-ons and stuff then, not just yeah. showing the retro computer as it was. Right. Yeah, yeah that's the show what it's capable of now. Yeah. Right, right. The gimme, yes. the gimme X, that's, that's awesome to be able to have the demo of that there. Yeah, um, you know, I have to, I don't know if we can uh, publish anything, but we can probably probably show that a little bit since it seems like many people missed it at Coco Fest because yeah. it was there. Yeah, as well. I had no idea it was there. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I knew, but I didn't really talk to, <laughs> Gary looked busy, so I didn't really, you know, didn't really talk to him about it. So, um yeah, uh, Coco VGA, and then we have, you know, PSG and Game Master and all that kind of stuff. Um, the other, so the other thing, yeah, of course we're going to have SDCs. Um, so the other two stations are sort of like on the emulation side. Uh, I've been, as uh, Curtis knows, I've been trying to prepare stuff for the Coco Three FPGA. I've been bugging Curtis a lot about that, and. Um, so you can demonstrate. I uh, plan to demonstrate EOU on there, Fusix on the Coco Free FPGA, because those are sort of the software, some of the uh, operating system section, mm-hmm. um, and and FPGA, and um, 
haven't finished, you know, haven't really started working on it yet, but I also want to uh, have a demo of uh, Cocoa Pipe 3. So we're going to have five, dem- five demo stations. You know, we have so many things that, uh, that we can demo. It's kind of a little overwhelming. So wow. probably the tactic is going to be uh, we'll get all the base hardware set up and we'll probably be switching things around uh, throughout the, the show. show goes. Yeah. That's really cool. That's, that's like a mini Cocoa Fest right there. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I wish Cocoa Fest was here in the area because, yeah. you know, I'd roll up with all this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I would love to join you guys, but just the timing and the finances aren't as good for me. All I can say much. is Rondell Bowen, a large U-Haul. Just bring yeah. him up. <laughs> get about five oh, or six. Uh, you know, I mean, just, put his, pretty, just put his garage on wheels. Yeah. <laughs> pretty much. Uh, I'm pretty much providing almost all the hardware. So That's cool. Thanks for doing this, that. This this room this room I'm in is going to be empty. There's not going to be nothing in it. It's all going to be <laughs> over there. <about> <laughs> well, thanks a lot, guys, for doing that. Yes, you're doing a great job. Yes, I think I think it'll be pretty pretty cool. Charles and, Tandy would be proud. <laughs> and uh, also thinking about trying to get on uh, you know on Coco Talk. Um, probably it might be a little problematic to get on permanently. I mean. If we can come up with some kind of a stand, we might be able to put a phone on the stand and let it let it stream the booth or something. I don't know. Oh, that would be have cool. Have to think about that. Yeah. Mm. You know, you guys can just we'll just keep it on mute. Kind of like and... what we did at Coco Fest, where Brian, the music man, yeah. had a webcam set up there and he just streamed from a corner. Uh, that would yeah, be, that, that would be well. kind of cool. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I, just an idea I had that uh, you guys can see what's going on there. So. Uh, you have anything to add, Mark? Oh, um, just um, <clears throat> we're kind of short on stuff from like a, a joypad adapter, and I don't think any of us have one. I mean, I have a Coco GMC and the PSG, but uh, yeah, maybe uh, talk to, I guess, Neil or, or somebody to see about maybe getting a little bit more hardware. Um, other than that, I think we're pretty well covered on modern stuff. And then I guess we just have to figure out the software issue with EOU on the... Okay, uh, so reach out to Richard. Um if he's got any joystick adapters and if he's got them, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, pay we for have, them. We have, we have those. Uh, so what do you need then? What'd you say? We have, we have the Paragon. Um, the other, uh, one the joypad adapter. The joypad oh, the adapter. Sega joypad yeah, adapter. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, I, don't, I don't know if it's going to be easier for me to ship mine or to see if uh, John Limbo has any more. I can get him to ship one to you guys. So why don't you guys reach out to see if John Linville has one, and if he does, then I'll just I'll order it and have him ship it to one of you guys. Okay. Okay. I'll try. I'll try to. I've been talking to him uh, about uh, Games Master. I'll I'll try to remember to. Uh, or Neil Blanchard I too. Put it that I, th- way. I think Neil I Blanchard take... is the one who's actually manufacturing yeah. them. So. Right. I'll take an action item to. Yeah. Do that. Yeah. Yeah. If if, if he's got them, then and then I'll I'll pay for it to have it. I'll purchase it and pay to have it shipped to you guys. Well, thank you. Yeah, no, thank you. You're too kind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that's cool. That's cool. So that's VCF West, which is coming up in August, and then VCF Midwest is when in September. Yeah, I got the information here pulled up. It's September 14th and 15th. Okay. It'll be uh, located in Chicago, Illinois. Actually, it's the suburb of uh, Elmhurst, Illinois, at the Clarion Inn. 
Mm, I'm going to try to go to that. It's just really going to be tough. But, yeah, so I have the date, too, that I'm going to be out of town. It's actually it's going to be actually August 10th is going to be the Saturday that I'll be in Panama City for my family reunion. So that would be the day I would need somebody else to stream the show. We're going to be uh, we're going to be going. Was that the, fi- the 15th, was it? You need to maybe? No, the tenth. The tenth. The tenth of August. Oh, the tenth. Week early. Okay. The oh, tenth of August. Right. Tenth of August. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I would love. I don't think I'm going to be able to make VCF West. I would love to, but VCF Midwest might be able to stretch that if I can get a cheap flight. Um. So that'd be cool. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of us that are planning to go. I think uh, myself, Coco Man, um, I think Richard, uh, Jim Brain. And David Ladd, I believe we're all going. So there'll be quite a few of us there. Yeah, it'll be great. Cool stuff. Cool, 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 cool. All right. Well, what else do we have to talk about, boys and girls? Anything? Uh, Bruce, you're still with us, Oh, yeah, Bruce was going to play his 8-bit song. Yes. Why don't we do that? Yeah, so I previewed I had... One line, okay. <laughs> Last week, I've got, I've got, uh, the course made me, uh, may change the lyric a little bit, but I got, I basically got it down here. So, and appropriate since you've had the eight bit guy on. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna turn some drums on here. Hopefully, this works. Okay. okay you ready for this? Yeah. Okay, here it goes. Okay. It's more than enough. I've been swinging the code. I've been tearing it up. It's more than enough. I could do this all day. Never giving it up. That's cool. Cool, cool. Eight bits are more than enough. I've been slinging the code. I've been tearing it up. Eight bits are more than enough. I could do this all day. Never giving it up. <laughs> <laughs> retro model there yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah how did you go with the uh, video output on your original um uh, 4k coco coco one yeah um carlos camacho told me to stay tuned he may have a uh a composite uh solution for me there you know based on you know, he, he's going to do the, the the board based off that mod that i well, I, I don't know. It's, little, it's a little mysterious. It's a little mysterious. Yeah. Maybe, that may be what he's doing. So that would be pretty cool. Yeah, cool, cool. Yeah. That's cool. Eight cool bits that. are more than enough. That's such a great hook. Yep. Maybe we can get some analog synth to go along with that to help <laughs> the whole eight bit uh, mantra there, huh? Yeah, I think that'd be Yeah, cool. maybe. I'll stick in a bit of a do a collaboration or something. I'll put a put a synth line in there for you if you want. Oh, that might work. Yeah, especially, yeah, especially a little instrumental part. You could have the melody playing like on a. I don't know how far back you want to go. DX seven or younger, <laughs> or, or even older. I guess. Mini-mug. I've got a yeah. mini mic. Oh, yeah. so I could yeah, do it on that. Cool. Yeah. Cool. cool, cool. All right, that was it. Awesome. Maybe awesome, more next awesome. time. You get the yeah. development of a song here. Yes. Well, you know, as the old saying goes, if Coco Tech lasts more than four hours, you're welcome. Uh, and we are at the four-hour <laughs> mark. So this is a good show. We had we had two nonstop hours with Dave Murray, the 8-bit guy, which is more than I would have expected. And it was all good stuff. So, And we didn't even get to, to Jason being at his, his show. Yeah, yeah we had Jason Reichert at his uh, video game 
uh, thing that we didn't even get a chance to see. And I, we're apologies to David, yeah. uh, to Jason Riker. He's thrown yeah. some photos up in the uh, private planning on Discord if okay. you wanted to take a quick boo. But uh, he's also said he's going to make like a 15-minute video worth we can view next week. I don't know if you want to save the pictures for next yeah, week. Yeah, let's save it for next week then. Okay. And have a whole production on that. Um, no, good times, man. This is a good show. I, I enjoy doing this every week with you guys. It's always fun. Uh, every now and then we have a nice surprise. Today was definitely a nice surprise. And uh, I want to thank everybody out there in the, in the live stream who's still with us now. So uh, out there in the live chat right now, we've had James Jones and Explore VR, who's Ben Drakes. Erico has been out there. Nick Morota, Mark Overholzer, Tim Franklin. Matchy has been out there. Tim Franklin. Uh, David Lord has been out there. Uh, a lot of people in the live chat all throughout the day. Paul Fiscarelli was here earlier. Ken Reichard out here. Um, Jim Brain was here earlier. Mark Overholzer. David Lord. Uh, so many people in the live chat. Had a great, great turnout today in the live chat. And that was great. Uh, had a good panel. Uh, we still have with us Mark D. Overholzer and L. Curtis Boyle. David O'Connor has returned to us. We're Grateful to have you here. And Mark Bosley, D. Bruce Moore. Eight bits is more than enough, right? Um, unfortunately, Grant Leedy was also here. Um, <laughs> James Diffendaffer <laughs> has been here. Screw you, Stevie. <laughs> Nick Marotta, Nick Marotta, Nick Marotta. <laughs> Mikey has been here. Michael Furman. We got a couple of Australians with proper Australian accents like Chad and uh, David O'Connor. Not like that hack, uh, Kiwi-sounding uh, Nick Morentes. Um, so. <laughs> Nick and his fashion chops. <laughs> oh man! All right. So have we have we done have we done enough? Have we said enough? Have we beat this one to death? I tell yeah, you what I what I haven't done. We've walked. We've slaughtered it. I haven't thanked the patrons. That's right. Let's let's thank the patrons. All right. So we want to thank the patrons who are the actual literal sponsors of our show. So let's give a big thank you and a warm uh, gratitude to Al Hartman, Alan Huffman, Blair Leduc, Brendan Donahue, Brian Joyce, Fedor Stamen, D. Bruce Moore, Davey Mitchell, Diego, Disney Saints fan, Eric Canales, and Grant Leety and Jason Downs and Ken Reichard and Kyle Etter, Malfunct, Paul Fiscarelli, Frenomythic, Richard Lorbieski, Ripened Peach, Rob Inman, Steve Bjork, Terry Steggy, The Backyard Shed Gang, Tom C., and Tom S. Thank you all for your patronage because we um, continue to add more services to our ability to do live audio broadcasting now. So we've got two different podcast services that we're using. So we're live on Spreaker. You can now hear us live. While we're live on the show, you can listen to us live, and the replays are also immediately available, so you don't have to wait for me to download and process and upload the audio. Audio is real-time and immediately available, so that's a whole second service that we're doing on top of our other podcast hosting and the uh, services we use for Zoom and for Restream to multicast, and there's a plethora of monthly bills that we are incurring to to bring this program, and, and luckily there are a number of people who are... Um, helping support those costs and making it, uh, you know, kind of pay for itself. 
So thank you to all of you. You are too kind. Um, I'm going to go ahead and run the closing credits, and then we'll have our parting thoughts. Now, of course, i got to find my closing credits. Uh, hold on. Outro. Here we go. Uh, Stuart Williams just showed up, said, been listening to you all evening from Walsall, England, former home of the Tandy UK headquarters. Thanks for sharing your fascinating conversation. Did I say that right? Walsall or Walsall? Walsall. Is it Walsall? I don't know. I'm screwing it up. Help me pronounce that. I'm I'm, (laughs) W-A. It looks like it says W-A-L. Walsall. Hey, I, I spent the summer there in 1990, about a 10 minute drive from that place. And I didn't even know. Oh, yeah. Walsall is how you say it over there. Walsall. Walsall. All right. That's it. It's like WNBC. It's Walsall. Okay. All right. We're going to play the outro and we'll be back in just a minute with parting thoughts. This concludes another episode of Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things Coco Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. Coco Talk is rocking the great world, keeping the tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop. Because Coco Talk is rocking the A. Yeah, I just didn't share the audio. Consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, click the Patreon link at our website at cocotalk.live. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. Coco Talk would not exist without the community, its cast, crew, and contributors. Thanks go to Curtis Boyle, David Ladd, Mark Overholzer, Grant Leedy, Bruce Moore, Nick Marentes, Rondell Vaux, Rick Adams, Jason Riker, Richard Lorbieski, Jim Brain, Tom C., Rob Inman, Mark Bosley, Brian Joyce, Ken Riker, David O'Connor, Brian Weasler, Terry Steggy, Nick Morota, John Strong, and many more, especially to Steve Bjork for production suggestions and James Diffendaffer for making my head explode. Please help support the Coco community by visiting some of its various contributors. A list of resources is available at imacoconut.com. That's I-M-A-C-O-C-O-N-U-T dot com. The Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2008 by D. Bruce Moore and Greg Sheeler. Mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. Name so nice, we must say it thrice. It's Nick Marota, Nick Marota, Nick Marota. All right. So, of all the 117 shows we've had, this has been one of them. (laughs) (laughs) That's very profound. eh? Yes, 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 yes. Good show, guys. Thanks for being here. And did we get the proper pronunciation here? So he says it's called Walsall or Warsaw, 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 
when we pronounce it warsel <laughs> i don't know i sound like i'm a drunk redneck when i try to pronounce that word and i'm currently i'm just a sober redneck but give me a couple of beers um <laughs> <laughs> I, I was just going to say, I don't think it has anything to do with pronunciation. But. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, we, we have a live audio podcast. So we are live streaming on YouTube. We are live streaming on Facebook. We have a live audio feed on our Spreaker feed. So if you search for Coco Talk Live, wherever podcasts are sold, um, especially the free ones, you'll find us there. Uh, for a single link to, to find out how to reach us on all the multimedia outlets that we're on, if you just go to cocotalk.live. That's the actual extension, like a .com, it's .live. So if you go to cocotalk.live, there are links to all the many ways you can enjoy or not enjoy our show. Um, and so on behalf of everybody who's watched us for four hours now, thank you guys for every week for coming out here, uh, making this shared experience a fun time for us all. Thank you guys on the panel who come out every week. Big special thanks to Brian Weasler for arranging um david murray the 8-bit guy and thanks to david murray for being here for two non-stop hours great content poor, poor guy yeah we had the first the first two hours the yeah, first two hours are great the last two were all downhill right into the shiter right so we are gonna press the button say goodbye everybody goodbye Bye, everybody, everybody. okay you. this is me hanging up on the video feed goodbye video feed Good time, boy. All right. And now I'm about ready to press the button on the audio feed. Say goodbye, audio feed. Goodbye, audio. Audio. Adios. Adios. We're sorry.